Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the continuation of the show that we had on August 18th and 19th, 2023. This is part two. What happened was we had a very long show. Actually, after breaks, it was more than 10 hours. We had Brandon on and we were talking about a lot of things, a lot of tangents. You know how it goes when Brandon joins us. So I looked at the Herculean task of editing the show and I said, well, crap, I'm not going to be able to edit this whole thing in one shot. It's just too long. It'll take forever. So I edited a little less than half of it and posted up as a part one. This is part two of the same show. We're going to just continue right where we left off. And of course, Brandon is already with us, so he will be right there. And this is the remainder of the show. And then it will be over. And then we will have another one soon enough for you, likely in the first week of September. So enjoy. Our next topic is about poker Twitter and how certain personalities on there are getting paid, which I kind of didn't see coming. I, I had seen the whole thing about how Twitter is starting to pay people who have a big following, but I didn't really relate it to poker Twitter for some reason. But today, a thread was started by Haley Hanna, who is the girlfriend of high-stakes player David Peters. She kind of appeared out of nowhere on social media early this year. And she's quickly accumulated followers, which you understand. She's the girlfriend of a high-stakes player. She's 30 years old and attractive. She's got kind of a blunt and outspoken personality. And I, I've always liked her. I, I, I've gotten along with her. I, I'm someone who thinks positively of her. And anyway, I saw she posted that she got a payment. And when I saw she got a payment... That just kind of made me think, because I didn't think she had a gigantic following. When I saw that she got a payment of $65, it made me think, well, could I possibly get payments from Twitter, given that I have somewhat of a following on there, just not huge. And I never really looked into the monetization that much partially because you have to subscribe to Twitter, to Twitter Blue, which I think is like 8 bucks a month, in order to qualify for it. So you have to spend money first before you get paid anything. Now, of course, $8 a month isn't much if you're getting paid out something. But that between that well, and... Drop, the, they say you gotta, always got to spend money to make money. Right, right. I, I was waiting for that comment, actually. But when she posted she got it, I'm like, well, how many followers does she have? And I looked, and it was similar to me. She has 6,500. I have 5,300. So, okay, pretty close. So I thought, well, if she just got paid 65 bucks, I don't know over for what period of time. I know she just got it, but I, didn't, I don't know if what that $65 covers. Was it covering three months? Was it covering two months? One week? I, I didn't know. But she got 65 bucks. And I'm like, okay, well, can I get 65 bucks? It's not big money, but, you know, if Elon's going to send me money for tweeting, which I do anyway, I want it. So I decided to look into it. She also raised a good point. She posted, now just imagine if I posted a thirst trap, how much more I could get. Now, for you old folks who listen to this, a thirst trap, in case you don't know, is a picture 
of an attractive girl, usually in kind of like scantily clad outfits, where it's going to get attention because guys will be scrolling by and see an attractive girl wearing something that really gets notice, and then the guys respond. So it's called like a thirst trap because thirsty guys, meaning guys who are horny or whatever way you want to put it, will notice it and kind of get trapped in there and then start responding. It's like a way to get engagement. So she's saying that she's never posted a picture like that before. So she's thinking, hey, if I posted a thirst trap, imagine how much more I could get if I'm getting 65 bucks just by tweeting normally. And that's actually a good point, because she doesn't really post pictures like that. Other girls on Twitter do, who are in poker. Some do, some don't. She's one who does not. I wonder if maybe she doesn't, because David Peters wouldn't appreciate that. I don't don't know. But uh, she doesn't do it, at least at this time. And yet she's still getting 65 bucks, which actually made me think even more. I'm like, okay, well, she doesn't have that factor. It's not like she's getting a million views because she's posting pictures in a bikini or something. So if she's really just getting this from content she posts, yes, she'll get more engagement being an attractive 30-year-old girl than I would be as a 51-year-old dude. But I listen, I just got to say one thing here. I'll go back on mute. Now to each his own, okay? You know, your taste may be different than my taste, maybe different than someone else's taste. But I can tell you, I'm pretty sure you're wrong. Haley Hintz is older than 30 years old. I'm going to go back on mute. All right, I'm going back oh on my. mute. Go on, though. Now, I, I like Haley Hintz, but just, just to clarify, since Brandon's trying to confuse the audience here, this is Haley Hannah. But I actually like both of them. I actually like both Haley's there. And uh, Haley Hannah, she was raising the point that, you know, she's just posting regular content. So... Yeah, she's going to get more natural engagement given who she is and what she looks like versus who I am. But still, she's not posting those type of pictures. So I'm thinking, well, you know, I do occasionally have the semi-viral tweet here and there, which will get like 300,000, 400,000 views. In fact, sometimes they're surprisingly semi-viral, like the one I posted about Phil Helmuth when he won his 17th bracelet and it was not on Poker Go. I thought that was going to get very little engagement, and it got like 400,000 views. So that's not common for my tweets, but I don't need that many of them to maybe reach the threshold where I can get paid. Because you, you can't just buy the blue check mark for the 8 bucks a month and then just have money roll in. It doesn't work that way. You, you're getting paid for views of your tweets. So I was wondering, well, is it possible that I have reached the threshold and don't realize it? So I responded... And then she responded back and explained that you need 6 million views in 90 days. Now, you might say to me, well, you can forget that then because there's no chance you're getting 6 million views in 90 days. Well, you'd actually be right about that, but it's not as far off as you think. Now, this month I did not tweet very much because I was on vacation for half the month, so I'm not counting August. But if you look back at the 90 days prior, I was getting probably between two and a half and three million views in those 90 days. And that was like not trying to get views. That's just me tweeting what I wanted to tweet. I've never tweeted to get views. So it made me think, okay, well, how far am I then from getting there? 
So let's say I was like at five million or five and a half million. Then I just have to try a little bit harder to tweet more and to maybe write some things that will get engagement. And that would push me over the top. The problem is being between two and a half and three million, I basically have to more than double what my views are and also count on getting these viral tweets every so often, which you can't just make. You can't just make a tweet and automatically make it go viral. So it just kind of happens. Sometimes when I write one, I think it's going to get a lot of engagement. And sometimes I write it and I think it won't, and it does. But then there's others that I think are going to get a lot of engagement and don't. So it, it can be hard to predict. But what I decided is I don't want to make this feel like a job. I'm on Twitter because I just want to be on Twitter. I just want to tweet things. And I have never been on there thinking I'm going to make money from it. So if I can just get free money for being there and doing what I'm already doing, that's great. If Elon wants to just ship me money. But if it becomes something where I have to put out effort to farm engagement just to get some small payment, it's not worth it. So I decided that at least at this time, it's not worth doing. However, let me tell you about some other people who joined into that conversation that are getting paid. In fact, some of them responded directly to me. Daniel Negranu posted his results and he is getting some money. Now, he's not getting huge money. Because remember, you know, Negreanu is a high-stakes player, and he probably gets paid a lot of money from GG. So what he's getting from Twitter is a small fraction of that. But he, he did post that he's getting something. In those responses, he had like $347 on a payment on August 17th and like $178 on August 8th. So he has already gotten like 500 bucks in a short time, which he otherwise wasn't getting. Because Negron is not tweeting for engagement like this either. He just fires off what he wants to say. So, yeah, it's nice. It's not big money, but it's rolling in. He's already gotten like 500 bucks out of this whole thing. Matt Berkey showed that he got $93 in his first payout. And you may be surprised. You may say, wait a minute. Haley Hanna got $65 and Berkey got 93 Like, wouldn't you expect Berkey to get way more? Well, that actually doesn't surprise me. For whatever reason, Berkey doesn't get a ton of engagement on Twitter compared to how well-known he is, even though he does tweet a lot, and even though he has 45,000 followers, and even though his profile did increase a lot during 2023, given all the different stuff that went on. But still, he isn't getting like huge engagement to his tweets. I'll give you an example. He posted... Eight hours ago, so it's you know obviously been some time, where he was quote tweeting his only friends podcast about that day's show, and it got sixty five hundred views. So you know that's not that exciting. When I post something, I'll usually get like an automatic thousand views. I'm talking about as as an original tweet, not where I'm replying to somebody, and I'm talking about that with him too. That when he makes an original tweet, he'll get something like that. Now, if he posts something that's really capturing people's interest, then he'll get a ton of responses. But I've seen tweets of his that are often like around that, like 6,500 views. Here's uh, another one with uh, 9,000 views. Another one with 5,800 views. So he has had other tweets which have gotten five figures in views. 
but he's not getting like massive, massive views like you might expect. So that's why he's not getting quite as much, but he is still getting enough. You know, he obviously got the 6 million views in the 90 days to qualify, as did Haley, as did uh, Negranu. I commented that I don't feel like putting the effort into this, and also, uh, you know, I, I don't want to pay for Twitter blue if I don't have to. And Joey Ingram actually remarked that this whole program is kind of in. It's it's designed to get people to do both. It's designed to get people to both sign up for Twitter Blue and commit to pay this money every month when otherwise they may not have, and also to try to engage with Twitter more. So I don't know if this is a long-term viable business model for Elon's Twitter. I don't know if paying everybody who gets 6 million impressions or more in 90 days is going to be something sustainable. This may be something that they're only doing short term to pump up the content on the platform, and then maybe they'll abandon it or lower it. Who knows what they'll do? They can change this at any time. This is just something they're kind of giving away. So it's too bad I fell short of this, and I fell short enough to where it's not worth putting the effort in for the small money. So I, I don't want it to feel like a job. But you know, Joey Ingram may be right that the whole point is to get people to start really trying to reach that goal who aren't quite there and start posting stuff that is likely to get more engagement and also to get people kind of hooked on Twitter blue. Because once you sign up for it, then it's a recurring charge. It's not asking me to send him eight bucks each month. It's just automatically going to take it out of my credit card. So that's always valuable for companies to get people on those recurring charge signups. I'm not, I'm not just talking about Twitter. I'm talking about any company. They love to get recurring charge signups where they can just count on the money rolling in and people have to do something to stop it. And a lot of times if it's a smallish charge, they're just not going to bother to do it even if they don't really need it anymore. So let's say some, someone signs up for this to attempt to get the monetization, they don't quite get there. And they're like, well, okay, now that I'm already Twitter blue and I've got the check mark, I'll just leave it there. So that I bet that's some of the thinking too. So I'm not going to fall into that trap. I'm not going to fall into Elon's trap and subscribe to this when I'm probably not going to get there, at least not right now. Some people said to me, yeah, but it has other features. If you do the Twitter blue, you get that neat little blue check mark. Plus, you can do the long tweets and you can do other things. And I said, I, I don't like the long tweets. I hate the long tweets because it just annoys me when I see someone's made a tweet and I'm just scrolling through and I normally, before that was introduced, could read everybody's entire tweet by just scrolling. So I'm reading something and I'm interested in it and I get part of the way through and it says, see more. And I click see more and instead of just expanding, it opens a whole new page. It's so tilting. I don't want to open a whole new page. And on my phone, it's even worse because it doesn't even open it in the app. It opens it in a browser. And you have to be logged in on that browser. It's, it's a shitty system. It goes against the whole aesthetic of Twitter where you're supposed to be just scrolling through and you don't have to click on anything. But here you have to click to see the rest and a whole different page opens. If I just had to click on see more and it would expand, that's fine. But it doesn't expand. It opens a new page. So I hate it. So I don't want to put anyone else through it. What Okay, what I don't understand is 
and I'm, I'm listening. You know, I'm eating. I'm finishing up, but I'm listening. If you have to pay seven ninety nine, but let's say even if you just got fifteen dollars back a month, ten dollars even, it's still a plus. You know, it's not a negative situation. Why would why wouldn't you just do it? Well, the problem is I'm going to get zero point zero. Not to pay seven ninety nine because I won't get anything right now. I'm going to get absolutely zero unless I can achieve six million views. I won't even qualify to get monetized. Wait, so Haley Hintz is getting six, or Haley? Yeah, she's getting six million views. Yes, sixty five dollars. Surprisingly, yes. So Uh, when I saw she, no shot, no offense. Well, when I saw it, I was like, wait a minute. Like, I don't think she gets that much engagement. But she must, and I just kind of must miss it. But uh, but again, I'm not that I mean, short. I'm, I'm I'm like half of where I need to be. Yeah, but do you have to aver- like average a tweet has to be that, or even if you just get one, you get like a bone. You know what I mean? Is it no, no, it's not. Tweet? It's not an average anything. It's just you add up all the views to all of your tweets in 90 days, and if you reach six million, you qualify. Oh, uh, okay. So you're probably going to be a little shy. So you'd be likely throwing away 7.99 a month. Yeah, so when well, I definitely would be. So I'm about like 45 Don't to 50 percent of it right now. Yeah, don't do it. Yeah, it was too much effort. Like, I could probably get there if I really put a lot of effort into Twitter every day, but who wants to do that for, for 65 bucks? It, like, I don't want Twitter to become, like, not fun. I don't want it to become, like, a job. So forget it. I, I would tweet a little bit more if that could put me over the top, but not, if I have to more than double my output, forget it. So that's that's why I'm not doing it. But, you know, for people like Haley Hanna and, and Matt Berkey and Negranu, who are just getting money rolling in for what they're doing anyway, because they, they have reached it, then great. And it, it makes sense, kind of, if you think about all these, you know, the H- Haley Hanna being a, th- a 30-year-old girl and uh, with uh, Negranu being who he is and Berkey who he is. So that that's, like, those, Berkey and Negranu I totally expected to qualify. Haley, because she's new to the whole... I never heard of no Haley Hanna. Well, that's because, yeah, she's new. That's why you haven't heard of her. She's she, If you haven't really been paying attention to poker Twitter as much and the spaces, she's not much on the spaces anymore, but she I was... I pay attention. What does that mean? I don't know. If, you, if, you, if you've never heard her, then if, if you've never heard of her, you're not paying that much attention. I hate to tell you. Haley, who? Haley Hannah. You sure this, you're not talking about Haley Hens? No. Is it two different people? Yes. Haley Hannah is 30 I'm years old. About, there's this nice older lady that writes these really. She uh, did the absolute poker thing or ultimate bet, maybe. Yes. I, 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 I know. Computers? Yes. She, she, is, she is a nice. Sometimes you even post on Pete. Now, that's who we're talking about. We're, we're not talking about Haley Hens, who. Wrote about the absolute poker stuff, and I like Haley Hans a lot. She, she always I like says her too. she always says hi to me at the World Series. See, this is the thing, though. When you say, "Oh, you don't follow, you don't do this," the way it's been now, and the poker, what have you, is someone just becomes a star overnight, and then everyone like talks about them like they've been forever. So I say to you one day, I say, "Why do I keep hearing about this fellow Eden Rocks? Eden Rocks? Eden Rocks?" And you're like, oh, yeah, Eden Rocks, everyone talking about him. He did this, he did this, he's doing a Spaces, you know, he's banned from Caesars, he's, he's coming on radio. And I say, where, where did this guy come from? And you're like, oh, about a week ago he started. And I'm like, a week ago? I mean, so that's all it takes. Haley Hanna has been pretty consistently on Twitter, in the poker Twitter now space here since, for, since like uh, early 2023. I start doing, seeing some photos. I'm not making this up now. And this Eden Rocks gentleman that you had on your, your fraud show, he's at this Bet Bash convention. It's a sports betting thing at the Circa. And he's doing photographed meet and greets with people, like he's uh, Don King, you know, or somebody. Like he's, just, you know, puts his. I mean, I don't understand. Is that where we're at? Well, yeah, he's, right a, he's a self promoter. That's, that's pretty obvious. 
But the point I'm making is these are all fly-by-night-in-the-pants, you know, one day they're here, the next day they're gone type people. You, me, we've been here a long time. We were calling massage parlors back in 2007. Do you remember that? Yes, yeah, so we, we have had staying power for sure. That's what I'm trying to say. So Haley Hintz, no, Haley, yeah. <laughs> Haley, Haley Hannah. Hintz, I think she has staying. No, but I'm talking about the older lady. <laughs> she has staying power. <laughs> Haley Hannah, I did the verdicts out. That's all I'm trying to say. See, would you agree? Would you agree? Would you give me that? I, I would give you that Haley Hintz has staying power in poker, and Haley Hannah right. has, has yet but to Haley prove Hannah, that. Haley Hannah, the verdict is out. Yeah, she, she hasn't proven that yet. But, uh, we don't know yet. What will really determine this is if uh, if she and uh, David Peters break up. See, if she and David Peters stay together or get married, then uh, Who's I think... David Peters? You mean Viffer? David Pete? <laughs> no, David Peters. He's a high-stakes tournament I... player. What, since last week? Or no, no, he's been around. I mean, he hasn't been around for you 10 years. He's the guy with the tattoos. No, it's no. David Pete. Buddy. No, David Pete sure. is Viffer. That's a different person. David Peters is, is more clean cut. Is that cut. talking about Viffer? Viffer is more of a degenerate. He's the tattoo degenerate from the 2000s. Hey, but listen, he's got a lovely wife. He's he does. He's two beautiful girls. So I think he's won overall. He has. He's done well. I mean, for you that. Know. In, in that department, he's yeah. done well. He, in the family department, he's done well. I'll give him that. So say you're like, we'll just say, LeBron James. Okay, now I know these guys get paid money. Like you tweet this for a line, you know, and then like Kellogg pays you. Or maybe it's more like makeup companies, people that don't have names. You know, people do that, like that, that one girl from Armenia. The, the Remember the sisters? They have a show? Yeah. The father was an attorney. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So For the OJ? Yeah, Kardashians, yeah. yeah. So, you know, they, yeah, right, the Kardashian. They, so they do that, they get paid. But say someone like LeBron James. So say he just tweets normal, he's not, you know, doing nothing. He just, you know, writes about this, that, something. Now, and he has the blue check mark, I guess. I don't know if he paid for it or if they just gave it to him. Now, does he have to enroll? Does he say, okay, this is my address? How do they mail him a check? I yeah, I do, you do have to enroll. Thing. Yes, you do have to enroll, so they probably will get away with not paying people who don't enroll. So what I'm saying is people that are ultra, ultra rich that don't even care about it are, are not getting their, you know what I'm yes. saying? They're not yes. getting their, their dough. Yeah. So someone like LeBron James, say he enrolls, say his agent enrolls him for him, and he does a tweet. What are these top end celebrities potentially like the biggest? Who's who's the biggest? Well, I'm not okay. So I'm not I'm not like, sure. Who's got the most followers. I, I don't even know, but I'm not sure how the the formula is to calculate the amount you're going to get. Remember on MySpace that one guy that was always your friend first? Yeah, that was Tom. He was the creator. Was that that's a real person? Not only is he a real person, he either dated or tried to date uh, former poker pro Liz Lou. Do you know about that? No, I didn't know. I never heard that story. Tom was at was, one point in my MySpace career. Just so you know, my only friends were you, Mike Con, uh, Genocide, and Tom. Huh? Tom was. Uh, I think he's I the same age as me. With Tiffany Michelle. I uh-huh. think he's the same age as me. You're very close, and and he he was a uh, a white computer guy who really mm-hmm. liked Asian women, which seems to be very common in the white computer guy world. That, uh, but he, he was very, Maybe that's very... that's why I never got into computers. Well, you don't have to. I mean, I well, was... you were a computer... Right, computer I, I was I was a white computer guy ever... who just uh, didn't really go that direction. But uh, most of them did, that I seemed to encounter. You never dated an Asian lady? It's not never, it just wasn't that common for me. I thought, didn't you have something with Poker Snoopy at one point? No. <laughs> well, I, I will say this, though. You know, I, I don't know if I ever told this story. 
a few years ago, it was before COVID, I think it was 2019, Poker Snoopy offered me $1,200 to drive her to Las Vegas in her car. Well, that's funny. From, I don't know if she was still around. From Com- yeah, she's still around. I mean, it's you a- know, I haven't heard that name in forever. Yeah, yeah. She, so she was, she was playing uh, at Commerce, and she, was ver- she just played a long session. She was very tired, and she wanted to get back to Las Vegas and was too tired to drive. So this is actually a compliment to me because she was looking for someone. She wanted to get her car back and herself back to Vegas, and how does she do that if she can't? If she's too tired to drive. So she was kind of looking around Commerce, and, and at, especially at the same table, of people she knew that she could trust that she could just go to sleep in the car and and that she could well, trust we're not going to molest her or do anything. Uh, you know why? Because I guarantee she probably got a referral from Haley Hanna. Because <laughs> of the one, remember? You're connecting all the stories. Remember the girl stories. who drove, the, the, you know, you drove her in the car? Yeah. And she didn't, unmolested to the hotel. Every, everybody in my car goes unmolested, so. Yeah, okay, you, so listen, getting back to Twitter, though. So LeBron, whoever the top person in Twitter in the world is, like, you know, the top 10 with followers, I don't know. Say they enroll, what would you just guess they get? The most followed people. Okay, like, say the Dalai Lama, or even, like, Trump, or, you know, just people that have millions, 15 million, 20 million followers, like LeBron or Leonardo DiCaprio or Jennifer Aniston. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't even know, but that's a good question. I'd have to know the formula. I don't know the formula. Like, I didn't bother to look. But I would your guess. Like, just giving me, like, a ballpark. For those kind of people, is it potentially tens of thousands, like 10,000 a month? Oh, yeah, easily, easily. especially if they tweeted. Now, if you just tweet once in a while, you're not going to get that much because it's based on your total views. Is there a cap on this? I don't know. I didn't look into it too much because I think I thought it didn't affect me, and it turns out it doesn't. But I'm not as and, far as I thought as I thought I was. And this money comes from Twitter's revenue, meaning you know their advertisers, yeah. or whatever that pay them. Yeah, Elon's just shipping you money. Oh. Yeah, but it's kind of strange because then if you kind of look at, it, I guess the people that would be getting it are the people that lead it, that lead it, need the money the least. Like of all the celebrities enrolled in this, you know they'd be the ones getting the. And of course, you're going to have some fly by night you know, social media influencers, but you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I know a lot of them don't need the money as much, but it it will, it will help the people who have a good following, but couldn't quite get much monetization out of it. So they're not going to get big money, but they, this, this will be helpful. It'll just be free money that rolls in that they weren't getting before. Uh, But I want to finish the poker Snoopy story though, since we, we brought it up. Oh, So so do you, do you think I agreed to do this to drive her back? So she was convinced that, uh, I was safe enough $1,200 to, to drive her back in her car. I assume she would pay for the gas and then just drop her off where she lived there with her car. And then I'd have to be on my own to get back to LA. Wait, you're asking me if I, did you do it? Do you, do you think I did it? It's the question. No, because the fact that you just said that I assume she would pay for gas means that you didn't. Oh, okay. I gave it away. Yeah, okay. So I, I, but if you I didn't say s- that word, then I would have thought about it quicker, a little longer. But no, you didn't do it because you didn't know if she even pays for gas. No, I didn't do it. I, I gave the tell because it shows that I didn't know what she would have done. And that means I didn't do it. But. Uh, you were probably tired yourself from playing. No, I wasn't tired. You it just, didn't want to leave or the game was too good. And you no, it wasn't any of that. It was just a pain in the ass. It wasn't enough money. I briefly considered it, and then I said, you know what? I, first of all, I have to pay in some way to get back from there because I'll have no car. I'll have to fly back and then get back from the airport. So I'm not going to get 1200 clear anyway. Second, that – Oh, I didn't think about that. Yeah, second, yeah, second, second I, it's, it's going to waste a lot of time. 
So like, now, it, hold on. If she would have included a one-way air ticket or one-way you know plane ticket on Southwest or something back, and she paid for that, but that's it. Like no Ubers from the airport to your home or whatever it may be. Would you no, have I wouldn't. Have, it's just it's just too much of a pain in the ass. It, it, it just yeah. takes up too much time. And I, so I, what would have been your number? I couldn't come up with it. I was thinking like, how much would I have done this for? So like, if she said ten thousand dollars, I would have said, okay, I snap call, let's do it. If she said fifteen hundred, I still would have said no. So I I don't know what the number would have been. I was at least flattered that I was the first one she asked, and it's because. We used to play all the time on Poker Stars, and she's aware. You know, so we've always gotten along. She sees me at the table. Like she, she doesn't know me super well, but she knows enough ab- about me, and I've been around long enough and all that to know that she could just. I mean, she, she said her plan is just going to get in the car, sleep the entire way because she was very tired, and I would just drive. So you, you do have to, when you're a woman, you do have to trust that the dude driving you is not going to try to molest you when you're sleeping there. So I was at least flattered that, despite not knowing me super well, that she felt she knew me enough to where she could totally trust me not to uh, do anything like that. Known you online for almost 20 years. Well, you're right, right. That's about as well as you can know someone online. Yeah, and and I'd played with her a number of times in uh, Commerce and Bellagio Did you ever find out the backstory? Why does she need to be to Vegas that fast? Why she, she told me, but I forgot. She told me, but I forgot. Huh? But I, I think whatever it was, she needed. To, she, it was she wanted to be back that day for some reason and played too long of a session at Commerce and then was way too tired to drive back. And there's like crack. Well, I could take a flight back or something, but then I won't have my car. And so, so she really just wanted to get herself and her car back. And I said, so yeah. I said. I just said, no, I'm sorry. I, I, just, I, I didn't even go into like a negotiation thing. I just said, no, I'm sorry. I just I'm not available to do it. But. I thought that was interesting. I was the first one she asked there. That's a nice compliment. It was a nice compliment. I'm like, okay, well, at least Poker Snoopy trusts me, though. That's nice. Anyway. uh, So out of Poker Snoopy and then the other Haley's, two out of three of them, you've at least been asked to drive them distances in your car. Well, sort of. It was a reverse with with the other Haley, where the other Haley did not ask me for a ride and was just going to walk back. And, you know, I'd been hanging out with her at the party and talking to her a lot. And and so I said, do you have a car here? She said, no. I said, are you going to get back? I'm going to walk. I said, no, don't don't do that. I was was just driving. She said, oh, no, you don't have to do that. I said, no, no, I I insist. Now, if it had to happen, it could only happen organically. Like, you can't influence the action. What could one potentially lay on a wager that in the next five years you give Haley Hannah a ride somewhere, and then you would have the trifecta? What would it be? What would a true odds be? Five I, years, but you can't influence it. You just have to go about your life. I, I, th- I think it's pretty low. I've never met her, and I, I just don't see where... So it's like, high, you mean. The odds are high. Yeah, the odds, that's what I mean. Like, the, the chance is low, as I mean, yeah. So I yeah. haven't met her, and I, I think eventually I'll meet her like at the World Series, and I'll say hi to her, but like I don't see a situation where it's just like kind of like I'm alone with her, and she needs me to drive her somewhere. I just don't see that occurring. So what, like 500 to 1? Yeah, probably Too something low, like 1, that. 1,000 to 1? Probably something like that. Yeah, probably something pretty long odds. Would your mind be blown if you, someone introduces you to her and immediately she says, hey, can you give me a ride back to my hotel? That's like the first words out of the, her the, mouth. The only way I could see this funny. is, the only way I could see this is if, like, she does like to drink. She's been drunk on the Twitter spaces before. So I could mm-hmm. see something like where she's at some setting, maybe some kind of poker party or something that I happen to be at, and she's drunk and she wants to get back somewhere and she can't drive. And, and just knowing of me and my Twitter presence and everything, like kind of knowing of me thinking, okay, I bet this dandruff guy is safe to drive me back and he's not going to do anything bad. Like, th- I guess I could see where she might ask me to do it, and especially because I don't drink myself, so right. she'll see I'm totally sober. I, that's the only way I could picture this happening. Is if she yeah. were like in a now, public she place? Play and poker, she, this girl, or she just yeah, yeah, she the, yeah, she plays uh, poker, but she plays like recreationally. So 
Yeah. All right. And you said you've never met her. You've never been in the same room of. Her. I mean, have you seen her in person? I, I have. I've seen her on like Hustler Casino Live and stuff, but I've never actually no, been in the, same, in the room. same. You know, like casinos. No, I've I've never seen her in person in any way, and Got it. I've DM'd with her before, but I have not ever uh, seen her in person. Well, you should be careful. I heard that Viffer has uh, quite a temper. <laughs> so yeah. many things intersecting here. Yeah interesting well anyhow so the point is you can enroll in twitter and if you get six million views in a 90-day cycle you'll get money back is that the point yes what did I say is it six million over 90 days is that right i i believe that's what it is i i think to qualify you need that and then i think to get paid you 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 also need that I, i'm not sure if, if the qualifying then you also get paid or if you qualify first and then get paid from there i'm not sure if how that works if no you know, it's six million views Right? Is that what it is? Yes. The minimum? Yes. So I'm just saying, I know, but I'm just saying. So say one of these computer scientists that date Asian women wrote a script that just spits out tweet after tweet after tweet, and they did six million tweets, and only one person saw each one. Would you? Would that qualify? Technically, but I have to imagine there's protections written into the system to stop abuse. Yeah. All right. Makes sense. But I'm, I'm well, glad I'm glad it would be done by a, a white computer guy who likes Asians, though. So. so hold on, last question about this: If you barely cross this threshold, so say you do this, even if you don't try, but whatever, I guess you'd have to try because you'd have to enroll. But say you enroll, and you're like, all right, I'm going to give it my best shot. There's some fraud, something that people start reading about, and you just hit the six million. You hit the minimum threshold. It's like you're you get you become diamond in a day, basically. You're diamond in a day, but on the Twitter's version of it. What is the minimum payout? Like, I don't know that. I don't know that either. I, it's probably not that far from what Haley got. I have a feeling she probably been cashed in that one. Yeah. So she got sixty three dollars, sixty five dollars. She's in seven ninety nine, sixty five, and she's in say eight dollars, nine dollars, whatever. So she profited fifty five, fifty six, fifty seven dollars. But I, I think she may have had the blue check mark for some months. I, I don't. I didn't pay attention to whether she had it or not until now. And how do you do this? I mean, like, do they just send it to you, or can anyone apply? Like, is there a form that you? Yeah, you, you, you have to. What hap- Yeah, anyone can apply. You have to be a subscriber with this eight bucks a month to qualify at all, and then you have to get the right views to qualify. And then at that point, once you're qualified, you can enter your payment info, and, and then they ship it to you. And can any of this be done retroactively? Like, so say someone tweets a cat video of a cat uh, driving a car, driving a Mercedes, and it gets sixty million views. Can they register and then get something? See, I, I don't know that. That's the thing I wondered, too, if, if you can retroactively get it or if you qualify and then from that point forward you get it. I don't know that answer. You ever see those videos like a cat, he's driving a Mercedes or something, everyone thinks it's cute? I haven't seen that specific one, but I've seen the videos where it involves some yeah. animal or some kid and it gets a ton of, of uh, engagement. Right. See, for, right. for me to get engagement, right. that, except, except for the Phil Helmuth mm-hmm. thing, for me to get engagement, I either have to piss everybody off in some way that I, they say something that uh, was appropriate 10 years ago, but now inappropriate today, well, or you'd get a lot, you'd start getting money for that. You do that enough. Is your most viral, the Phil Helmuth? Uh, sadly, yes. But the, another big one was the uh, Mandy getting her money from ignition. Another big one was the whole Mandy. thing with Who's Mandy. I know that name. Mandy's the girl that won two fifty K. Mandy Minx? Yes. Mandy Minx. Yes. Is it Minx? Yes. Yeah, I know that name. Oh, hold on. Let me see if my memory doesn't uh, fail me. She was a girl 
that was a degenerate, and she was playing live slots while playing slots on the phone while reading a newspaper in her hand. And am I right? Kind of. Yes. Yes. Doing, and, like, and, and yes. And then she like, and then she hit a two fifty k jackpot on there. Yeah. And then they wouldn't pay her. And she had a news. Why did she have a newspaper in her hand? Yeah, the newspaper was later in the story where yeah she had to show a newspaper that it was really her. Oh, okay. Yeah, and it wasn't got her, her. She got paid. And then, yeah, that, so they back. were stalling her. It seemed like they didn't want to pay. They were finding every reason not to and just wouldn't give her any answers. For weeks went by, and then I got involved, and, and I, I made a tweet that blew up, and then she got paid the same day. And what, what, did, they, what did she tip you? Uh, I, I got 0.0, but I told her I didn't want it. You never got, like, she didn't say to you, I'd give you, like, a shell gas card or nothing? She asked me what I wanted from this, and I said, just come on oh, radio and talk see? about it. Oh, but do you think she meant like financially, like, or do you think she meant, I'm not saying sexually, that wasn't what I meant, the second option. I just meant, do you think she meant like, you know, financially? Yes, I, like, I think okay, she meant, that, uh, yeah, what, I think she, you, I think she was uh, asking that and I said, just come on radio. What and do you I, think you would have gotten? What do you I, think the most you could have asked for? Maybe I, I don't know. It's a good question, but I, I was like, I, I'm not doing it for this reason. Like I just, I, I thought no, this I was wrong. It. I didn't want to be like backdoor, like where I do it and then she gets it and then she's what do you want? I'm like, well, I think maybe three K is fair. Like, you know, I, I didn't want. Uh, I don't want to do this after the fact when I've gotten people their money back and then even if they bring it up. What tell, was she? Uh, do you remember what was she betting to spin? It was a lot. She like she she had lost a lot of money prior to that. I think it was like three hundred to spin and she's doing it really fast. So like she. Or That's two, insane. That's yeah, absolutely. It was insane, but. Uh, Anyway, she, at least at least she got paid the same day. They they called her up and said, "Oh, how would you like your money? How would you like your money?" Like they they so badly wanted this to be out of this uh, social media mess, and it was obviously because wow. of my tweet. And she she said that she came on radio and she said that it was obviously because of me. So that one got a lot of attention, and then the one about the Bed MGM scandal, the, like I had several tweets about that that got attention, and some. So I've gotten a number of these over over time. That well, what I, was your highest million that you got in views? No, the highest was it was the, the Phil Helmer thing, which I think got about four hundred thousand. Oh, so okay, but I guess I'm saying that in a ninety day cycle, what would you say if you had to just estimate? What do you think your highest ninety day cycle ever got? It, it probably in, was like around like, like around three million or. The thing is, like most so of these, even are, in your best moment, you're halfway. You're only halfway there. Well, the thing is, though, these are spread out. It seems like I just never, I, I don't get a lot of these at the same time. And you know, maybe better than that in the end of 2022, because I did have a few things that happened at the end of 2022 that got noticed. So, good things actually. It was actually good publicity in 2022. A secret is that the dandruff of 2022, especially the end of 2022, was better liked on poker Twitter than the dandruff of 2023. 2023 has been a little bit of a tough year in that way. But uh, in 2022, I was I was not very controversial. And it seemed like, like everything I got involved with towards the end of the year got a lot of attention. And it was positive attention. And then in 2023, it didn't quite work that way. But that's just the way it goes. You know, like I'll just inject myself into things. And sometimes it uh, meets the public approval and sometimes it doesn't. That's That's what happens when you inject yourself into things. Yeah. Well, let's hope that 2024 is a likable dandruff year Yeah, for the social. Actually, aren't we supposed to call it X now? I, I can't. Uh, I just can't do it. I, just like, I, I can't even incorrect. No, but I, like, I, I can't call the Cleveland baseball team anything but the Indians. 
and I, I can't call the Washington football team anything but uh, the Redskins. They're not even the Washington football team anymore. No, I'm just they saying generically. I know, I know that's not their name now, but uh, I. I well, do you know what their name now is? Yeah, I, I, the Commanders are stupid. I, I can't call them that. I won't call them that. But it's, they're going to be the Redskins. And when I post sports picks, I actually use the old names. I, I still refer to the Cleveland Indians. It's dumb. These are dumb reasons hmm. to change the name. It's, they should just leave it. So. Yeah, but isn't the red the term redskin? Isn't it actually literally a slur? It is, but it's been around so long. Just leave it. It's just one of these things that uh, I, I don't think there's many Native yeah, Americans that's that going to make them not like you on Twitter. Those kind of arguments. Well, no, but I don't think this has been around for so long. If it's a negative connotation that doesn't justify keeping it no but i don't think there's that many That's native americans like that are really bothered by this it's, it's something so established it's, it's not like everyone's going around calling native americans hey redskin like no one's doing that now so like so, so what if it's called that i don't think that the that, that many of them really care about this it's not it's not a big issue it's just something that if, if it's been around for so long and it was uh the, the team name was not even chosen to be offensive it's just something that kind of evolved to mm-hmm. be seen as an offensive term so, like, if, if there was a now new why team... why do some people complain and say that Atlanta Braves are offensive? What could be offensive about the word Braves? Well, they, they don't like the whole tomahawk chop. They think it's uh, stereotypical. It, it just everybody's too sensitive about everything. That's the problem. They just have to... Like, I, you know what? I've had people hassle me about this show. Some other Jewish people don't like the fact that I'll play the Hava Nagila music and, when I talk about being cheap. And... I say, look, you know, I, obviously I'm not being anti-Semitic being a Jew myself, and, and that's the reason I could do this, but I, I, I'm not perpetuating negative stereotypes and just kind of poking fun at myself and at uh, Jewish people. There are a lot of Jewish people who are cheap. I know a lot of Jew, cheap Jews, and obviously I, I don't think it's a bad trait or I wouldn't do it myself. I think being good with money and careful with money and, and getting value for your money, I think that's a good thing. I think it's a compliment. I think it's something people should strive to do. Wait, so, so you had people email you and complain, other Jews, and say you're shining a negative light on fellow Jews? Yes, I've, not, not all of them. There's, there's some Jews who listen and think it's funny, but there are some Jews who have complained to me that I'm shining a negative light on Jews by portraying myself this way and, and, and always making jokes about how I'm a cheap Jew. All right, you don't have to say yes or no, but just be silent if I'm right. Is Ari <laughs> Engel one of them? No, you know, he hasn't said that. I said you could just be silent. Okay, not, but he um, hasn't. Not, but I, I don't even want to like imply it was him. It wasn't him. But I don't know. Is he, are there other Jews in poker, or is he the only one? No, there's a lot oh, of Jews Alex in poker. Jacob. <laughs> I don't think he listens. These are people who actually listen. I to, I'm not even saying like well-known players. I'm just saying that, that some people well, who are Jewish... Something Bronstein. <laughs> I think he does listen sometimes. Actually, isn't he a Jew? Isn't yeah, he, he is, and I, he is, and I think he listens sometimes. Elia Lezer and and I'm going to put it in David Levy, like a combo one. <laughs> Elia uh, Lezer, I don't think even knows who I am. He's played with me, but like I, I don't think he. If you said Todd would tell us to him, I don't think he'd know. Um, uh, David Todd Levy, would tell us. who? Yeah, who? Who? Who's that? Who? Who who who? I, I don't, don't know him. <laughs> yeah. Does this he play poker? Remember when that Mason Malamuth? Remember when that Mason Malamuth decided to have the bright idea to have Elliot Lezard do it and ask me anything on two plus two? Yes. And that was at the height of when he owed like everyone money. <laughs> and the whole thing was God. How don't they vet those things? Yeah. That, Whatever that was... happened to him? Now that so now that the, I meant to ask you this, and we're all over the place, but. 
now that the he sold the two plus two, does and, you know, and I remember when he first sold it, you and him were fighting back and forth, and he even wrote, "Does anyone remember or ever want to know why Todd would tell us?" I don't know. He put your name in. It. What was the name of that thread? Yeah, the, the, like the, the reason Todd would tell us was banned four times, and the whole thread like backfired too. Right. What is? Does he still like post on the site? Does he still argue? With yeah, I, you know, I don't even I don't even go to two plus two much anymore. I occasionally look at it, but I, I'm not I'm not banned there. You know, I'm, no, it's I'm, a ghost town. It is it's a ghost, ghost town. town, and 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 when it's like got posts, they're just not that interesting. But uh, you know, I'll I'll check it out occasionally. But and Mason but is he will still there. Yeah, he's he's, he's still, still there. He, he basically kind of just retired. Like he just uh, he doesn't run any forums anymore. He, he's still got his little uh, publishing company. I don't know how much it does anymore. And then he goes and plays 2040 at uh, Bellagio and looks miserable the whole time. He just he just uh, wrote a book somewhat recently. I'm not making this up, man. You'd think he'd have to be, but he wrote some book about uh, something like what I would do to make poker rooms better. Something like that. That's not the name, but it's similar. That's what... You know, the oh, I know. I was almost banned. I was almost banned over that because I was trolling him about it, and then, and then the Russians there who own it now messaged me and said, "Look, you know, uh, I understand you two have history, and I, you know, we're trying not to ban people, but you know, you can't just keep trolling Mason about his books like this. We're going to have to ban you. So, you know, please, you know, please think about this." So I responded back to them. I said, "Okay, I'm sorry. You know, we do have a lot of history, but it's it's your site now. I understand if you don't want me doing this." I won't, but however, if he starts up with me, I, I, I'm just going to, I'm just letting you know I am going to respond and insult him. But if, if he doesn't start up with me, I won't start up with him. That's what I said back to them. So, huh. that, so but, he sent a tweet to the poker room manager at Aria telling him that he would like bring him a free copy of the book. Like, how arrogant <laughs> is that? And of course, like, I went back and I checked a few days later, crickets. The, he died, Aria, what the, is it? Sean McCormick? I think that's his name. Well, yeah, but he's Whatever. not, the, he, now he's the manager of all the MGM rooms, but yeah. Okay, well, that's who he tweeted at, telling him, he, oh, I'll come by on Wednesday or whatever and drop you off a book of, you know, and the book's called, like, literally, what was the name of the book? I don't want to keep saying it wrong. Yeah, like, 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 like Poker Rooms, how, how to Make Them Better or something like that. Yeah, I, I don't remember the name either, but something around those, yeah. along those lines. It was crickets. How arrogant is that guy that he thinks he could be dropping off to the poker room manager of, you know, the biggest property on the Strip, you know, arguably... A book on how to—it's just unbelievable. He—he's—he's. He's, did it, did it ever come out what he sold two plus two for? No, but I, I think it was for a lot of money to these crypto Russian Ukrainian guys, and uh, I, I think that they way overpaid for it because they had a lot of crypto money. That's that's my impression of the whole thing. Why they bought it, but I don't know. Even even if that's the case, though, there's no chance he sold it for what he could have. At the peak. Oh yeah, correct? yeah. No, no. He, he he could have sold it for way more at the peak, but though it did make him money for a long time, like a lot of money. So yeah. it sold for much less, but he did get a lot of money out of it. And then when he did sell it, it was worth much less than it sold for. Is my guess. I don't know what it sold for, but this is my guess, and that's why he let it go. I was surprised at first to hear he let it go because it was kind of his baby, but. I think that he was just kind of burnt out with running it, and he was offered way more than it was worth, so he just took it and just figures he could still participate there, which he does. And yeah, yeah. So it's it's well, it's probably best that you know he, for him, he's probably thinking if this spirals any more into a fail site, then it's almost embarrassing. Like you know what I mean? Yeah, like that he sits on it when it has. Well, no well the, the funny thing was when so. when he played with me. Like whenever I play with him, he never says a word to me. 
Like he's never said one word to me ever when we've played. So I got. He doesn't to go- talk to anyone. Yeah, I know. But but so we got we got up. To, I got up to go to the bathroom, and someone else was at the table who he didn't realize knew me. So he gets a phone call, or he makes a phone call. It was worse. He actually makes a phone call, and and then talking to this person a little bit, and then says, "Yeah, Todd Whittles is at the table. Yeah, 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 he's here. I think he's waiting for forty eighty. Yeah, so then, like, that person texts me while I'm in the bathroom on the toilet. This person's texting me. Mason's talking about you on the phone. I'm like, what the fuck? So I was asking, well, what's he saying? He said, not much, just about Todd Whittles is here. And something about how he's probably waiting for 4080. And I go, well, did someone call him? He said, no, it looks like he called them. I was like, who is Mason reporting to that I'm there? So I'm thinking, what could this be? I, I'm like, knowing Mason. His wife, I don't. He doesn't have any friends, I don't think. So I was trying to figure this out, and I'm thinking, well, this couldn't be like someone that doesn't like me that he wants to see come down and confront me. But like, like it just didn't seem like him that he would do that, and and uh, it just wasn't no, in no enforcer. Yeah, I didn't think he's sending down an enforcer to do it. It's like, uh, so I'm like, okay, I don't know what this is. It's so weird. So, so then I came back, and he actually was gone. And then I posted about it right afterwards on two plus two. And asked, why did you do this? And then people thought, you know, the people were responding, wow, that's so weird. So they were, the people were bashing him that he did this. So then he responded and admitted that he did it. And the explanation was, was so bizarre. He said that there's someone who listens to my show that knows I'm a Limit Hold'em player and also plays Limit Hold'em. And thinks I'm a good player and and wanted to witness my play style in person to let him know when I was down there so the person could come by and and watch me play or so, so he called up to inform the guy it's it's really weird I didn't believe that story it sounded like complete bullshit so I I think he was probably just like he just wanted to vent to someone that he was that I was there at the table with him and when I stood up or may, maybe he was calling the guy for another reason and then and then mentioned it so yeah. But it was so weird to claim, and it wasn't even, the funny thing is the explanation was kind of complimentary towards me, that the guy thought I was a good player and wanted to see me play. So that was kind of, it's kind of weird, as he's almost like complimenting me in the explanation, and people just thought that was even more bizarre, and saying, so wait, so you have some anonymous friend who wants to watch Todd play because he listens to his show and likes him, and this person can't just ask Todd to come down. Like, why do you have to report it behind his back? And I said, yeah, that's a good point. Why is this behind my, why is this a secret? Like uh, if this person exists the way he explains, why wouldn't this person just ask me, Hey, next time you're at the Bellagio, yeah. let me know. And I'll come down. Like, well, the, why would he have to go through Mason? It's a weird, I don't believe the story at all. I think it's just, he was gossiping on the phone. And how, how could he think nobody at the table knows me and would tell me this too? Like, it's such a stupid thing too. So sure enough, someone did and told me. Very weird, but whatever. Well, okay, let's, well, let's move on here. Uh, let's let's talk about the Cosmo and the identity program. Good. You know what? Because I want to say, and I'll, I'll get it ready while you're talking about it. What we discussed privately uh, the other night, it's now posted on their website. Actually, oh so damn I'm it! Pull it up so I can. Damn read it! it. I, actually, I, I'm not happy about this. I I actually was hoping it was not posted because I promoted at the beginning of this show that this is a poker fraud alert exclusive, and you can't find this anywhere on the web. And the exclusive was actually from you because you had found this out, and uh, I was not going to say it well, was from you. Not all of it's on the web, but they they posted a little bit more information uh, very very quietly and 
very subtle on the Cosmos site. Okay, so well, I'll, you, I'll you can, can read it in a second. Yeah, but uh, yeah, Brandon told me some things about this conversion, which I'll explain to you guys in a second. And, and I th- thought, wow, this is a Poker Fraud Alert exclusive. We can be ahead of everybody here. And of course, they must have been listening into Brandon's phone calls or maybe mine. And they said, we better beat him to the punch. So as you guys know, I think it was two shows ago, I mentioned that the Cosmopolitan rewards program, which is called Identity, is finally going to be rolled into MGM Rewards. And this has been delayed multiple times because Identity customers at the Cosmo didn't want it. They liked the Identity program. They did not want to be rolled into MGM Rewards. And every time Cosmo was considering doing it, people would get pissed off and they would keep delaying it. So they they finally nailed down a date that they're definitely going to do it, as I've mentioned before. And that was February 1st, 2024, which is the beginning of the new MGM M-Life, or that's not called that anymore, but I still call it that, MGM Rewards year. It, it, It begins February 1st. All the benefits there begin February 1st every year, just like they do at Caesars. So that was the date they picked. And they announced it formally. So while they could still change it, it's likely it is going to stay, even though people are still complaining about it. So I, that's what I announced. But what I did say was that they had not announced exactly how this conversion is going to go and exactly how the status matching is going to work because you're going to get the better of the two statuses you have. So if, if you're higher at uh, MGM Rewards, you'll keep that status. If you're higher at Cosmo then you'll get that status at MGM Rewards or whatever they deem equivalent. The question was, what will they deem equivalent? And that is part of this story. And for Cosmo players, this is going to be very disappointing. So MGM has more tier levels than Cosmo has, and that causes a bit of a problem with the conversion. So the MGM rewards levels are as follows. If you get a basic card, if you just sign up for the program and haven't played at all, your card is Sapphire. So Sapphire is the bottom level. It's like gold at Caesars. The next one up is Pearl. Pearl, really the only thing you get out of it that's worth anything is the free parking, the free self-parking. You can get an MGM Pearl card, by the way, by getting the MGM Rewards credit card, which has no annual fee, and you'll be a Pearl while you have the credit card. So that's a good way to avoid parking charges at all MGM properties. But that's the next one up, is Pearl. Then Gold is the middle level card at MGM. And that one, the big thing is you get the resort fee waived, which is a newer benefit that wasn't originally the benefit, but that's a newer benefit to resort fees waived, kind of like diamonds at uh, Caesars. And you also get the $100 dining credit, which is similar to the $100 celebration dinner at Diamond at Caesars. So it's similar to Diamond at Caesars. Platinum is the highest regular level at MGM Rewards. And then above that is Noir, which is invitation only. We're basically like a, uh, there's a committee there that reviews play manually and decides based upon all of your play whether you're deserving of a noir card. So you can't just reach a certain 
number of tier points, you actually have to meet their approval that you're a degenerate enough gambler at high enough stakes on a regular basis to get no R. So that's invitation only. The rest of them you just reach let's, by... Let's back up for one second. Uh, also with gold, as you said, you get a $100 dinner, celebration dinner. Platinum, it goes up to 200 the dinner, and no R is 500 Yeah. So they basically copied what Seven Stars receives at Caesars and Diamond receives, and they've thrown in an extra 100 to make it two for Platinum. Yeah. And this is a blatant... I mean, I don't know, blatant because it's whatever it is, but this is a pretty close to a duplicate version of what Caesars has had for a, a decade now, plus. Yeah, so and, and keep in mind the whole, the whole rewards tiers and all that, that was ripped off from Caesars in the first place. They they were the originals of this. Uh, it was actually Harrah's back then, but they, they were the originators of this, and then all the other casino companies have copied it. But th- this is real copy now at this point, as, as Brandon mentioned. Anyway... Um, to quickly compare it to Caesars, though this story is not about Caesars, Sapphire is like Caesars Gold, Pearl is like Caesars Platinum, Gold at MGM is like Caesars Diamond, and then Platinum Noir are, are, are kind of like uh, both stand-ins for so seven stars. Basically, no, Platinum is basically like Diamond Plus to Diamond Elite, and Noir is seven stars. Yeah, I guess that's you're right. I, I guess that's true. Okay, so, uh, and, so anyway, Cosmo, the problem is there's only four levels. There is uh, Velvet is the bottom one at the Cosmo Identity. That's real cute. A Velvet, huh? Yeah. Real cute. Very cute. I thought so, too. Then above that is Sterling. Then above that is uh, Gold. And above that is Platinum. So Platinum is the top. Now, the names are pretty close to MGM. If you ignore this, the cute velvet and the, and the sterling versus the pearl, they both have mm-hmm. gold and platinum. Now, there's no noir over at uh, Cosmo, but you would think, okay, just eliminate noir then. It, it, you, you, it seems pretty obvious to me that the fair way to convert these is that if you're a platinum at Identity that you'll become platinum at MGM for one year. And if you don't maintain it, then you lose it. And if you're gold at Identity, you get gold at MGM. If you're sterling, then you'll get pearl at MGM. And if you're the very cute velvet, you'll get the not-so-cute sapphire at MGM. That's what would seem mm-hmm. fair to me. But that's not what they're doing. And that's that was going to be part of the breaking news, which is now not so breaking. But unfortunately, the gold at Identity, Brandon, what is that going to become? The gold is going to only get you pearl. Yeah, that's the, and then platinum is going to get you gold. So you you're basically one level behind where you should be from identity to MGM. Because remember, I you're not going to get an identity level because that identity is going away completely on February first. So that's pretty crazy. Now here's the one small caveat, just for fairness. Uh, I, this isn't on Cosmo's website, but it is on the MGM. I read the Cosmo first. The conversions are all the same, but on the MGM part of it, it does say that they will combine points. So in essence, if I had that earned, okay, because they're using a point system. Yeah. So in other words, so in other words, at Cosmo to get gold. I have to look. I think it's 50,000 tiers you need. Is that correct? Is it 50 or 75? I have to look it up. Yeah, I don't have it in okay. front of me either. So, yeah, I'll look real fast. But the, the point being, 
if you played pretty strong at both properties, okay, you might be okay. Okay, but that's not how it normally works. Like, you know, normally you, you know, you focus on one property. I mean, you know, the ultra uber, uber high rollers, obviously, you know, I'm sure there's some that fire big time at multiple properties. Um, but if you just play only, if you've only played at Cosmo or you played, you know, small and moderate at, at MGM, it's, it's not going to do anything for you. So anyhow, what, what sucks about this, for instance, is like most casinos, you know, at least like Caesars, and I don't really know a lot of the other brands, but probably they do the same thing. When you earn a tier level, as soon as you earn it, you'll have it for that year, whether that year is like you earn it in January. You know, you're a big high roller, you earn gold in January, a month into the new year. So you would have it for that whole year, and then you get it for the next year as well. So someone might say, well, why did that, you know, why are you concerned so much about next year? The reason why is the way these programs are marketed is that you're going to reap the benefits of what you've just earned, okay, or, or what that level provides you for that year and the next year as well. So in other words, let's take Caesars. Iron Diamond at Caesars. So I get the $100 celebration dinner. Okay, I get my free nights at the Bahamas. I get my no resort fees. I get to go to, uh, uh, what is it, the uh, Arab Emirates? Is that where I would go for two nights? Yes, if you desire. One of the, one of the most underrated offers, by the way, in, in all the casino industry history of reward cards. I mean, people don't even talk about this. If you get Diamond at Caesars, you get two nights. And all you have to do is fly to the United Arab Emirates, Todd. <laughs> Why aren't more people doing this? Oh, there's no casino there, too, and no alcohol. Why are more people doing this? It's it's very attractive. And if you do the wrong thing there, they can chop off your fingers or maybe even your head. Yeah. Okay, so you earn all those benefits for that year, but then the good part is, and they market this to you. They tell you that as an incentive. You get the same benefits the next year. So if you're Diamond at Caesars, oh, next year I get a Diamond Celebration Dinner, too. Next year I can go to the Emirates. Next year, I can go to the Bahamas. You mean next year, I don't have to pay resort fees? Yep, 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 yep. Okay. So, like all other casinos, the Cosmos Identity Program, okay, as soon as you earn a status, not only will you have it for that year, but they've heavily marketed year after year after year after year that you'll have the same perks the following year. Okay. So, for instance, let's just go to gold again. Gold is the second highest. Okay. Offer. So what will you get as a gold member? Okay. Well, you know, you get your normal line passes and things of that nature. You get a buy one, get one free buffet every day, which, you know, if you like the buffet, that's a pretty decent perk. That's literally, you know, who's going to eat a buffet every day, but that's literally 50, 60, $70 every single day. No resort fees. Okay. Well, that's great. You know, no parking. Okay. No fees for parking, no fees for valet. I mean, Jesus, I just saw the sign the other day. It's $45 out there on the weekend. The valet, it's a lot of money. $45. Bucks. You, go, you go from free a couple of years ago to 40 free for everyone, to $45 you know, in, in just a handful of years. And then you know, their main selling point for gold, at, again, this is identity, which is Cosmo, is they offer something. It's a, and it's cute. It's kind of cute like Sterling or cute like your velvet. They offer a perk that, to my knowledge, no other casino in America offers. 
they give you two guaranteed free nights, okay, while you're gold a year, and two companion nights to go with it, which means I go to Cosmo, I have two free nights anytime I want, and my buddy Todd, he's in town because he wants to take one of the Haley's somewhere, okay? A very sweet. I booked Todd a room, huh? I just saying very sweet. Yeah, so I book myself a room, and then at the same time, I book my friend Todd a room, or maybe even a room for him in one of the Haley's, if that's what it is. I mean, I don't ask him what he's doing. You know, he wants to do that with the older one, the younger one, or even the poker. Say Poker Snoopy needs the ride back, okay, and Todd needs a nap before, you know what, he's got a room with me. And you, know, you can use both nights at once. You can break them up, but, you know, it's kind of cute. I mean, you have to admit the companion thing is kind of cute, right? You get a room, you get another room for your companion. So, but the selling point is you get the same perk next year, too. You've earned it. You know, so, oh, I'm going to get this this year. I'll get it next year, too. So what's happened now is they've announced that once MGM and Cosmo merges, you will lose basically, or not basically, you will just lose 11 months of whatever perks you've earned the year before that they've marketed to you. So in essence, unfortunately, uh, any perk that I want that, that I can redeem, I have until January 24th of 2024. I only have one month out of 12 months to use it all up. Um, and obviously, like, you know. It, it may be worse than that, actually. Ways, I, I think you might be missing something. Um, does it all reset on on the Cosmo? Does it all reset on January first in a typical year? I'm not talking about next year, but like a typical year. Does the no, benefits? It's a, cal- it's a calendar. It's a calendar year. Okay. Okay. So, so you do have one month. So, okay. So, in other words, so so in other words, when I okay, so I, you know, I'm just throwing out days and times. So, if you earn gold, say July fourth of 2023, okay, it does. It won't reset until July of 2024. That's when it resets. Oh, it's a full year from when you earn it. That's very different than the other programs. I didn't know that. Yep, it is. Absolutely, Uh. 100%. So so the good news, I guess, technically is the one thing I was a little disgruntled about when I heard about it was, you know, I am gold there, and I don't play at MGM. I never do. I haven't gambled there in – maybe I've put like a 20 in a video, you know, poker machine when I've had a friend in town or someone staying there – but I'm not, I don't, you know, table games. I mean, we're talking maybe a hundred dollars in, in, you know, video poker over years and years. So the one thing I was perturbed about was that I had these two nights and the two companion nights next year that I had a whole, you know, I haven't told when my gold renews at the end of next year to use. And I was afraid I was going to lose them. So I went to two different people that work at the identity desk and I also made a phone call, and I was told if I don't want to lose them, I have to book them and use them before the end of January, before the merger starts. If I don't, starting February 1st, they'll be gone, even though I, I would technically have about eight months, eight more months left to use them. So they'll be gone. Parking, since I'll be degraded to Sapphire, I have to pay for. Resort fees, which I would have free for next year, gone i have to pay for because i'm going to be downgraded to sapphire uh valet which i don't use but still you know it's a nice perk to have have to pay for all the other benefits a two-for-one buffet line passes and you know any of your tier status gone okay before you know on february 1st um you know i'll be downgraded from 
gold to sapphire. And if you were platinum there, which is, you know, it's a certain high level degree to get to, uh, you have to use your five hundred dollar uh, credit, or I'm sorry, it's three hundred there at the Cosmo. You get a three hundred dollar like dining credit to your room, or you know, resort credit. I should just say, you get the complimentary nights. Any of that still got to use by January thirty first. Has to be booked. Now the problem is going to be everyone's rushing to book theirs, and then when you call and you're going to ask, they're going to be blacked out because when they give you these free rooms, it's never like you know you just pick the day, you pick the time, you know, or you know the month, you know. I wanted to use them hypothetically for the Super Bowl. Say this program was going to still exist during the Super Bowl. You would call and they'd tell you, sorry, sir, those days are blacked out. You want to use them during the race, the, you know, the Formula One race, those days are blacked out. They're constantly having blackout dates because when they get to high you know, or low availability times when the hotel they believe is going to be sold out due to various events and things of that nature, they put a restriction on the rooms. When they have paying customers or the biggest of high rollers, why would they want to bring people in that, aren't going to pay any revenue when, you know, rooms are going for, you know, and that's the thing at the Cosmo, especially, I, I think probably, I mean, it, they may, I, I'm not sure, but they may have the most expensive nightly rack rate, uh, you know, for standard rooms versus any other property. Um, their most basic room, just to give people a little background, their most basic room is called the city room and city view room and those are the only rooms on the property that uh that don't have balconies that's the big selling point if if you've never stayed there for you know the listeners uh is that the cosmos like 95 percent of the property has a balcony like an old school balcony where you literally could you know i'm not saying this to be funny but you know you could jump off if you wanted to i mean there's nothing you know obstructing it you know so you have a great view you can see you know Blasio fountains, the city, even the mountain view. And people like it because, they, you know, I'm, I don't do this. I'm not judging, but, you know, if you want to go out there and smoke marijuana, you want to say you are, you know, a tobacco smoker, or even just to have like your breakfast on, on the terrace, on the balcony, you know, people like that. And other than the summertime when it's so brutally hot, when it's, you know, a little colder and the weather's nice, it's really enjoyable just to kind of sit out on a real balcony and just, you know, have a conversation. There's some little couches out there and a table. Anyhow. So the basic room is a city room. There's not a lot of those in the property, but that's their entry-level basic room, and they don't have a balcony. Everything else above it does. And those rooms in general, um, sometimes, like during the slowest parts of the season, you can get them, you know, maybe in the low 200s, but they're normally, like, starting at, like, 3 350 And then anything else, you know, then from there they go to a one a one-bedroom terrace studio, which is kind of like a mini-suite you know, those end up anywhere in the high threes to like fives and sixes. And then you go to like a one bedroom suite, executive suite, wraparound suite, you know, it just goes up and up and up. So these are high end rooms, you know, and these are rooms that are in demand and these are expensive rooms. You know, I think at the wind, for instance, which you could compare like luxury wise to the, the Cosmo, you know, you could commonly get rooms there like in the high 100s for their entry level, you know, talking like a double you know, a king or two queens, those type of rooms. But Cosmo, you know, hundred, maybe even several hundred dollars more, just depending. So anyhow, that's kind of the backstory on that. And uh, they've kind of just, you know, a lot of people kind of feel like that MGM has disrespected those that are loyal to, that have been loyal to Cosmo. Um, 
to give a little bit more, you know, Todd has a history of Cosmo. He can jump in here. When Cosmo first opened, Todd stayed there a bunch, and, and you know, they had some good offers, and I did as well. And then I kind of had a lull for like 10 years where I didn't really go there. I didn't have any offers. I didn't do anything. And then, strangely enough, and this is one, I guess, just to tell you how desperate uh, casinos got in Vegas during COVID, after 10 years of only being there when, like, someone was in town to have a meal or something, never playing, never gambling, never stayed there, they randomly, after 10 years of no play, sent me an offer when the casinos just opened up after COVID, like, literally weeks after reopening. And they sent me an offer for three nights to stay there, complimentary and some nominal food credit and uh, resort, some nominal resort credit and free play. So I booked it and uh, I ended up really enjoying myself there and said, wow, I kind of miss this. And since then, you know, that's really the only casino on the strip that I've patronized. But the Cosmo kind of had this really loyal, uh, really niche place. Like they do, they do things, okay, or they did things, they do things differently than other casinos did. They just ran it differently. Their customer service was great. Their programs were just different. Everything about it was kind of different. And that built up a real, real loyal following. I mean, really, there are a lot of people that, that the Cosmo is their place and they love, you know, identity and they love their restaurants and they love the way they, you know, they did things. And there's just a lot of little quirks and, you know, cool little things that they would offer you or do for you that other casinos didn't. A little bit almost like kind of like a throwback in time. So, and this isn't just my opinion and, you know, I'm saying, well, why, how do you know how other people feel? Well, you know, I've been there enough that I, I you know, spoke and, and have befriended employees and other customers and I read on Reddit and other message boards. That, you know, and that's how I, I came to that opinion that a lot of people are just turned off. Their fear was when MGM came in, they were going to take this little boutique you know, because the Cosmo is a very, very small property. It's very small. They're going to take this little boutique-type hotel and, you know, take all the things about it that made it special and, and, you know, just change it. And, of course, you know, MGM repeatedly said, no, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. And because people were kind of outraged about it, uh, even though MGM now has owned the Cosmo for over two years, they, could, they basically left the Cosmo alone. Now, there were a couple little things that they changed that I noticed, uh, you know, right away or, you know, within short order. One example I can give you is that when I started patronizing the Cosmo, after they sent me that initial teaser type of offer, they were sending me three nights constantly, constantly, constantly. Then when MGM and the sale went through, it went down to two nights and nothing in my play changed. Nothing in my activities, the way that, you know, I acted changed. And it was literally very simultaneous to the takeover. The Cosmo, I know this is silly, but I'm just going to tell you guys. So for the last four years now, almost, you know, three years. Well, when, when did the casino, when was the shutdown drop? 20, was it July of 2020? It, it was 2020. No, it was March, March 2020. Okay, and and it reopened, and they reopened, and I want to say it was July. Yeah. Okay, so it's like three three years and like two months now. So what they did, or what they've done for all those years, is they would send me every week this beautiful blue little envelope, and it would have your weekly offering. And it's a, it, you know, it's kind of amazing. Like they would spend money. It's, it's almost like 
probably not as high end as like, you know, a quality wedding invitation or engagement or whatever, but something to that degree. It's glossy and it's in this big blue envelope. And even though they'd mail it to you, you know, in most casinos, just e- or, I'm sorry, even though they would email it to me as well, they always send out their offers in this be- big, beautiful, purple, like bright purple envelope. So what it would normally be, it would, would be some amount of free play. In my case, I would get, it's a weird number, but I'd get $145 every single week. And we're talking like for years now, three years, $145 every single week. And then they would send me $50 in food a week or uh, two buffets for free. And, you know, some people are going to laugh and be like, well, that's nothing. Well, you know, A, I didn't gamble there a lot. You know, I mean, you know, I gambled there, but not a ton. You know, it was definitely fair for what I, for the play I gave them. I never had a, a gripe or a complaint. Um, and the other question, you know, other statement you can say is a lot of the strip casinos don't really market to locals, you know, much. So it was nice that they tended to care about, you know, locals and they wanted locals in there. So anyhow, you know, the free play, 145 a month, and then I'd get 50, I'm sorry, a week, and then I'd get $50 in food, okay, or two buffets. And, you know, I've been to that buffet so many times. In fact, I, you know, I took Todd there. Real fast before we go further, and I'm almost done, what was your impression of the buffet when we went? Well, how would you rate it versus other buffets? Just what do you remember that? What well, okay, I, I'm not a huge buffet guy, um, so I'm not the best one to rate buffets. I've always felt that buffets, to some degree, even the good ones, even the really good ones, substitute quantity for quality. So I always like just regular food at a restaurant better than buffet food, uh, typically. There, there, there's better buffets and worse buffets, but I'm not one who loves buffets or gets excited by them. But if if made available to me, then I'll go. So uh, Brandon did. Well, you know, over the years, you've been to you know you've been to the Bellagio. I would guess you've maybe been to the Wynn. How would you rate it versus other buffets in Vegas in general? It's, you know, kind of like okay, we're compared to the like other high end hotel buffets. It's like it didn't jump out at me like it was wonderful, but it it was fine. It wasn't. Uh, um, it wasn't like a disappointing buffet, but it wasn't one like, oh, this is so memorable. I got to get back here. But then again, as I said, That's fair. I'm, I'm not I'm not a big buffet fan anyway. In fact, when I was a little kid, the concept of buffet seemed very exciting to me and I wanted to go and my dad refused. And he's the one who actually said that they substitute quantity for quality. And I was kind of pissed off hearing this. And I was annoyed that my dad was refusing to take us. So then I grew up. I could go to all the buffets I wanted to. And then I went and I said, shit, he's right. <laughs> like I felt the exact same way. So I guess I, guess I, I became my dad in that way. So that's, uh, that, that's actually how I came to feel despite... Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think... Okay, so for instance, I think Bacchanal, at Caesar's premier buffet... I don't think they substitute quality for quantity. I think that's a good buffet. And it should be. It's close to 100 bucks, Close to what, like, you know, not quite as much, but it's close to, like, a fucking ticket to Disney World. I mean, I think the quality there is, you know, the prime rib is good, the different crab and fish, and, you know, it, it's that's about as high-end as you can get. What are you going to give people for a buffet? Caviar? I mean, you know, just all-you-can-eat lobster tails? So, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I feel as if, Bacchanal is pretty decent. Well, if I had to rate them, I would always I would put Bacchanal number one, and I think Wynn and Cosmo are probably up there. And you have to throw in the Bellagio. 
then after that, everything else is just a, a definitely a level or two beneath it. Would, I mean, would you agree? Would you agree with that? Yeah, those are probably the only four that are you know. Well, okay. So anyhow, so getting back to what I was saying, so you know, you go to the buffet. It's something you could eat maybe once a month, every couple months. So, but I would go there. I'd use my fifty dollars, you know, and I'd get, you know, and I'd get something. But anyhow, so what they did, and this was like one of the quirky things that Cosmo would offer you, when you get a a food credit like that, or you know, a weekly credit. If you didn't use the buffet, they would add fifteen dollars, kind of like because you know the buffets have about a hundred twenty dollar value. They're you know if you get two of them, they're about sixty bucks. You know, fifty nine dollars depending on the day, like Sundays or more weekends or more brunches or more special holidays. So so say you know I have fifty and I didn't want to use. I'm not going to the buffet. They end up giving you fifteen more, kind of just like a cute little like their little sterling and velvet, just, oh, cute, here's $15. People like it. You know, they would appreciate it. And this is for anybody. If you got $100 in food, you know, and you didn't use buffets with it, they they give you 15 more. So a while back, I went one day, and I was going to, you know, I did my free play. I was going to get something to eat. And the identity person, when I went to redeem my food, and because they're, they're old school, too, with that. You go there, you know, you have the, the little cute cardboard, you know, or whatever glossy invite with your free play and your food on it. And then you go to identity stand in line. You have to wait till, you know, you see someone and you tell them where you want to go, how much you want to use. And then they do some typing in the computer and then it's there. You know, nowadays everything's for the most parts on your card. You don't have to talk to anyone. You just eat, swipe it. All right. So a while back I'm there and I try to redeem what is my 50 plus my $15. And guess what they tell me, Druff? at the desk. I don't know. What, what, what they, you... Well, they tell me they're no longer giving the $15. <laughs> and I said, I said, what do you mean? This has gone on for three years. Why aren't they? And they said, well, MGM you know, had some cutbacks. So, you know, and then sure as shit, as some time went by, like I, you know, walk, find someone else or I'm talking to someone and they'd mention it, you know, oh my God, the nickel and diamond, but they cut back $15. And that, by the way, this is only for locals. So maybe I didn't emphasize that. Like everyone else that lives out of town, the majority of you that are listening, you know, the offers that they market to you are totally different than what they give. But every kind of local offer, you always got like this little $15 cute little thing. But so they, they eliminated it to say $15. You know, I don't know how many locals are coming in there, you know, a week, how many people that they're, they're mailing, but still like, you know, it's, it's just kind of like a cheap way to be like, really? Like you're just gonna take fifteen dollars away from I don't you know what I mean it's not much it's not like I still get what I want you know whatever it's not gonna not eat something because I don't have an extra fifteen but it was just kind of like a little punch in the gut like come on like you know how it's you know three years ago you're like oh we love our locals we need you guys here that you know no one's coming to Vegas and then like now you know you're kind of built back up and you kind of just forgot where you came from so anyhow uh, I and I I kind of went off track a little bit but it was just to give you an example but anyhow so that's what they're doing they're going to degrade everyone and you'll only have one month regardless of when your benefits should expire to expire and like i said it'll be interesting to watch because they are a lot of people you know i've met so many couples families over the years that only patronize the cosmo that that just love the you know, the quirks about it. Like, there's just a lot of weird things, like, about it that you won't find at most properties. Like, for instance, and I know a lot of you, because you're Vegas people, already know this. But, for instance, there's a place there that's literally called Secret Pizza. 
Okay, and forgive me if this all sounds lame and cliche, and you're like, oh, I know this. But, you know, there are people that don't know this. And Secret Pizza is literally just what it sounds like. It's a pizza place that I won't say where. That <laughs> you're, is somewhere he's actually the keeping the secret. Yes, it's somewhere on the property, and it's literally a secret. Meaning when you walk by there, there's no signage. There's nothing on the door. It, to get in, it just looks like almost like an employee entrance. That you know, you know, when you're walking in casinos, you see these doors that lead inside the bowels of the casino. It looks somewhat like that, where you would never think that you're going to walk through it because you know it might not be allowed. There's no sign, and oh, this isn't for me. So there's no sign, and when you see people walking, it's funny enough with boxes of pizza. You know, someone gets a whole pizza to go or whatever. There's nothing on the box. There's no name. It's just a white empty box, and the whole joke. You know, and if you ask an employee, you know, whatever, they're going to tell you. But the whole, you know, joke was that you kind of have to find it on your own. You know, you're not, you know, people, other people aren't supposed to tell you. You're not supposed to ask. So, but they, and they have other quirky things like this. Like, you know, there's uh, like a bookshelf where like, you you know, now the, the, the Resort World's copied it. They have like a little area where there's a bookshelf and the bookshelf, bookshelf opens up and there's a bar inside it. Like, you'd never even know. Like, you walk by this little panel, it looks like, looks like they're books over and over unless you see someone, a bouncer, a hostess opening it. You know, there, there, and there's other, like, quirky things like that. I went there for years, and there's a barber shop on the first floor. And I never went there because, you know, I don't go to barber shops, and, you know, they do shaves and all those other things. It is right across from the Henry, which is their, uh, their coffee shop. It's right across, and it literally says barber shop. And you look inside, and there's like three or four like real barber stools, and they're real barbers, and they're real, you know they're really shaving. What you don't know is against the back wall, there's another bookshelf that opens up, and at night it becomes a karaoke bar. Like a, you know, and I don't know, I've never been inside it, but I was just reading something funny enough. The lead singer from, uh, oh God, what I know his name. What's Adam Levine? What what, what band is he again? I'm terrible with with music and names, especially uh, Adam Levine is. Um, what's sorry? It's, it's a Maroon Five. It's Maroon Five. Maroon Five. That's right. So he was there the other day, you know, and you know they had some kind of article about it, and he was, they were saying there was like three, four hundred seats there, and there's some kind of drama when he stormed off. But anyhow, you know, I've been there. I've walked past it. I've looked into it for years, and I didn't know until like about a year ago that there's like this karaoke slash music lounge right in this barbershop like that this wall opens up and there's like three other places in there that are kind of like trick little cool little things that you wouldn't even know you know they, they have like some restaurant i've never been there but they have a restaurant called uh super rico uh upstairs where i don't even know how to explain it it's like some psychedelic show where it's like a restaurant within a restaurant within a restaurant where there's like dancing penguins in this room and like snows. I mean, you get the idea. You get it, it just kind of has these quirky things that other places don't have. And that's just built up a real following. Like you would think, oh, that's not for me. But, you know, some people they are. And certain things people find that they like, certain things they don't, you know, but they just have all these quirky things. So a lot of people are concerned that with now the full, the full closure, you know, meaning M Life is completely taking over identity, that. You know, they'll all be completely merged now. They're all the same that a lot of their, no pun intended, identity will now be removed. A lot of Cosmo's unique identity is going to change. And 
you know, that happens a lot, like, you know, with these big companies. I mean, you know, you go back, and I remember what Caesars was like before Harris bought it in, like, the early 2000s, and it's nowhere near the way it's thought of or the way, you know, it looked then, ran then, operated then. It's, it's not like that anymore. And that's what some of the concern is that it's going to. Well, and it's valid. That's a valid. Huh? That is a valid concern, and that's this happens all the time when a larger company swallows up a smaller one. That a lot of times the larger company does not understand the appeal, even if they think they do, of the smaller one or their products and services, yeah. and then they ruin a lot of what's beloved about it, or they'll change things that they think are improvements and really aren't. And then the whole thing falls apart. It, it's always amazing to me how reliable this is when it happens. You you would think that they would do more research as to what they're buying and, and why the customers like it and what strengths it has. But this is such a common problem. They have such a hard time. And the only way this doesn't happen is sometimes in order to prevent this from occurring, sometimes what they will do is actually let the other company they just bought continue operating as if it's independent but then just like what's happened with the cosmo because they let them do that for a while but then eventually they don't want to allow it anymore for one of a variety of reasons and then they do take over and then the inevitable occurs it's it's very rare where a larger company will buy a smaller one with some sort of niche product or service and then they don't mess it up in some way so it is a very valid concern so the former owner of the Cosmo was a group called Blackstone. And this is really an amazing story. I don't know if there's anything even like this that's ever happened in Vegas. So when the Cosmo was originally built, uh, the first couple of years, it was a disaster. And I don't really know why, but it just didn't have, I don't know. I, I, you're going to laugh, but it kind of didn't have an identity at first. And it went into bankruptcy in short order and a group called Blackstone, I don't know the number. Okay. I could Google it, but I'm, I'm talking, so I'm not going to delay you guys, but they bought it out of bankruptcy for way, way less for literally maybe 25 cents on the dollar. It was for several hundred million when it was a billion dollar plus property. And it was still like spanking brand new. So they bought it for, can you go ahead and, and Google that? while I'm talking, because I'm, I'm just curious. Just Google, yeah. find out what Blackstone bought Cosmo for, like in 2012, maybe 13. So anyhow, they Blackstone bought it, and they turned it around and just massively made it a, a success and did so to a degree that when they sold it to MGM, they sold it for over $5.6 billion, which was just remarkable. Remarkable. That's what MGM paid. It was actually, I have it right here. On May 17th, 2022, the sale closed and the Cosmo was sold for five, MGM for $5.65 billion. When they paid, I don't know, I'm going to wait till Drop comes back, but I want to say it was like $300 million, maybe even 200 I mean, it was it was nothing. It was, it's, a, it's absurd. So I remember reading a press release that Blackstone wrote that in the history of their company, that was their biggest profit margin by far in any real estate transaction. I mean, it, it wasn't even close. And another thing that was quite remarkable that they did is they gave every single employee that was working there $5,000 before they left. 
as not even not severance, they weren't closing, but just as a thank you. Every employee. So, you know, you talk about, you know, the, the lifeguard, you talk about the janitor, you know, we're not just talking about the executive. You talk about the front desk agent making $16 an hour. They gave every person on the property that worked there $5,000 as a goodbye. And, you know, that got a lot of good press, but, you know, they were leaving the market. It wasn't about that. They didn't do it for press. They just, you know, they, they made that much money. You know, they probably determined, you know, we need to thank our team and, and do what's right. And, you know, it's a lot. I mean, I don't know how many employees they have, you know, several thousand, but still like 5,000 a person. Imagine that, you know, imagine just getting your paycheck and you're, you know, you're expecting $400, 600, you know, you're a menial minimum wage or semi-minimum wage type employee. And you have an extra five thousand on them. Anyhow, what was the number? Strangely enough, I'm looking and I, I keep just seeing the reference to the recent sale and not what they bought it for. So I had to keep looking. Okay, well maybe Google what did Blackstone buy? Yeah, I tried that and it keeps it keeps showing the the newer sales. So. Okay, well I'll find it when when you start talking. But either way, it was a remarkable turnaround when the Cosmo was originally built, and this is why they had balconies. It was originally built to be condos, you know, to be owned and sold by individual investors. In fact, some of the property there, there's a segment of the Cosmo called the Jockey Club that's actually still owned by people. Um, But most of it, I don't know the percentage or the number of rooms, but most of the the property is corporate owned and, you know, rented out as hotel rooms. But there are some people there that, that do own residents. But I don't remember what the real problem was. Uh, but you know, it was it was, I guess maybe because of the financial crisis a couple years earlier. Maybe the, the units weren't selling. Um, but when it was built, even though it was lovely, it just was in financial ruin. Like from the start, they were. I mean, they were in trouble from the start. You were hearing a lot of these stories about how much money they were hemorrhaging a day, a month, and you know how long they were going to make it. And so, as I said, they went into bankruptcy. Blacks. Brought, bought it and they just remarkably turned around and the things i mentioned before just you know and, and i'll tell you i go to enough casinos i've stayed in enough casinos and, and resorts that uh i can say that you know a lot of it was what made the property special were the employees i don't think I've, I've ever had like a negative experience there with with an employee in any department um you know, and I, I, I haven't had a lot of instances where instances where I've needed to, but you know, everyone's nice, everyone's courteous. When you did have a problem, you wouldn't get this corporate runaround like it would get corrected, and you know, very accommodating, just an overall very good vibe. That's probably the best way, to, the best adjective to describe it. Just a good vibe, um, you know, from the staff in general. So that carried over to a lot of people, and a lot of people really, really became loyal to it. Um, so anyhow, and then, you know, that's not even to say how there potentially may be any degradation, degradation of like the games and, you know, I don't play like table games there. Um, so I don't know, you know, what, when it's been taken over, I don't know how that's going to change either. You know, the payout of the machines, different rules, maybe they take out some fan favorite, you know, slot machines that have higher payback percentages, you know, video poker, maybe they change some table game rules. I don't know. I don't really know what MGM rules are on the majority of their games. I know like craps, you know, standard three, four, five. I would assume blackjack is just, you know, your normal. You know, for the most part, six to five. You can double after splitting. I think at MGM properties. But anyhow, uh, so that's basically it. So a lot of people are a little concerned because they sent out uh, an email, 
regarding what all this, you know, what Dad mentioned about, so that Druff had mentioned about the Players Club uh, ceasing to exist. So as of February 1st of next year, identity will no longer be there. And uh, I guess we'll see what happens, you know, like always. And, you know, whether it's me or Druff or somebody will report on here uh, over the years what, if any, changes occur. Yeah, and the big takeaway here is to make sure to use your benefits if you have an identity card to make sure to use your benefits for 2024 in the first month of 2024 the ones for that year um it, it, not for this year because it's a 12 rolling 12 months so you don't have to worry about that but whatever your benefits you you still have make sure to use them by the end of january 2024 or otherwise they're just going to be gone it's not going to carry over so February first, twenty twenty four. Yeah, identity is gone, and any benefits you had through identity is gone. And then they will convert you to MGM Rewards at this lousy tier conversion, which is kind of one below each level of what it should be. So if if you're higher on identity than you are in MGM Rewards, you're going to get screwed with the conversion. And and the biggest problem I see with the whole thing is for the Cosmo Platinums because Platinum's the highest level at Cosmo. So it doesn't matter how much you play, you can't be above Platinum. So if you think you deserve a really high status because you're the highest one at Cosmo and you easily made it, and imagine how you're going to feel when it converts over if you don't play at MGM, or you barely play there, and you're only in MGM Gold. You're not even in MGM Platinum. You're like, what the hell? Okay. So so Brandon okay, did so say to me the, the other night, I don't know if you're going to say this, that they probably will have hosts with the ability to raise your level if it makes sense like if you were a platinum at cosmo and then they convert you to a gold they could say well this guy played so much he really deserves a platinum at mgm and they just manually convert them we don't know this for sure but that's that's what's assumed they might be able to do yeah all right so i found the information and i was grossly wrong but it was so long ago and so the cosmo the Cosmo sold. Blackstone bought it in 2013 for 1.7 billion. Okay, I said like a couple hundred million. I, I was wrong, but still, they sold it for you know almost six billion. They bought it for 1.7. And when the company was built, it opened at the end of 2010, early 2011. It cost 3.9 billion to make, so they lost 2.2 billion on the sale. $3.9 billion is what the property cost. And it was sold a couple years later for $1.7 million. So just to say, I'm looking at the review journal now. In 2011, the first year that it was open, it lost $96.9 million. In 2012, the second year it was open, it lost $106.5 million. Again, according to uh, the Las Vegas Review Journal. Then in 2012, 13 at the end of 13 Dutch bank, which had taken possession of it in bankruptcy is it Dutch or Deutsch Deutsch, right? D E U T S H E. Yeah. It's Deutsche bank. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Deutsche bank, which had taken it over in bankruptcy, sold it to Blackstone for 1.73. And then nine years. So seven short years. Okay. The $1.73 million billion investment. They in turn, sold for five point what did i say five point eight billion um 
And also it says here that the Cosmo doesn't say how many are hotel rooms versus how many are, you know, are sold as condos, but the entire, uh, Cosmo, which has two towers, it's a 2,995-room property. Um, and there are two towers there for those that maybe you're interested now. One is called the Boulevard, and the other is um, the Chelsea. The Chelsea is the one that is closest to Valet and not facing the Strip. The Boulevard is the one uh, closest to the Strip, obviously facing the Strip. And you can't connect, you know, they're just two totally different towers and two totally opposite ends of the property. So anyhow, yep, uh, that, and yeah, if you have any perks that are Cosmo only that you're able to utilize, uh, do it now. And don't be concerned about player points, uh, anything that you've earned, uh, according to, to also on their website, uh, any, well, oh, you know, I guess I should explain this really, really fast. Because they're two different things. So at MGM, there's two types of things that you'll see for rewards on your account. Technically three if you count holiday shopping, but we'll ignore that for now. So the two different things that you see on your MLife card when you insert it in a machine, the first one are express comps. And what you can do with those are you can use them just like it sounds to comp yourself, they're like self-comps. Whereas you, know, you want to go to a restaurant, you want to pay, if you do pay resort fees, or if you have a balance on your hotel bill, any of those things, even certain music acts and search shows, things like that, uh, you could just go use your express comps. You don't need to deal with anyone, don't need to talk to anyone, you just swipe the card. Uh, and they're very similar to Caesars in that if you've hoarded or saved up a bunch of express comps, and you ask a host or somebody for something, a comp, and you still have express comps, they're going to ask you or insist, depending on what kind of player you are, to use your express comps first before they give you anything additional. The second thing you'll see, or I guess the third after the holiday shopping, but we won't get into that right now, is you'll see MGM slot dollars. Okay, so you're going to see two different things. One says express comps, one says MGM slot dollars. And those are dollars or, or monies that you can convert into free play. Okay. You can't use them as express comps, whereas you can't use express comps for free play. They're both two, two totally different things. So under the tab that says MGM slot dollars, that's where you would stick your card machine, type in your pin number and you convert it to downloadable slot play. So anything you've had, anything you have at the Cosmo where at the Cosmo, when you stick your card in, they're just called identity points. That encompasses everything, okay? With identity points at Cosmo, you can convert it to free play, or you can use it to buy food, or you can use it to pay for a show. You can use it to pay a resort fee or pay your hotel bill. You can use it, you know, for any, anything on the property. It's just one thing. Free play, food, hotel, it doesn't matter. So those dollars that you have, okay, at Cosmo will go to slot play, Okay, they won't, you're not going to go to your express comps. It says that clearly on the website that any identity points will transition to MGM slot dollars. So I guess it's probably safe to say if you didn't want the, the, the slot dollars, the free play, and, you know, before you say, oh, well, you know, it's free play, I can gamble with it, but that's already your money that you've earned, and 
you're likely not going to get the full value of it, you know, because once you play it through, you know, who knows? Maybe you'll get half of it. Maybe you'll get a third of it. Maybe you'll get lucky and get most of it or win a little. So if you want the full value, this is what I always suggest to do, and Jeff can give his opinion on it, because if you wait till February 1st, you'll only be able to use it for slot play. You won't even have the option. So what I would suggest to do is before February 1st, cash out your your identity points, whether it's on a meal, any surplus charges that you have in your hotel room, a show, uh, a gift shop, you know, even alcohol, tobacco, you know, snacks, whatever it may be, toiletries, anything literally on the property, all you have to do is swipe your card and tell them you want to use your points and that's it. And you'll get, you'll get to purchase that. It, literally anything, even rooms. Um, so I would do that versus waiting till February 1st, and then it will only be able to be used as slot dollars at MGM Properties. You won't even have the option to use it for food or beverage. Uh, would you agree that that's probably the right way to go about that? Because at least then you're getting the full guaranteed amount and those things you, you would be utilizing anyhow. I mean, you're going to be eating anyhow. You're going to be buying things anyhow. You might as well you're gonna be paying if you do have to pay for a room or you know anything charge the room. You'd be paying for those things anyhow or whatever you're not comped. Uh, would you agree? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good idea. Instead of letting it go to slot dollars? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, anyhow, that's about it. That that covers that. And if anyone has any more questions about the Cosmo, I've stayed there way more than any other property the last several years. I probably have stayed there well over 100 nights. Wow. Um, the last, yeah, I've stayed there a lot. Yeah, stayed there a lot, and I've always enjoyed myself. So, anyhow, anything else to add before you move on? No, no. So we'll, we'll move on here to the next topic. So Daniel Negranu did something pretty nice, and you you can take a look at this and say uh, maybe maybe, maybe this is good. some are calling this the feel good story of the year. Right? It is. So you you can take a look at this and say maybe it was done for publicity, but I, I think he really just did it to be nice. So let, let me tell you what happened. First of all, before I tell the story, something about Negranu that has been constant since he became a well-known poker pro, which goes back many years, is that he's been one of the best pros as far as interacting with fans. He never acts annoyed when people want pictures with him or people want to uh, talk to him for a second. Or like, He always tries to be very accessible to the fans at the World Series, and I've seen this when I played with him, including this year when he was with me at the World Series of Poker main event day one, even when he wasn't doing well on that day and he probably wasn't in the best mood. But he still put that aside and, and uh, gave people time who you know, w- wanted an autograph or picture with him or whatever. So he's, he's always been very good with fans. And you have to give him credit for that because it, it's good for the game when the stars make themselves accessible. And some of them are very inaccessible. Like Phil Ivey, he doesn't, he's very aloof and doesn't want to talk to anybody. So it, it's good to have the ones who are accessible. And, and Negreanu has always shined in that way, no matter what you think of him. You know, some people like Negreanu, some people are kind of neutral on him, some people dislike him, but uh, he's always been great with that. And I've always given him credit for that. But in this story is uh, a bit different than something he's done in the past. And as Brandon said, it is, it is a feel-good story. It is not controversial at all. So there were some uh, Vegas high schoolers who apparently had a home poker game with some regularity, but they're all going off to college 
in the fall of 2023. They're all in the same grade. They're all graduating. So I guess they were having their final home poker game. So one of them just took a shot, which he thought was unlikely. There's a guy named uh, Ryan Z on Twitter. It was uh, underscore Ryan and the letter Z. And he tweeted, My friends are coming over in an hour playing our last poker game before going off to college. I know it's a lot to ask, but will you stop by and say hello to them? If you were me, would you go or no? Now, that's kind of a weird question at the end. Like, what? If you were me, would you go or no? I don't quite that get that. But, but basically, this kid who's a, a senior in high school about to graduate, or not graduate, about to go off to college. They've already graduated, but they, it's between high school and college. He was just taking a shot to see if Negroni would stop by their home game. And so Negranu actually said yes. And he said, okay, boys, hang tight. I'll be there after dinner, 9 p.m. And he really came. He showed up. He brought some GG Poker merchandise for them and played the game with them. And, and then and he filmed a lot of this for his own social media, Negranu. So, yeah, you can say some of this was to create this feel-good story and look good, because no one's going to criticize this. This is going to only get a positive response. But he tweeted, I come with gifts, and, and showed the, the GG Poker stuff that he brought. And he said, uh, when, when he bought chips at the game, I, I got $100 that says I can beat this game. You you give me 50 whatever you want to do. I don't have to big shot you guys. And then apparently one of the kids actually successfully bluffed him, just kept firing the whole way. And then Negranu uh, fold the river and, and, and the guy had nothing. The guy had uh, Jack High. And Daniel tweeted it out. Gangster aggro player on my right. Hand breakdown below. And posted a video of it. So he was recording a lot of this and he's posting it. So, you know, the skeptic's going to say, well, this was self-serving. He was just doing this to look good and, and bring a good story for himself. But you know, this was a nice thing to do. This is a nice thing to do because these kids, they, they play poker every week. They look up to him and one of them just takes a shot. Hey, can you come to our final home game of the year? And they're probably thinking he's just going to either not see it or ignore them. And he's like, oh, no, yeah, I'll, I'll come. I'll, I'll be right over. <laughs> and then he comes over. I mean, I to think about that. So then he he won a pot at the end and said, GG, referring to good game, not GG poker. There goes the college fund. Let's go, baby. Yeah, so everybody seems to really enjoy it. Someone tweeted... I'd bet a significant portion of my net worth that Daniel gave any money he won back to the lads in some way, shape, or form, either before or after he left. And Negreanu said, good read. I told them to all put $5 in the pot until it's gone. So so basically, he, he dumped his chips at the end because he didn't want to win money off these kids, which which also makes sense. I mean, that that's one part that wouldn't look that good, being that he's a lot better than they are if he came over and crushed the game. And like, okay, thanks, guys. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks for your money, 18-year-olds. Enjoy college. So that Matthew guy who tweeted this was correct, that Daniel was not there to win money off of kids. So yeah, it, was, it was a nice thing to do. And I, I really do think 
that he just did it because he was probably, you know, he gets this tweet and he probably just thinks about like when he was younger, if this had been done for him with someone that he looked up to, how, how this would have made him feel. And so he probably had the night open and didn't have anything to do. And said, okay, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go show up and, and make these kids feel good. And then, yes, he does get some good PR out of it as well. But I give him props for this. No, nobody else I know of who's a known player has uh, done something like this. Now, he didn't, this wasn't his idea initially. This was the one of the kids' ideas to just kind of take a shot and ask if Negrano will come over. <laughs> and then he did. So, yeah, they, they, they sent it to the right guy. At least they sent it to the guy who's accessible and, and good with the fans. What? Weren't, weren't these like neighborhood kids, you said? Yeah, they were in Vegas, and they were just, uh, they had all played poker in these home games uh, through... No, they live here, though, I'm saying. Yes, yes, here. yes. I thought he was like walking, I thought he was walking his dog through his neighborhood, and that's when someone asked. It was. It started well, with a way. tweet. It was, uh, I yeah, so, so. Um, oh, you know what, you're right. I don't know why he said it was a tweet. I, I thought I read that he was walking No, you're, you're right, you're right, he was walking... His, that's what it was. Asked. And then, yeah, then they put it on Twitter. Then they put it on Twitter. Okay, started. okay, okay. So they, yeah. see, that's why I keep he was you around. His dog out and someone approached him. That's right. Okay, so it didn't start with a tweet. Yes, it, w- it was the kid's idea, but the kid approached him in person, not on Twitter. Yes, yeah, so that's why yes. I keep Brandon around right. here to, for for these corrections. Yeah. But yes, that yeah. uh, it, it didn't start the way, the way I said. While I was eating, I did go back and look, and there was an agreement that they would recommend. They couldn't promise because the judge can do anything, but. There 100% was a reckon, uh, a, uh, an agreement that the prosecutors would not object to bail if SBF didn't. There's actually a quote about it from the prosecutors, from the state attorney, or from the Justice Department, that they would not uh, object to bail if he gave up an extradition fight. So that's that, 100% why. Okay, well, it, wow. That's, that's a, not, not to go back to that. that yeah, that's a callback that's to an old topic. Wow. Uh, so Brand, well, Brand, yeah, is clo- well, Brand is closing out all the uh, loose ends here. Yeah, I am. Wow. Yeah, up. So, yeah, I remember reading that. He was walking his, his two dogs. He's got a, I guess, during the world. You know, I started this year for the first time uh, following his blog when he played in the World Series. And he just one day I was bored and it popped up on YouTube randomly. And then, oh, you know what? Fine, I'll see what happens tomorrow. And he just kept losing and losing and losing. And I just kept watching and watching. And it was really like kind of sad to see. I mean, he just got crushed. Like I, I don't remember the number, but it was like I think in the eight hundreds. Like you know, it's close to a million dollars, which I guess for him is a lot. You know, I, you know, especially if it's not his money or if it's a door. I mean, I don't know, but you could kind of see at the end that his temperament was changing. And in fact, to go a little bit further on what you said. Uh, and I'm not criticizing him in any way because you're right. He, for the most part, is very accommodating to fans. But there were a couple times on his blog where he snapped at people. Now, for the most part, he snapped because people were just kind of not using common sense. And, like, he just busted. Like, he literally just busted and someone's asking him to do this, you know, to do that, to sign this. Or a couple times it's clear he's doing a blog. And he's talking into a camera, and people would stop him and want something from him. <laughs> and he snapped. He snapped on camera. And a couple times, like the next blog, he would either apologize or even give his opinion. Like, listen, you know, sometimes people have to realize that I give all I can to the fans and this and that. But if they see me, and I'm obviously doing a blog, and I'm using a selfie stick, and I'm talking, you know, they have to know it's not the right time to talk to me. 
But he did snap a handful of times because there was even one show where it was talked about. Like he asked people, like his viewers, to tell him, you know, was he out of line? Was he mm. too much? And you know, but but again, every episode that he's in, you can I mean, you can barely see him, or every blog he did, you can barely see the dude walk ten, twenty feet with somebody without somebody asking him for something. Well, and he would stop, and you know, I mean, he's just constantly bombarded. Well, you know, it was funny. I, I had gotta, I, I had him at my table at the day one of the main event towards the end, and as I said, he was short stacked. And at the very end of the day, he was trying to get a floor man to get us to bag our chips quicker, but he somehow wasn't able to do it, which surprised me. Greg Mueller was able to the following day, but somehow uh, uh, Negreanu wasn't able to. So, but, it, but while he was trying, I was discussing Negranu with this uh, Australian guy that had played with me all day, and so we're, we're talking about it, and we're talking about how he's you know, good with the fans and everything. And I said, you know, I I don't ever bother anyone for things like this. I said, first of all, I'm I'm another poker pro myself, so like to me, I'm like, oh, I'm like, yeah, yeah it's interesting when I'm with big name players like him, but I'm not like, oh my god, I've got to take a picture with him. That just it would look weird for someone like me doing. But uh, even putting that aside, I, I said that I, I just don't ever bother players like this. Like, I, I thought this guy was kind of like an agreement, just like not to bother the players for pictures and things like that. I just don't want to, I would never want to be a guy that hassles them when they're out doing something like this. And I, I mentioned, like, if I'm playing with a celebrity that isn't a celebrity from poker, like a real Hollywood celebrity, I wouldn't go bother them for a picture. I would just treat them like anybody at the table. And so. I, I go through that whole speech, and then the Australian guy says, "Oh no, no, he's he's my idol. I'm going to get his picture with him." So this whole thing, and then the guy tells me, "Oh no, no, I am going to get a picture with him." So and then he did. So yeah, I would find that annoying if I were in his position. It would be hard, especially when you're totally it's, not in the mood to do be it. After a while, I mean, everywhere he and I, I'll say you're right. There, there probably isn't anyone with his notoriety of fame and acclaim in poker that does more for fans than he does. I mean, he's very, very interactive and he's very, very, he'll listen to stories and he'll, you know, I mean, but it's every day. You know what I mean? Like he went to the hockey, there was a couple of blogs where he's at the Golden Knights, you know, they were in the playoffs, Stanley Cup then, and he's there like people, you know, no one leaves him alone. You know, just everywhere he goes, but you know, he's very kind about it and you know, and I guess, you know, there's emotion involved and he just busts out of a high roller, which he was in for, you know, multiple buy-ins, and somebody approaches him at the wrong time. Like, you know, he yeah, you know, he wants his time to cool off. You know, he's trying to win, too, and he's still – imagine how frustrated you get. You know, or imagine how frustrated you've gotten over the years in poker and tournaments, you know, like, say, the year, the two years, or I guess three years that you had a relatively deep main run, you know. And right when you bust and emotions are running the highest, Instead of even having a few minutes to unwind, people just start approaching you, and it's you know what I mean. You don't no, yeah, I, I would space. I would be driven crazy. So, yeah, like like I, at the same time, like I tell people at the World Series who listen to this show or otherwise know me from Poker Fraud Alert that if you see me, to come up with me. But that's because I don't get inundated with people. So I go, oh, cool. This is someone who knows me that I've never met that listens to the show. I get to meet him in person. So I'm always happy, even if it's not at the best moment. I'm always happy to meet people. And by, sometimes yeah, it has... not nowhere near the level that I'm That's what I'm saying. I'm saying because it's, it, because it's not happening to me all the time, I, I can enjoy it even though yeah. it's not at the best time all the time. But if this was a constant thing, it would really get on my nerves. 
uh, I'm just, uh, you know, uh, since I'm the uh, eighth tier poker personality here, I, I only get a limited number of people. I do get some people every year, but it's only a limited number of people. The only thing, and this may be controversial, it probably will be, but I'll say it real fast. We don't have to make it a big debate. And this goes nothing against him as a person. You know, I have actually a whole new respect for him, you know, just because I really got to see insight into how he lives his life and what he does, you know, on a day-by-day basis. And, you know, I think he's a good dude for a lot of the heat and, and hate he's taken. Uh, you know, he's definitely good for poker. But the one thing that really kind of, I don't know, I don't know if annoyed is the right word, just maybe even just I don't think it's great for poker is it became blatantly clear the whole entire summer when he played in any event that was like in a $1,000, $1,500, $2,000 tournament, he didn't even try. And he just straight up made a mockery of it, you know, by just going in constantly with garbage to try to accumulate. And when I say garbage, I mean garbage to try to accumulate chips. And after I thought about it, and then, you know, and he'd lose, he'd never get mad. He would laugh, and then he would just go right back to the rebuy cage, buy and do it again. Go right back, rebuy and do it, or re-enter and do it again. And the one thing I thought of is, and, you know, he had such a bad summer. I mean, there were a couple times he was able to accumulate chips and build stacks and, and knock people out. But the one thing I thought about is the majority of people that play in those lower buy-in tournaments are, are wrecks. And, you know, in the majority, if not almost all of those people that play in those same tournaments don't have access to nearly close to what he has funds-wise to keep playing in these tournaments. So, I don't know. So, my thinking was this, and you can tell me if it's wrong or if you disagree. Imagine if it's your first time playing at the WSOP, or it's like your one tournament a year that you go to Vegas with your, with your you know, college friends or, you know, work friends, whatever, and you play in the tournament, maybe two. And you only have one bullet, you know, 1,500, 2,000, 2,500. That's a lot for most people. And you take some ridiculous beat by Daniel Negreanu that clearly even he'll admittedly would say he shouldn't have been in a hand, that he's just gambling, like not even gambling. It's just, you know, sticking it in bad and, and praying, or I guess you call that gambling. And that knocks you out. Wouldn't you leave there with an utter bad taste in your mouth? And wouldn't it even be safe to take it a step further and say that that may turn a novice, or a, you know, wreck, an inexperienced wreck, or maybe even anyone, you know, and maybe frown them, frown upon them, or dismay them from possibly playing again, or maybe even just being, you know, hesitant to play again, walking away with a totally bad experience and being like, what the fuck just happened? Whereas him, he wouldn't even remember it, you know, in 10 minutes from now, an hour from now. Does that kind of hold any weight? Well, you know what I'm saying? I, I hear what you're saying, With but every first of all, tournament he played that way. Well, every tournament that was a low buy-in, he did not take serious, like how you would or how most people would. I yeah, mean, well, just any two. That, that, see, I think people see that though. I, I think people yeah. see it, and and they if they go out that way, they're not happy. But they, at least they kind of just understand it that they took a bad beat. And that, uh, and at least it was the Negranu. They have a story from it. I think it would actually be more off-putting to them if they got just really outplayed by him or something. And then you know, he traps them in a hand. They think they've got the best hand, and suddenly he raises them on the river, and they don't know what to do. And they call, and they're out. Yeah, I disagree because that's poker, anyhow. That's I know that's poker, but I, th- I think it would be annoying, like to the st- to the extent, like, well, how am I ever going to beat this if if uh, if I'm running into people like Negranu and then he outplays me in a hand, whereas if Negranu is just firing off and just randomly shoving in 
chips and, and someone just gets unlucky when they have a premium hand that, that uh, loses to Jack-3 offsuit, then they know that he just got lucky. They know that they had the best of it with him, and they could even say, well, if, you know, if this just luck hadn't happened, I would have doubled up off of him, and this was, uh, this was a big opportunity. I just it, didn't get it. Yeah. To make it clear, then what he would do, and again, I watched every blog the whole summer, is once he got down to his last buy-in, and if he had nothing else on that day that he could possibly play, he would even, you know, he'd tell the, his viewers this, that he has to tighten up now and take it serious. Because, you know, there was no more rebuys. But he would literally just play ridiculous as long as he had more buy-ins left. And I don't know. I just think that kind of goes against the spirit of it because, you know, the majority, a large percentage of people that are playing in those tournaments or taking their one bullet, maybe two bullets at the most serious the entire way. And the fact that he clearly wasn't, you know, and he even talked about it, like maybe in the future years I just should have played. Because the other thing was he was absolutely pissed off. Or, you know, yeah, pissed off. That's a good word. Absolutely pissed off or annoyed, maybe even better. The entire summer that he felt the structures of the 1500s and the 2000s and the 2500s were too slow and they were unplayable. And that was another reason. He would also register late, you know, with only an hour or so left, and then he'd only have an hour to use his three or four bullets. But he constantly complained. In fact, he said that, that he's on the council, or he was on the council, and he's going to make sure that these tournaments are faster next year. They won't. He actually assured people that they wouldn't be this way next year. Like, he basically indicated that he had a say-so in determining structures, and he promised people that it would not be this slow next year i don't play any tournaments this year so i can't really i mean i can speak only to the fact that i did see some tournaments went four days that were scheduled for it wasn't just the four days it was that to to get to the money it it would be a long time into day two because that was that was a lot of it too they they started they started at 2 p.m yeah they started at 2 p.m and then they were also slow so then not only are you not in the money when you get to day two but you're not even close you got to wait and wait and wait and wait and and it would eat up the whole day he hated that. He hated that. You know, but, but I guess it makes sense for someone like that who just wants the volume. That's what he's looking for. And that just slows down, you know, his ability to play more tournaments. So, but again, none of this is to dissuade him. Everyone has their own opinion. And, you know, he's a remarkable ambassador, you know, for poker. I saw that this year, you know, up close. And uh, you're right. There's definitely no one more personable. And I'll tell you. I have to believe he probably or very likely didn't do that for attention with those kids. I mean, you know, obviously it's funny to put that out there because it's a funny story and it feel good and all that, but I don't think that was his objective. He's not concerned at this point about press. And like, you know, there's another good story of something nice he did. You know, I think he just did it because he loves poker and he's, you know, not a bad guy. Overall, he's just a nice guy, you know, for the most part. You know, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, yeah, and and you know, I I had some personal conversations with him in DMs last yeah. year, and and yeah, and I agree. We, you know, we got to, uh, uh, you know, he and I got to, I think, you know, both like each other better. We we never had like any really big issues with each other, but I think you know, it was like I I think we got to like each other better just from from talking in in DM yeah. and. Uh, and so, yeah, but I, I have said the whole way, and, and there's been times in this show I've criticized him, and there's been times in this show I've, I've praised him and defended him, but uh, I have said the whole way that he's always been a, a very good ambassador for the game and very accessible, 
and and I mm-hmm. I think I've been very fair about everything. And yeah, he liked one particular show last year that someone must have told him that he was being talked about about that whole Ebony Kenny thing. And then you know he really enjoyed that and actually tweeted out Poker Fraud Alert. We got some new listeners out of that that people found the show, and I appreciated that someone with the visibility he has would recommend the show. And, you know, he listened to that episode and, and liked it. And I didn't even realize at the time when I was discussing that topic that I was, like, defending him big time. I was kind of just giving my opinion. It was only afterwards when he liked the segment so much, I went back and listened. Like, oh, wow, yeah, it really sounds like I'm just, like, uh, like taking up in his defense here. But it just happened I agreed with him very much about the subject. I felt he was being unfairly accused of something when all the evidence pointed the other way. All the evidence pointed to, to his defense and an explanation of the situation there, which I won't get into the whole thing again, but like I, I came on there because I wanted to voice my opinion on it, that I felt that a lot of people were criticizing him unfairly and that he was being accused of things that not only was he saying he didn't do, but he had very strong evidence he didn't do and that people were not taking that evidence as seriously as they should. So that's why like I, I did that whole segment. It wasn't to ask his, I, I don't ever ask his here. And that's why I've criticized him before on the show and uh, so that's like I wasn't sure what he thought of me because I had criticized him before on this show a number of times, but I was never like a hater. I was never one who ever like was, like was out to get him and always bashing him and making fun of him like some other people were. I was I was never that guy. But if there's something I disagreed with that he was saying or doing, I would say that too. You know, I, I tried to always be fair about him and all other known poker pros that there's no one here who, whose ass I kiss. There's some people I like better personally than others, and it's easier to say nice things about them if I like them than if I dislike them, and that's just human nature. But I, but I don't ever kiss ass on here to anyone, even if they're a big-name pro. But yeah, you know, like I, I had a long conversation with him last year, a few long conversations, and then a few short conversations uh, after that, and some this year as well. And then, you know, when he came to the table at my main event, you know, he immediately was talking to me in, in a uh, kind of joking and jovial fashion. So, you know, we we get along very well now. That's uh, I'm, I'm glad about that, and and I've always had respect for his dedication to the game. And you know, he's not a perfect guy. You know, he has a temper sometimes. He will, uh, he'll sometimes say something that he shouldn't or whatever. But a lot of the heat he takes is not fair. I've I've noticed that too. There's a lot well, of heat he takes for things that he should not be taking heat for. The other interesting thing, because I know you didn't watch it, but I was kind of shocked about this that he openly discussed uh, on the blog his wife's battle with depression which i kind of thought that was kind of like a secret or oh i I didn't know that because i i actually have known about this but uh, out of respect i i never said anything about this was something i've known for a while but i i he didn't tell me personally i I heard it uh, through somebody else but i didn't Mm -hmm. i never mentioned it anywhere because i said well this is this is their own private business and and i went through that period of depression myself and I, yeah, I was open about it myself, but uh, you know, like I, I, I'm not going to go put that out. That's interesting that he put that out there. I didn't know that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I guess there's a way I could search and find what it was. Maybe you'd find it interesting. But it was obviously done, you know, very compassionately and kindly and respectfully. And you know, it's probably more of a thing for other people that are going going through something similar or have loved ones that are. And I was kind of surprised he did it. But you know, I'll tell you, uh, he really does. I was shocked. He really does give a lot to his uh, to the viewers that that watch these blogs. I was really really shocked. 
Um, I mean, he takes it very seriously, you know, giveaways and just various things for nothing. Just because people, I mean, I, I guess he's probably making money from YouTube, but it can't be that much. No, it's not very much money. That much yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah, right. So, I mean, he's got to be doing it just because he feels a sense of loyalty to the people that, that support him and follow him. And uh, so, I don't know. I, you know, I'll, I'll say I'm, I've never I've been up until somewhat recently, like, you know, a, a str- like watching streams or blogs or any of those things. All the years, I, I never didn't. You know, his was the first one I watched, and I guess I'll, I could say that uh, I recommend it. You know, if, you, if that's your thing and you like that kind of stuff next year, or even if you, you know, wanted to go back and watch it, it's still there now. But, you know, it's just like, and a lot of it, like, you know, I, I remember reading a lot of stuff, like, that people would, would comment on. You know, every day, like, he would show every single day the foods he eats. And, of course, like, he's a vegan. And there's some people that would criticize, like, you know, on YouTube, I'd read that he's, like, shoving that down people's throats. But that's part of who he is. So that's, like, a ridiculous, you know, I get it. Haters going to hate, patrols going to troll. But, you know, that's kind of a ridiculous thing to criticize because, like, you know, if you were doing a blog or whatever, we would see the things that you enjoy and you eat. Like, he's not forcing anyone to be a vegan. But the point I'm making is, is it really, truly, in my opinion, showed him in his natural environment, like acting normal, like the kind of foods he eats every day, just the way he does things and, and you know, on a day-to-day basis. And I don't know. Anyway, I, I honestly, I've never thought bad of the man, but it did give me a different uh, insight into him, you know, the things you discussed. And, of course, what I just mentioned about uh, opening up about, you know, some of the battles his wife has had. And, uh, you know, I found it kind of, uh, you know, interesting. And it's something if you, you know, maybe it's too late and you don't care. But next year, maybe put it on your... Uh, your watch list if, if those kind of things appeal to you. Um, and at the end, I just kept rooting for him. I mean, I really did. I don't ever root for poker players. Like, you know, I mean, you know, I guess when I, when Helmuth or Ivy's are at a final table, yeah, you know, let them wink. makes for better TV if it's aired or better drama. But towards the end, I generally was, you know, rooting for him because he was down so much. He was trying so hard. He was so positive. And, you know, we got to remember for those that don't know, uh, I think he has four bracelets, maybe six, whatever it is, but he hasn't won a bracelet in like 13 years, 12 years. I mean, it's a long time. And year after year, he's had all these close, you know, encounters and close calls. And you have to remember, he, he plays 50, 60, 70 events. I mean, played every online event and, you know, played every big event that, that he could um, and you could see it's like wearing on him. Like, you know, he wants to break that streak in every event. He's positive. So yeah, the point is he was stuck like close to a million dollars at the end. And I just kept rooting for him. Uh, yeah. You know, to just, well, you know what I mean? Cause now I'm watching him. No, I, and I understand. Like, you know, it'd be nice to see him win for some of these other people that, you know, you don't like. Or you yeah, don't yeah. Yeah. I'd be, I'd be happy to see him, you know. to see him win here. And, yeah. um, so, but uh, hopefully next year is a year. Yeah. One other thing I want to mention with him, um, he, he for a while was on the political left. I don't know what he originally was, but uh, for a while in the 2010s, he was on the political left and he got uh, a lot of people angry at him on the right who got to dislike as he would express these views and, and get in debates with people. I never felt that way. Like I, I don't, even though I disagreed with a lot of what he posted, I, I've never judged people for having different politics than me, and I, I've said that many times on this show. But anyway, there there were some people who didn't like it. But I noticed that he is one of the people who, in recent years, has 
moved away from the left. I'm not saying he's right wing, but he's moved away from it. He's been kind of pushed away by a lot of the extreme left and social justice warrior sort of uh, things that have been happening. And and some of this has been at, at him too, where he, you know he's constantly held to this standard where the slightest politically incorrect thing he says, people jump all over him and he's getting tired of it, you can tell. So he's someone who seems to have been pushed rightward who was left for a while. And I've seen the reverse, by the way, too. I've seen people who were once Republicans who have now gone left of center because of Trump or something else with the Republican Party they now don't like. So I've seen it both ways. I've seen people who, are, who have been turned off by the left and have gone rightward, and I've seen the reverse. But he's definitely someone who's, who was on the left and went more rightward. And I think that's also part of us uh, you know, g- getting along well these days is he knows – what my politics are. He knows what my views are. And we were around the same age. I'm a little bit older than him. I think I'm like two or three years older than him, but we were around the same age. So like, I I know he sees me as someone who sees a lot of the same ridiculousness that he does. Like we're from the same generation. We see like he knows I see it too. And, and he said something along those lines to me this year. So that's uh, something we have in common there. I'm a lot more, uh, conservative than he is politically but uh, but he's someone who's not like really left wing anymore like he once was he's someone who actually if you if you look at his views and everything you'll see there's there's been a transformation and i've actually had to correct people like i talk about negranu to some people who you know kind of follow him but don't really read too closely and they go oh yeah you know i, I like him but you know I, i'm just i just hate his liberal views and i go hey, actually go look again <laughs> that's not really him anymore that was him for a while but it's not him anymore so he is one of the people who's been kind of uh pushed rightward by some of the crazy stuff that's been happening these days and the whole environment there that uh, every little thing you say that people will judge offensive that you get jumped all over. And, 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 you know, I saw it happen to him and I, I even defended him a few times with that too. But, but, you know, he just, he, he knows how I feel about these things too. So he knows that he has someone that, uh, you know, I'm one of, the people who understand. I'm not the only person he knows like that, but I'm just saying that uh, I think that's uh, something as well that we have in common. But anyway, let's move on here. Well, I guess it's time. It's finally time. It's after 4.30 in the morning, which does mean that I can't put it off any longer. It is time. Oh, oh it's my cue to just jump in here. All right. Well, this is Colonel Nigel Fabisham, and... Uh, you remember when I was a major part of this show? Remember when this wasn't just a little bit for 40 seconds? Remember when you looked forward to hearing me on prank phone calls or anything else of interest? Sometimes I'd actually break major stories. Even one time I was brought on to talk about the Queen. And now it's just I'm a gimmick. All I do is introduce Drefs' old stories from decades ago. Well, nevertheless, on with it. Yes, it is Druffy Time Theater. This is a segment where I tell you some story from my past, sometimes from the very distant past, sometimes from the recent past, sometimes from kind of the middle, kind of not too long ago, but not too recent either. This one is actually going to be a combination of stories. It's going to be a different type of Druffy Time Theater, but nevertheless, it fits the theme. And I I don't know if Brandon has 
read the stuff I posted on the forum about this. So if you have Brandon, please uh, don't give any spoilers because uh, sometimes when I do these things, it's stuff I've recently posted on the forum and I'm just doing the radio like forum. you get five choices and it's one of them or two of them? Yes, yes. So if you already know these answers. I saw one, I saw one semi-recently. I don't know if I know the new one. Well, I'll find out. You'll what find are, out. What okay. are the stories? So I'm going to tell four stories briefly and then... You're going to have to guess. I want you to just guess in your head. I'm talking to the listener here. I want you to guess in your head which stories are true, which are not true at all, and which are partially true. And I'll give you a hint. There's one that is completely true. There is one that is partially true. And there are two that are not true. So you're going to have to figure this out. And so I'm going to briefly... Is there a thread for this, you said? There There is, yes. There's a thread on... Poker Fraud Alerts forum about this, and now I'm doing it in radio form. I want to see if I could... What is, is it on the front page? Uh, no. It is on page two. It's called uh, Poll Which of These Druff Stories is Real. But we're doing radio format. This is... Uh... I realize. Okay. So anyway, here are the four stories. Number one. In 1997, a playwright with writer's block, thought that maybe he could get oh, some yeah. inspiration by going onto web chats, where I was chatting at the time. I will give that away. He started frequenting one, where I hung out a lot, and he noticed some ongoing drama where I was repeatedly calling out a girl that I strongly believed to actually be a man. After watching it rage on for a few months, he decided to write a play about a chat room where the main character was named Todd and was strongly based upon me. It ran in an off-off Broadway venue for a few months and got average reviews. That's story number one. That's not the full long story, but that's the summary. So that might be true. It might be partially true. It might be completely fake. And by the way, don't try to guess at this because I said I was in web chats then. When I say it's completely fake, I mean like the story itself, not just what I was doing at the time. I already read this, so I just have to keep quiet then? Yeah, you have to keep quiet, yes. You have to keep quiet, yes. Story number two. In 1976, I was four years old, and I was playing downstairs. My mom was taking a nap because my infant brother had kept her up all night. A man came to the door and kept trying to get me to open up. Wait, hold on. Wait, 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 wait hold on. You said your mom was taking a nap because of what? My infant brother kept her up all night. My brother was an infant in 1976. Well, you, don't, you, don't have an, you don't have an infant brother, do you? In 1976, I did. Well, you, had a, you have a brother younger than you? Yes. Oh, I thought your brother was older. No, okay, go on. No. I thought that was a miss. Whatever. I thought no. you're okay. Go on. No. Okay. Wow, I thought he was old. Are you sure? Yeah, I, I I remember him being born. It'd be hard for me to remember that. If Wait, uh, so you're the oldest, you're the oldest sibling. Yes. Oh, I forgot. How did I not know that? Okay, yeah. Go on. Go okay. On. So, right. so the man came to the door, kept trying to get me to open up. My mom was napping. When I said I get my mom, he kept insisting I needed to open up right now because it was an emergency and there was no time to get my mom, and I was too scared to do it. Instead, I ran up to my room, and I didn't even wake up my mom to tell her what happened. I was afraid I'd get in trouble for not opening the door in an emergency. That same day, two children were kidnapped by this same man using the same routine. They were both found alive, but they were very traumatized, and it was over seven months later when they finally found them. That's story number two. Story number three. In 1994, I sometimes paid my phone bill in cash at a physical phone company office. 
and it was right next to a takeout place where I got Chinese food. One day I noticed that I had been double billed for some services like three-way calling and a long distance package I had, but only after I'd paid the bill in full. So I went down there to get a cash refund for the overpayment and then have them fix the problem. Oddly, they told me that I had already been down there and I'd already got the cash refund for the overpayment and they had already adjusted the bill. When I objected, a manager apologized, said it was a system error and gave me the money back. After thinking about it, I suspected a scam was going on and I reported it to the police. Turned out I was right and this resulted in 12 arrests at that office and they actually had to temporarily close it until they could get it restaffed. So basically the scam there was that uh, they would overbill people and then someone there would collect back the cash refund and hope the the person would never know. And uh, they were scamming you know, both the person and the company that I figured it out and reported it to the police and uh, 12 people got arrested. Story number four. In 2001, at the age of 29, I got to know a girl through a chat room and she was intelligent, attractive, and our personalities really clicked. She eventually told me that she joined the room Because 18 months prior to that, her husband was killed in a car accident, and it basically turned her into a recluse. She said that in addition to the trauma, she was finding herself with zero interest in dating again after him, and really zero attraction to anyone, which worried her that she would just be alone the rest of her life because she just couldn't be into anybody else. So she said that chatting with me was the first time that she smiled in 18 months, Two people who were regulars in the chat room, who had met people, and you know these were definitely real people, said that they knew her best friend personally, and they knew at least that she was real. They knew at the very least that she was a real person and that they were close with her best friend. And they said the girl in the picture was her. So we got very close, but she kept stalling when it came to actually meeting me. Finally, she agreed to meet me, and I drove all the way to Phoenix from L.A. to meet her. She lived in Phoenix. And I was shocked when a woman in her mid-50s answered the door and confessed that she had taken over her daughter's account and fallen in love with me. So one of these is totally true. One of these is partially true. The other two are fictitious stories that I just completely made up on the fly as I typed out that post. Now, Brandon, I know you know the answers, but if you can think back to what you, what your reactions were when you read these stories initially, which one did you think, not what you know now, but what did you think at the time was the totally true one? Um, I thought, I know it's silly because I, I read the response, but I thought maybe the phone story. Okay, so you thought the phone story was the true, what was the partially true? Time? And I thought the girl, I thought three and four were the likely ones, that there was some truth or something. Okay. Three and four, I thought. Okay. Those were what I originally thought before I knew, yeah. I didn't think two, I didn't, I knew two wasn't. I, I mean, I didn't know for sure, but I was pretty sure two wasn't, wasn't real. Okay. I, initially, right off the bat, it's like, nah, no way. This is one of the fake ones he made up. And then one, I wasn't sure. Okay. I like three and four. Okay, so I put a poll up, and it's interesting because... Zero percent of people said that number one was the real one. Now, I didn't ask people in the poll what the partially real one. I asked them to post what they thought it was, but the poll, it was only to pick the completely real one. Zero percent of the people said story number one about the off-off-Broadway play based upon me was real. Only seven percent said the story number two 
the one about the almost being kidnapped as a four-year-old was true. Story number three about me exposing the local phone company scamming group, 28.57 people said that they thought that was the true one. 50% said they thought the me being tricked by an old woman who had taken over her pretty daughter's account was the completely real story. And 14.29% voted that they're all actually real. Even though I said there's one that is real and one that's partially real and two that are fake, 14% actually thought that I wasn't being totally truthful about that. And this is actually four real stories. So here is the actual truth. Brandon thought that story number two about the kidnapper was completely fake. You are correct, Brandon. No element of that was true. I completely made it up at the time I posted it. Not only didn't this happen to me, I didn't know anyone this happened to. I didn't read about this. I just made it up as I was typing it. So that was a good call on your part in that it was fake. Very good. Okay, so moving on to the next one that is completely fake. Now, you didn't have any real strong feelings beyond beyond number two, but moving on to the next one, it was actually number three. That was the other completely fake one. Now, almost 30% of the people thought that the phone company story was real. And I don't blame you because this sounds like something that might have happened to me. Because it is true that if this had occurred that I would have not just taken their excuse that, oh, it was a computer error. I would have thought I was being scammed, and I would have gone to the police. But I made it all up. Liar! The only slight true part of it, but I still call this story completely fake, was that I did have a major phone company billing issue at that time that was very hard to resolve where I was getting double billed for things. But it didn't involve a, a local office or anything like that. It was just every time I called to get it fixed, they weren't fixing it properly, and it was annoying. But that was kind of the inspiration for the fake story. But other than that, it's a completely fake story. So I still classify that as completely fake. So that leaves story number one, the off-off Broadway play about me, and story number four, being catfished by a woman in her 50s when I was in my late 20s, as both at least partially true, which surprised people because no one thought that... I could have had a play written about me without me telling people. Like, how could I not have mentioned this all this time? But that's at least partially true. So was that the partially true story? And was the one about the older woman the true story? No, it's the other way around, would you believe? The completely true story was the off-off-Broadway play, and the partially true story was the one about the older woman. So here is the real story about the older woman. The true part was that, yes, in 2001, at the age of 29, I did get to know a girl through a chat room, and she was intelligent, she was attractive from what I could see of the picture, and our personalities did click. I was the only one that she really made a personal connection with in that room. She was just kind of there. She didn't get close to anybody there. I was the first one she was getting close to there. It was very clear from watching the room. And she did tell me that she joined because her husband was killed in a car accident 18 months prior. 
And she said, I was basically the first one that she was enjoying talking to since then. And it's bringing back emotions that she didn't think she'd ever have again. I got to really like her. But because I had met so many girls online by then, I learned not to really get excited about any of these until you actually meet in person and it works out. So while I was optimistic and I was really getting to like her, I wasn't like totally into it because we still had not met. But I was not suspicious that she was fake because there were two regulars in the room who were not known to be liars or or people who create drama. And they really did know her best friend personally. And the best friend was a friend she actually had in real life. The best friend was not uh, like an online best friend. So, okay, that's pretty much it. Like two regulars in the room who I could trust, knew her best friend very well, and knew that this girl was real and her picture was real because the best friend had told them. I didn't ask for further details, but basically they told me that this is really her. Hmm. So I wanted to meet her, obviously. It wasn't easy because she was all the way in Phoenix and I was in L.A., but I wanted to meet her. And, you know, Phoenix isn't 3,000 miles away. It's, you know, it's 400-something miles. It's also very hot there during the summer. It is. But this actually was not really a summer story. It was a, uh, a spring story. So it wasn't really a weather thing. But I was really starting to mention, like, how I'd like to come out and meet her. But whenever I did, she seemed to be stalling me and making excuses. And I'm thinking, okay, what the hell is going on here? So it's very clear this girl enjoys talking to me. She spent a lot of time talking to me, not not on the phone, but in chat. A lot of time, like, private messaging me. In the open room, she was very, very uh, complimentary towards me there. And it, it was very clear she liked me in the open room, and she didn't act that way with any other guys. I had these two people telling me she's real. So why was she trying to avoid meeting me? And I was trying to get her to talk on the phone with me, and that was tough too. Now, here's the part of the story that didn't happen. The part that she finally agreed to meet me, I drove all the way to Phoenix, and that I was shocked when a woman in her mid-50s answered the door and confessed that she had taken over her daughter's account and fallen in love with me. Here is the real end to that story. And by the way, when I say that's the false part, it's not completely false. It's just it didn't happen that way. Here's the way it really happened. And Nikki 22 had nothing to do with the false account? Yeah, this this wasn't Nikki 22. This, uh, this is one that I uh, can't blame her. So I'm going to give this girl a name, uh, Heather. That wasn't her real name, but I'll, I'll still be kind and call her Heather. I was really into her, but I just couldn't figure out what the problem was, why she wouldn't talk to me on the phone and why she wouldn't meet me in person, especially the phone part. Like, why would you not talk to me on the phone? And had I not gotten the vouching by the friends of her best friend, I would think maybe this is a dude. But, you know, everybody, they're telling me this is a real girl. Was she really old? Was she really old? I really don't know the answer. Okay, well, okay, so let me get, I'm trying to get to it here. So, I I I I started to. I know you're you're guessing that she's really old, so we'll get I'll get to the answer. So uh, so I was trying to get her on the phone. She was making it difficult, and then I just started pressuring more. Like, why is this so hard to talk to you on the phone? I really want to talk to you. We spent so much time chatting. Just let me talk to you on the phone. Why why can't we just do it? Finally, you know, she felt she couldn't avoid this anymore. So she said, "Okay, 
here's my phone number. It began with area code 602, which is Phoenix. And I called it up and it did, it did answer. And I remember it was like a late time. It was like you know, 2 a.m. or something. So she did answer pretty quickly, which you'd expect most people at 2 a.m. not to. So I say, hello, just silence. <laughs> no response. Say, hello, can you hear me? Hello, hello, Brandon. Hello, hello, hello. My friend. My friend, hello, hello, hello? you there? Yeah, so she, she just wasn't responding. And then I hung up, called back, got the same thing. Messenger on the messenger, uh, and, and I asked, like, what's going on here? Why can't I hear you? She says, well, I can hear you. And she was telling me what I was saying, so it was really her phone number. But she says, it's so weird, I respond to you, you can't hear me. I go, well, that's strange. <laughs> what's wrong? She says, well, I've been having some phone problems recently. So I go, okay, this this is getting real strange. So she, this is her real number, and it is a 602 Phoenix number, but she's clearly trying to prevent me from hearing her voice. So really, if it hadn't been for those friends, I would think this has got to be a dude. And he doesn't want me to hear he's a dude. And it's some you know gay guy falling in love with me that doesn't want to admit it. That's what I'm thinking. I told, but all right. So I definitely wasn't trusting her at this point. I, I definitely was suspicious. So at that point, I really lost enthusiasm for the whole thing of actually turning into anything, even short term. Like I was just thinking, for whatever reason, she just does not want to meet me or even talk to me on the phone. She just really wants to keep this in the chat room. So I let it just be there. And... It just so happened I was going to Phoenix for an unrelated matter not too long after that, maybe like a month later. So I decided to try an experiment. See, Heather had repeatedly told me how badly she wanted to meet me and, and finally try to date again. So I figured if I told her I was coming, that she'd make an excuse, that she's going to be out of town, that she's uh, she's gotten sick, whatever, like whatever it is. So what I had to do was not tell her I was coming chat with her normally in the room and then kind of get her to verify that everything's fine and that she's at home and she has no plans thinking that I'm still in LA and then just spring it on her. Oh, guess where I am? I'm in Phoenix and let's meet. Now, again, I wasn't going there to meet her. I was going there even if I never knew her, this was totally unrelated to her, but I was going to be there. So when I was actually in Phoenix, I first made small talk with her and I kind of got out of her that she was at home, that she was feeling fine, that uh, she had no plans. She's going to be at home all weekend, not doing much. And I said, okay, great. Well, guess what? I haven't told you this yet, but I'm actually in Phoenix as I'm chatting with you. So let's meet. I said, we can do it today, Friday. We can do it tomorrow, Saturday. We can even do Sunday if you want. I'm leaving Sunday night. So just any of these days. So what do you think she said, Brandon? Uh. I- I don't know. What was her? I don't. I can't even guess. Surprisingly, she said yes. I said oh, she agreed to meet one of those days. Yeah, so I, she said she wanted to meet on Saturday night, the next day, at a restaurant in well, Phoenix. We even named the restaurant, and we had kind of loose plans for the time. But I strongly still felt this was bullshit, so I went along with it, pretending like I didn't think it was bullshit. But I said rather than going to the restaurant and sitting there like a chump. I said, I'm going to message you tomorrow at around 4 p.m. And, uh, and we'll just confirm that everything's cool and we'll come up with the exact time. And she said, yeah, that sounds great. Well, to no surprise at all, she completely vanished the whole rest of the weekend. She didn't go wow. on at all. She did not go on her account once. And she was on her account every single day prior to that. So she didn't just not respond oh, to me. She wasn't in the chat room. She wasn't anywhere. She did not come into the message or nothing. So she was just avoiding me. 
So I knew for sure this had a large bullshit element. So I finally just broke the news to her. I said, look, I, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know why you're doing it, but obviously you're avoiding talking to me on the phone and obviously you're avoiding meeting me. And obviously the reason you didn't log in this weekend is because you're trying to avoid this. I don't know why. I, I don't know what you weren't honest about, but there's something you weren't honest about and you don't want me to find out. So she did not respond. Finally, you know, later in the week, like several days later, she finally logged in, but she didn't answer my messages. And this drove her permanently from the chat room. She never came back. So I thought, okay, this is weird, but whatever. You know, there's a lot of phonies in chat rooms and I didn't get too much emotion into this because I couldn't even talk to the girl on the phone. So how close could I get to her? So I was already getting bullshitter vibes from her by the time I was starting to like her. So that kind of killed the whole thing. And the whole attempt to meet in Phoenix was just kind of uh, an experiment. I I thought there was a very, 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 very high chance it was not going to happen. So I wasn't like, oh, man, this is so devastating that she won't meet me. It wasn't like that. I I knew she wasn't going to meet me. I just kind of wanted to see what the excuse was going to be. Now, here's where the real story starts to veer closer to the fake story. Months later, I was in the chat room, and one of the people who had previously vouched for her being real was there. So it was a guy, Uh-oh. it was a guy, and uh, he was a longtime regular in the room. But, but around that time when I was talking to her, he wasn't coming in as much anymore. So this was the first time I had seen him since the whole Phoenix debacle. So I asked him if he'd heard from this girl and mentioned that she's vanished from chat. And he said, oh, I guess you don't know what happened. I said, I don't know. Tell me, fill me in. So he said... You were actually talking to Heather's mom. She's old. Yep, she's old. So he said her mom had taken over her account. Heather had no idea. I guess Heather had logged in from her house before, so it just auto-logged in when the mom turned on the computer and and went to that piece of software. And it just auto-logged in, and the, the mom just started chatting as her. And at first, the plan was to just kind of chat and never never get close to anybody. And then she got to take a liking to me. And and that's how this whole thing happened. So, so anyway, he told me that even he didn't realize this, that the mom had taken over. The way he found out was that he had mentioned to the best friend of this girl, the real girl, that he had seen her in the room and that she had sent something which was a little bit odd. And he asked the best friend, like, you know, what's the deal with this? And the friend said, what? You couldn't have seen her. She quit the chat last year. And he's like, no, 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 no. I saw her a few months ago this year. And the friend said, that's not possible. So then the friend went to the real Heather and asked, did you go on a few months ago and talk to this guy here? And and, and, and she, she said, no, I haven't been on since last year. And then they kind of thought about it. And Heather realized that there's a good chance it was her mom. So she called up her mom and confronted her, and the mom admitted it. And then the mom said to her, but don't worry, I quit anyway a few months back. So then I said to this guy, I think I know the reason she quit a few months back. She quit because of me, because she knew that I caught on to all the bullshit. And rather than have me expose her in the room, she just quit. And she was probably especially worried about me exposing her in the room because she was on her daughter's account, and she didn't want to get back to her daughter. And the guy said, yeah, that's a good theory. I think you're right. So this guy was never known to lie. You know, I, the whole story added up. 
And I actually talked to him on the phone about this. So uh, like he sounded very sincere. If, if he was lying to me about this, he was a great actor. And this would explain why she wouldn't talk to me on the phone, because she sounded too old. And so he, she probably knew that if I got her on the phone, I'd hear someone who sounds over 50 and think, what the fuck is this? And then the whole thing would fall apart. So that's why the girl in the picture was verified to be real, because she was. It's just she wasn't using the account anymore, and the mother had taken over. And that's why the mother wouldn't get on the phone with me, because it would give away that she sounded too old, and of course she wouldn't meet me. Upon finding this out, I thought it was weird, and I thought the woman obviously has issues, but I wasn't even that mad. I, I kind of just was picturing like this lonely older woman who just enjoyed chatting and, and didn't want the stigma of being older than most of the other people in the room. Because, you know, it wasn't a super young room, but there weren't many people there who were over 50. So then she unexpectedly clicked with me, personality-wise, and, of course, didn't want to break it to me that she was, like, old enough to be my mom. <laughs> and uh, she knew I w- wouldn't have been into her, and also she didn't want her daughter finding out anyway, even if I was, like, unhappy with it. But I think the biggest worry was probably about the daughter. So once this whole thing blew up with with a Phoenix visit, and where I, I told her, hey, I know you've been bullshitting me here, she probably just tried to slink away and hope her daughter never found out. And it almost worked. But then because of the other guy that uh, that account had talked to, they, they had figured it out anyway. I would have been furious had I come to Phoenix for her and then she no-showed or, or disappeared on me. Then I would have been really mad. But I would not have ever done that. I wouldn't go 400 miles to meet someone who I knew, know is flaky and that I suspect is bullshitting me. I mean, it'd be hard enough for me to go that distance anyway. If I really liked someone, I would, but like I would not do it unless I was just about sure everything was on the level. So that story was partially true in that I didn't come to Phoenix and I wasn't met at the door by an older woman who confessed her love for me, but uh, yeah, the, the rest of it was true. But that leaves story number one as the true story. That means that there really was an off-off-Broadway play written about a chat room in the late 90s. Off-off-Broadway theaters are smaller theaters that usually have fewer than 100 seats, but they are in uh, New York City. So it's like kind of Broadway area, but they're not on Broadway, and they're not big theaters that are off-Broadway. They're actually off-Broadway theaters that are smaller. So it was by no means a major play, but it was a play that was written about a chat room, and the main character was named Todd. And it was based on me. So how did all this happen? And why haven't I told people about this until now? There really was this play. The reason I didn't mention it, honestly, was I had forgotten about it. It seems weird that I would forget, but I had just kind of forgotten this happened. And I don't even remember now what reminded me, but something reminded me in late July that this happened. And in fact, knowing some details about it, I was able to find it on Google and like oh. I was able to actually verify to myself that my memory of it was correct. I didn't think Is I imagined it. Sweeney it. Todd? Sweeney Todd? I, I wish, but no. Yeah. Anyway, this is what happened. There was a guy who was a playwright, among other things. He was kind of a, a jack of many trades. 
And he really did kind of have writer's block. He wanted to write a play, but like everything he came up with, he, he didn't like. He'd start to write it and go, no, this sucks, and throw it away. And he just couldn't come up with something that he thought was going to really get attention and that he could be proud of. He was looking for kind of a fresh concept, something new and original that hadn't been done yet. So he was in the chat room just kind of for inspiration. And then the inspiration came to him, but it wasn't inspiration from anything he saw in the chat room. It was the chat room. He thought, oh, wouldn't this be cool if we had a play of a chat room where basically a chat room is acted out in play format? That's original. That's never been done before. Well, the truth is it had never been done before because it's kind of stupid. On the surface, it kind of sounds... I wouldn't. You, I would, wouldn't. you wouldn't. Sorry. You wouldn't. Okay. No, I, I wouldn't either. See, it's just something that doesn't translate well. Because chat rooms, it's texts that are scrolling down a screen. It's just not the same thing as people talking. So that wasn't the greatest premise. Now, this wasn't just about people chatting. This was, He also would introduce the characters in the room, and sometimes the characters in the room were different than them in real life, and I don't know exactly how he portrayed this on stage, but he was very proud of this. But, of course, he had to make up characters for this play. It wasn't supposed to be a documentary or something that was real life, so he had to have characters. The main character was named Todd. It was strongly inspired by me. It wasn't exactly me, but it was strongly inspired by me. And Todd was also in his 20s. The actor was like three years younger than me. So pretty close to my age. He had even kind of a similar look to me. He was a white guy with with dark hair in his 20s. And he was the, the main character there. And he was named Todd. Not a coincidence that he's in there with, with a white guy with dark hair in his 20s who's one of the main chatters in the room whose name is Todd, which he knew. And then that's the main character in the play. That was not a coincidence. But I mentioned there was someone else in that chat room who was pretending to be a girl, or at least I thought that, and was really a guy. Well, first of all, it turned out I was correct. It was. It was a middle-aged guy who was pretending to be a woman like in her late 30s and tried to get a lot of attention that way and uh, had a whole backstory to this character and I wasn't buying any of it. And it was basically like this long battle where this dude who was supposed to be a girl was you know, constantly flirting with people and constantly posting all these backstories and was supposed to be bisexual and all, all this other bullshit did get a lot of attention. It's kind of supposed to be like this attractive early middle-aged woman. And I was calling it out as being a dude, but I didn't have any proof. I thought it was likely for many reasons, but then I'd have people say, well, you can't prove it. And I'd say, well, how can I prove it? You know what? A signed confession? Like it's actually on her to prove. Like I've brought up my reasonable belief here why this is a dude why can't she prove it to anybody why can't she get on the phone with someone from here who is neutral and will be honest about it like why will she never speak to anybody on the phone why will like i i brought up a lot of things like this controversy raged on for months and she would never prove it she could make me look stupid 
and prove that I was falsely accusing her and basically end the whole thing at any point, and instead she won't prove it to anybody, even though her so-called friends in the room. And I kept bringing this up, and idiots just weren't buying it, because some people just wanted to believe it. Some of them were dudes that were like attracted to her and, and wanted her to be real. Some were women who just kind of admired her and didn't want to feel like they, they were fools. These weren't women who were sexually attracted or romantically attracted, but they admired this woman and looked up to her. And then, you know, if it's really a dude tricking them the whole time, then they feel kind of gross and, and foolish. So a lot of people just kind of wanted to go with what they wanted it to be and what they had believed the whole way. That was easier for them to swallow. And they were just ignoring my common sense. So this was a pretty dominant theme in the room for a while. I guess you can call it a chat room fraud alert. Anyway, this guy took notice. He was kind of neutral in the whole thing. And he, he was a little bit annoying with it. You know, he was one of the people's like semi in the camp of, oh, come on, you know, you're pressing too hard. You don't really have any proof. You know, you really shouldn't say this till you have proof. And then he decided that he is going to take her and make her a character as well. So there was a character that was based upon her and a character based upon me. Then a bunch of other characters he just threw in that really weren't based upon anybody in the room. The one based upon her that, of course, was really a dude, did not have the quirk, which I think would have made it more interesting, that it really was a dude. So in the play, the girl that was based upon her really was a girl, in fact, was younger. But the personality was very similar. And the two characters, the Todd character and this, this female character interacted a lot. So that's the two people from the room that the play was based on, partially, and then there were a bunch of fictitious characters that he just made up. So he wrote it, and I don't know who funded this thing. Maybe he did, I don't know. But they really put this play on in New York City in a theater for a few months, and I even found a review of it. And the review, as I said, was like average. Like the person enjoyed it, but mentioned some ways where it could have been better. Well, this guy bragged about this. The reason I found out about it is he bragged about it in the chat room. So he didn't want to tell many details. He, he said the name of it, but you know, because this was back in the 90s, it wasn't as easy to just uh, look up and find all the details on it. But then I found a review of this, and it mentioned the whole Todd thing, and then it also mentioned who the actor was, and I was able to use the 90 search engine, like InfoSeek, whatever I was using at the time, to look up this actor. And I go, wow, this guy you know, kind of has a similar look to me. So I go, this has got to be me. So I brought this up to him. I said, wow, I, I didn't know you based the main character on me. And he said, I didn't do that. It's just a coincidence. I said, come on, that's not a coincidence. And he says, no, it was. And he goes, well, okay, the, the name Todd I, I did take from you. But but it, it wasn't based on you. I, could, well, I, I see so many similarities here. Even, even the actor looks similar to me, and he's around my age. And like yeah, the, 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 it just seemed like so much of this was based on me. And he just didn't want to admit to it, maybe because he was afraid I was going to sue him or or claim that I, uh, that I have some ownership of the play. Who knows what the hell he was afraid of? But he he was avoiding admitting it. But finally, he conceded. Okay, yes. I did base this character on you, but I did make changes. He's not actually you. It was just kind of based on you somewhat. And and then yes, and, and look, I made you know I based this other character on the on this girl you've been fighting with. And uh, but look, I made her younger, and 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 there's no 
suspicion it's a man and in fact i really present who it is so you know obviously that's not her either but yes the the personality was based on that on, on her and i said you and me actually mean him he's like no well i'm not i'm still calling it her i you know i haven't seen proof but anyway so he basically admitted that those two characters were based on me and this idiot i was fighting with and pretending to be a girl so the thing ran for a few months and closed and that was that and then he, he left the room around that time. I just kind of forgot about it. You know, I never saw the play. It was all the way in New York. I had no way to see it unless I went all the way to New York. Really, had it not been with a character that was based upon me, I would have had no desire to see it. And I'll never see it because it's long gone. It's like 25 years ago disappeared. But yes, there was an off-off Broadway play, which ran for a few months, that the main character was named Todd and based on me. Why that kind of escaped my memory for a quarter of a century, I don't know. It's just one of these things like it seems like it would be significant, but just kind of wasn't to me. It's just kind of, oh, that's kind of funny. But it just, for some reason, it popped into my mind. I'm going, wow, there was a play where I was the, <laughs> kind of the main character. That's kind of weird. And, and by the way, I finally did prove to everybody that this girl really was a dude. I finally figured out who it was, and I proved it. I was vindicated. I knew it. There's, there's a lot of telltale signs. I don't want to go too much into the signs, but one of the mistakes he made is probably the most common mistake when dudes pretend to be females online. What do you think that is, Brandon? That's, it's still true today. Because there's more dudes than females online? No, but what is the mistake they made that kind of give, they, they think make oh. that gives away that they're a guy? Uh, I don't know. I've never had that experience. Okay. That I know of. Okay. Well, the, the, know. the mistake I've noticed occurs most often is over-aggression. Men are just naturally more aggressive than females, uh, and they can't tone down the aggression. So they, they you see male aggression was supposed to be a female, and it just doesn't sit right. It just doesn't seem to play out right. Now, that's not to say there's no aggressive females. But this seems to jump out at me right away, and then combined with other things that become suspicious, that really makes me think they're fake. And what he also did, which also kind of goes along with the aggression thing, is when you start questioning it, you get all this crap like, oh, why, why couldn't I be a female? What, you just can't uh, take a strong woman who stands up for herself? Like, whenever they try to beat you over the head with, I'm, I'm a strong woman, I'm this woman, yeah, I'm a woman, I'm a woman, I'm a woman, you can't take it. When, when they're identity is too based upon I'm a woman, that's usually a dude. Because actual women don't need to keep repeating that they're a woman and making that part of their identity. That's also something that gave it away to me. And and also, another big mistake that guys make when they're catfishing, when they're pretending to be women online, is they get too overtly sexual. And that usually isn't the way that women approach conversations online right at the beginning. They, they may get sexual after you're talking to them sometime, even after a short time, but they don't just like come right out usually and just like open with, with sexual lines to strangers. So when you see that, that that's another sign. So you kind of combine these things, the aggression, the over-sexuality, the beating you over the head with that this is, this is a woman that, you, that the guys just can't handle it's almost always surely a dude when you see these things. So I was right. I found out who it was, and it was 100% a guy. I hope you enjoyed Draffy Time Theater. 
a good one. I'm glad I was not uh, kidnapped or almost kidnapped as a four-year-old. That's good. That would have been pretty traumatic if I was with some pervert for seven months. God, did you know, did the play turn a profit? I don't know. I, because he kind of left the chat shortly after mentioning that he wrote the play. I, I don't know, maybe maybe the fact that I got out of him that it was uh, based upon me and this fake girl kind of rattled him and he didn't continue. Well, but was it well-reviewed? It was average-reviewed. I, I found... Uh, um, uh, I, I found like two reviews and they were both kind of average. Uh, Trader Risky's trying to come on. Let me throw him on. Yeah, it was kind of like average reviewed. They both kind of like, the, the reviews were both kind of like, well, we enjoyed it, but here's how it could have been better. But yeah, it's, it seems like on the surface, it's one of these things like, oh, cool, oh. This, this is a cool concept. But then you think about it and it's it's just kind of dumb. Like, what can they really do with it? Yo, buddy. Yeah, look who's here. What's happened to Josh? Look who's here. What's up, Brandon? Were, were, oh, you, were you listening, Trader Risky, that there's a play written about me in the I, 90s? I did hear that part. I did yeah. hear that part. Trader Risky, I texted you last night, buddy. What happened? I was out cold. By the time you texted, yeah. I was on my way. Huh. All right. Well, we're, we're uh, coming near the end here, but uh, I've got uh, another topic. Uh, Brandon and, and Trader Risky as well. Do either of you remember when poker stars had to deal with a lawsuit involving Kentucky because of some ancient law they had that yeah, made it to where... They had to pay them a bunch of money. Yeah, where, where anyone who runs we an illegal... We can't do D-Lucky, buddy. We can't do D-Lucky now, so I'm fading. Okay, I'm okay, fine, 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 we'll, fine. We'll go to D-Lucky. So I wanted, I've been waiting. I, listened, I made it through all the Druffy Time Theater. That's maybe sleepy time now. Okay. On, okay. The- okay. So we'll we'll do D Lucky. So okay. As I've mentioned many times on this show, D Lucky is a guy who sells his time at literally eighteen hundred dollars for ten minutes, and he's very careful in the way he does it. He's supposedly a gambling expert, and the people who are paying this think they're basically paying for his expertise to be shown which slot machines to sit at and play at high stakes. And these are not rich people. These are working class people who are taking their one shot because the expert's telling them what to, what machine to play. But he sells it very carefully with a lot of disclaimers to make it to where it'd be very hard to take legal action against him because he's technically selling you a meet and greet to meet an internet celebrity, which he really isn't. I mean, he's known to some people, but he's not like an internet celebrity. But he sells it this way, that you're just paying the $1,800 to meet an internet celebrity for 10 minutes, and that any gambling they do is just something you can add on for free. So it's clever, but it's still a scam, because people are not paying $1,800 to meet D-Lucky from YouTube. They're paying $1,800 to play slots guided by D-Lucky from YouTube, who really is not giving them any kind of opportunity. He's just uh, sitting them at a machine and collecting the money. And Brandon will explain what he witnessed because Brandon actually watched this in person, coincidentally happened to be at a casino where this is taking place. So before I get into the recent D-Lucky news, we've covered it before. That's the most I'm going to say at the moment. I'll let Brandon talk about what he witnessed when he saw D-Lucky in person. So I was at the aforementioned Cosmopolitan, as I tend to do on occasion. And if you've been to the Cosmo, or if you haven't, 
it's a very small facility. So you get from one end to the other in a couple minutes. Uh, it's almost kind of like the Palms. I mean, it's very narrow. It's one of the things I don't like about it. Some might say, oh, well, it's intimate, but you're kind of bumping into people. Like you kind of have to you know, move your shoulders to the left. And, you know, it's especially during prime peak times, you're just you're shoulder to shoulder with people. It's very narrow. Would you agree? Do you kind of know what, see what I'm saying? Do you kind of agree with that sentiment? I agree. So when you walk from one end to the other, you literally, there's no way to not, you pass through, I mean, literally, you're just walking from one end, one end of the casino to the other. You're passing through their high-limit uh, table game section, and you're passing through their high-limit slot room. I mean, you can just see it. You don't even have to look. Just kind of turn your head to the left, turn your head to the right. So one day, uh, and I can't remember where, but I had seen a picture of D-Lucky somewhere. It might have been on PFA. I don't know. Someone posted it. So I had kind of a general idea what he looked like. Um, or maybe it was on Twitter, someone that had an experience, not the shot. Anyhow, so I'm walking the, through the casino to go to the buffet or something without my $15 extra. And I see a whole spectacle in the, in the slot, in the high limit room. So my first thought is somebody hit like the wheel of fortune or, you know, one of the progressives and they're waiting to get paid and drew a crowd. But on second glance, then I see the, you know, several cameras, selfie sticks, and I see like a handful of like bodyguard looking dudes. And I, you know, I get closer and I look, I can tell they're not, you know, these aren't gamblers. They look like bouncers at a club, like big guys. And sure as shit, they're filming and it's D lucky. And I don't know. The first thing I thought of after that was like, why does the casino tolerate it? You know, cause you think about like the players are giving up money that they're not going to, you know, put back, you know, into the casino cause they're giving this guy money and it's a whole spectacle and it's in the high limit room. Sure. It's got to kind of annoy people, you know, that, that are their customers, but whatever they allow it. So, uh, I walk over and I can't get too close cause there's bodyguards like, you know, stand behind them or nothing, but you know, a small little intimate casino so i can sit stand several feet away and he's filming one of these videos and it's clear as day what's going on because behind the bodyguards there's like maybe i don't know five or six maybe seven other people that are like just waiting around and they look like everyday people and then it became clear what they were they were like the next customers up like you know when these guys you know whatever you know, this person was done. So, you know, what he, in, in essence, what he does is, you know, he'll go to a casino and he'll schedule, you know, eight, 10. I don't mean, I don't know. When I walked in, there was like seven people in line or so and one person there and maybe more were coming. And he just goes through like a pack of people. And I mean, when you think about it, it's pretty simplistic, you know, but it's also, I guess, in a real degenerate kind of shitty way, kind of brilliant that, you know, you have enough people that are back to back to back firing 2000, 3000, 4000, maybe even more sometimes into a machine, you know, two out of 10 people, three out of 10 people are going to hit a jackpot. I mean, you know, so my thinking and the game they were playing, by the way, was top dollar. So when they, when they filmed this, so my thinking was, and if you look at his videos in the very beginning, he played that, or they, they used to play the dragon link a lot, um, versions of it, like the Panda, link game lightning cash or whatever it's called and various other games or balls drop or but the problem with those games are you literally could go through ten thousand dollars plus at you know 100 or 200 a spin and not get a bonus 
or just get a bonus that gets you your money back or, you know, whatever. There's a lot of variance in those games. Whereas in the top dollar game, if you get a spin, you're guaranteed to get a jackpot. And let me explain how that works real, real fast for those that don't know top dollar. Top dollar is a game. It's one of like the old school, real slot machines. Although they have some now that are like kind of semi-digital, meaning it's not like a newer style video type, you know, attraction where there's lions or, you know, wolves or, you know, any kind of animals. It's kind of like the old school, real, like bar, 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 bell, bell, bell. You know, there's cherries in it. So what happens is you play top dollar and you play max credits, uh, which are, you know, usually uh, two. I don't think there are any machines that are there three. And I've seen them in casinos, you know, low, low limits all the way up to 500 to spin. But I think the lucky, they normally do the $100 two credits, so it's 200 to spin. Whatever your base denomination is, that's what you'll get back in uh, bonus credits. So, and I'll get to that in a second. So in other words, if, you know, the, the bonus feature, when you hit it, it will pay you like 10 credits, 100 credits, 1,000 credits, and that's times what your one line bet is. So meaning if you're betting $100, okay, so you're betting 100 a spin, you're betting two. You know, it's 200 because it's two credits, 100 is each credit. But the first figure is what the bonus is based off, like your, your $100 bet, meaning you're betting 200 a spin. Say you win 100 credits, it's 100 credits times 100. Okay, you know, so in other words, that would be $10,000 if you hit 100 credits. So, okay. So, anyhow, um, you put in your money. You know, he has somebody with a ticket automatically to save time. It's really weird. He's very, like, quick with this. You know, like, he tells everyone, spin, go ahead, go ahead. It's almost like he wants to be done with his day in, like, 30 minutes. It's kind of bizarre. But people have tickets in their hands, and they put it in the, the machine, whatever they play normally. Lately, it's been top dollar. And you literally just hit spin, two credits. And there's other ways to win, like, you know, diamond, 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 bar, bar, bar. But the most common way is if it ends, the last symbol ends on a top dollar sign. And if that last reel, okay, ends on a top dollar sign, nothing else matters, by the way. If you got, like, you know, a diamond, a diamond, and then top dollar, it's not any significant jackpot. It's just the top dollar sign. So when you get, and it's only on the third reel where there's a top dollar sign. So you get the top dollar sign and then you enter a bonus. Okay. And then what the bonus does is above the machine, there's a bunch of different either numbers uh, or, you know, dollar amounts. And again, that's based on, you know, what you're betting. It's like a multiplier almost. So you get into the bonus and then you get four offers or you get, you get four offers, meaning, you hit the bonus and then random numbers will just pop up and we'll say, this is your first offer. And a certain amount of money will show up on this screen, you know, $1,500, 2000 in credits, 3000. Uh, some of the machines have up to a hundred thousand on them. In fact, someone with D lucky hit it once. There's a video of it. Uh, it's on his website of a hundred dollar hit off a $200 bet. So where it gets interesting is you get four opportunities. So you get what's called an offer and that's, the first amount of money it tells you and you could just take it and be done and then that's it if you don't like it you think it's too low you think the second offer might be higher you can decline it there's two buttons on the machine above where you press to spin it's an accept the offer button and a decline the offer button 
So most people commonly decline the first offer. Unless, obviously, if you hit like 100000 which normally is the highest you're going to hit, then you're, you're not going to decline it. So then you get a second offer. Okay, you can accept it. Again, the game's over, or you can decline it. Then you get a third offer. Third offer, once again, you can accept it or decline it. Then you get the fourth and final offer. And at that point, it just automatically makes you accept it. So the whole thing in your head is determining whether the computer, the algorithm, the slot machine, whatever, is going to give you more coins, you know, more dollars, more of a bonus in a, in a future offer or if you should just take what you're given. And you never obviously know. Uh, you know, when you take it, you won't know what you would have got. It's not like, you know, let's make a deal or any of the prices, right, where you can kind of sometimes see what you would have got if you picked door number three or offer number three. So that's the gist of it. The only other thing that you could add to it is there is a, me- a mechanism on the machine that – tell you what the slot machine suggests, whether you should take the offer or decline it. Nothing is guaranteed. There's just like a little light that lights up that, you know, it says something like, you know, our suggestion or something like that. And it just lights up accept or lights up decline. And you're not required to abide by it. But I guess for first time players, it's kind of like a, a guide to, uh, you know, what to do. And I've never even seen any written or any kind of analysis done on it in terms of if that is actually accurate. Like if you follow it most of the time, is it more profitable? Is it less? Does it not matter? No one, no one knows, or maybe they do, but I haven't seen the info. So anyhow, but the thing about it is when you've done, when you're doing it at 200 a spin and the, uh, top dollar sign hits and you get into that little bonus, you're guaranteed to get a jackpot. Remember a jackpot is 1199 or more. And the minimum that you're going to win on that, and even this is really, really low. Most people win more. The minimum you're going to get on a top dollar bonus is usually like fifteen hundred, two thousand. I don't know if I've ever betting two hundred. Now, if you're betting ten dollars or twenty five, then yeah, there'll be instances you get seven. But all all of his players, you know, do two hundred for that reason. So anyhow, you get to spend. You're guaranteed a video moment. You're guaranteed a a jackpot, and you're guaranteed all the hoop de doo. Most of the jackpots are between like 4,000, 3,500, and maybe 5,055. That's what they normally top out at. Somewhere in that range. I mean, you're, you're basically guaranteed a minimum of 2,000 and realistically probably like five, maybe six, but that's kind of like the high end. And that meaning that's just what it normally is. Obviously, it could be higher, but I'd say 90% of the videos he's filmed with, with you know, that game, those are the amounts. But again, the reason why that's such a perfect game to pick is because, you know, you're just having people spin after spin on the same machine and maybe someone cycles through 3000 and you know, not maybe, but someone will cycle through 3000 and they lose and that's it. He says, you know, you know what, you were here for fun. Sorry, it didn't work out. The next person cycles through 3000 and they lose and oh, you know what, but then the third person comes, you know, when the machine has been fed seven, eight, nine thousand and they win, you know, four, five thousand back and they get happy and he looks like a genius. And then obviously you have to remember a lot of times, you know, you could always do this in your head. A lot of times you see somebody hit and you can kind of just tell they're not really excited. And sometimes they freak out and it's kind of ridiculous, but sometimes you'll like notice, you know, why aren't they a little enthusiastic? Well, you know, what I like to do when I watch the videos is, uh, I'll keep track, you know, or just look and watch how much they lose of their own money, you know, like getting to the, getting to the spin, you know, getting to the bonus. Then you have to add 1800 on top of that for what they paid him. 
So, you know, say somebody is in their second voucher. Normally he has them put in a thousand, sometimes 2000 to start, but say you're in over a thousand, you know, already, and you hit a bonus and the bonus is, you know, so you get 3000, you're only up $200 or a hundred dollars. Cause you remember you paid 1800 to him, you know, you're already in the machine a thousand. So, I mean, you really have to hit a very high number to even make any kind of semi-decent profit that's going to get most people excited. I mean, you know, you're, you're normally stuck 3000, sometimes even four, meaning, you know, the amount you gave him and then at least one ticket in or two tickets. But anyhow, that's what he was doing when I watched it. He had multiple people there and they were all lining up to play the same game and they film everything because they never know who's going to hit. They ha- he has bodyguards that keep people away. Um, probably also to watch from like, you know, photographing him taking pictures or if somebody does like have an attitude and say, you know, what the fuck you promised me this, or that's all I get. I mean, I didn't see any of that, but I'm just assuming, um, you know, I'm sure the bodyguards probably make, you know, a hundred dollars, you know, a person or, you know, whatever it is, a couple hundred an hour, it's definitely worth it for their time. And they're taking your job serious. And that's, that's the ruse of it. You know, you're never, you're never going to lose in, you know, D Lucky's never going to lose. And out of 10 people, three of them are going to be happy because they're going to get the jackpots. He's going to keep being able to produce the videos. And as Druff said earlier, I guess, you know, there's nothing, I shouldn't say there's nothing wrong with what he's doing, but it's clear. He's telling everyone, this is only, you know, for fun. Don't do this. If, you know, uh, I mean, I didn't hear any of the things he said, but I've heard, I've watched it on videos. I've seen, I've read their website. Don't do this. If you need the money, like, you know, if you have medical problems or you need money, you don't do this as a way of guaranteeing it. He does all that very, very clear. Like he's making it clear to people, but the problem is so many people just constantly see the large amounts of, of money that people are winning. And they think it's that easy. They don't realize that there's so many other people that are playing the same machine that it's just literally, it's, it's a math equation. Yeah. And and his name, his catchphrase is just like that. And when they hit something, yeah. he says, when the thumb goes up, it's just like that. So just like that means you're winning just like that. It's that easy. You just sit down. Well, so the thing is this, because somebody will go through 20 spins, 30 spins, and they, they're done, and you never see that video. Then the next person plays, and on the third spin, they get the bonus. It makes you think, like, oh, my God, they're so lucky he picked the right machine. But somebody just cycled through six, seven, eight thousand dollars $8,000, and multiple people maybe went broke for that person to get the bonus. And that's all you're seeing. You know what I mean? That's yeah, exactly. And he, yeah, and it's amazing. Apparently, he just runs through a ton of people very fast. So he makes so much money. If you think about it, there's a big line of people to do this that are pre-screened, by the way, that they have these uh, representatives of his meet in a different casino, make sure they're okay, and make sure everything adds up, and then bring yeah. them over. And then he's got the bodyguards with him. But once those people are brought over there... They cycle through them very fast, and it's $1,800 per person. Think of how much money he must make on this. Yeah. So so a couple interesting things. When they had that thing that you know we heard about on social media, and Brad Owen talked about it, where MGM didn't let stream a stream, then I guess they changed the policy, at least for poker. I don't know about slots, because Brad Owen is back to streaming, uh, and other people have been streaming at – Aria, Bellagio. So I know that part of it is fine. But when that happened, he stopped streaming at Aria and Bellagio and other M- MGM places, MGM he used to. So the weird thing was, a couple of weird things. So the weird thing was, he still focused a large amount of time on Cosmo. Now, even though, as I mentioned earlier, it's two separate 
clubs, um, you know, identity and MGM rewards, it's the same property. Even as far as a year and change ago, you could still bill things from one hotel, you know, the Cosmo you're staying, you could eat at, you know, Bellagio in charge, their computer systems are intertwined. It's the same property, same rules, I would imagine. So I, I wondered why is he doing all this and they're letting it in this small little high limit room at Cosmo, but he couldn't do it at MGM. Second question is even if it's a non-streaming, okay, thing where he's allowed to stream there, why is the property just letting him do this? There's no chance they don't know now. You know, it's, there's enough stuff on the internet, what he's doing, what he charges, you know, you could watch, you know, employees could sit there and watch and see what he's doing. You know, and I see that there's a line of patrons, there's, you know, number of people playing the machine. So that's all strange to me that they 100% know 1800 a pop, 1800 a pop. So I, I don't really understand that. Yeah, but I don't either. I, second, I, 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 so then the second thing is his, mo- his second most streamed property out of all his videos is guess where? where it was, it was the El Cortez, Cosmo? right? Okay, well, that's, that's going to be tied. There's okay, yes, well, I'll get to that in a second, but there's one other property. It's really only three properties now for the last year or, or so. That it's it's the win, the win, yes, yeah, it's the win, and that's then that makes you think the win. Why the win? And again, it's always top dollar for the most part to win. Well, what's, what's Another, even more surprising, I, I don't know if you remember this, a listener to this show called up the win and they they had a contact there that mm-hmm. they they knew somewhat and warned them about D-Lucky, and they canceled a D-Lucky slot tournament that was going to go on and I had been remember promoted. Hearing, I remember reading or hearing about that. But, I mean, unless these videos are like, and I don't think they are, unless these videos are years and years old and they're just, you know, I mean, as recently, I mean, I, you know, you don't know the dates and the times of these videos, but as recently as, I guess, july he was still filming for sure i mean he's still releasing videos now from the wind but as recently as july he filmed a video in the wind where you saw the you saw some nba summer league players while he was walking through it and doing these videos so you know that you know that it correlated with you know you know that time frame where it wasn't like old videos so anyhow the, the point is i don't know why the wind's allowing this the wind probably is the most classiest company you know it's just elegant uh, you know, high end, ultra high end, but you know, you get what you pay for. I mean, great security, and they don't tolerate any riffraff. And dress codes are, you know, mandated. They're enforced. You know, it, it's you know the the real thing. Yeah, that really shocks me too. I don't know why the wind tolerates this. I don't know why they allow him to operate there. It just seems beneath them. But anyway, the most recent D Lucky news has to do with an individual named Mike Malone who is a YouTuber. I hadn't heard of him before, but Mike Malone did what he called an expose of D-Lucky. So at first I thought, okay, good. Uh, This YouTuber, who even I haven't heard of him, apparently has somewhat of a following. And the more people exposing D-Lucky, the better. The more the word gets out that he's not someone that you pay for slot expertise and he's just basically making you believe something about him and the opportunity he's giving you that's not true, I thought that's great. The problem was the question as to whether or not this expose is honest. And I've always been very insistent that the best weapon against scammers is truth. That you should not ever lie or exaggerate to try to take down scammers or ruin the rep of scammers. 
and you can't use the rationale, well, this guy's a piece of shit, so he lies all the time, so I'm going to lie to make him look bad. Because you destroy your own credibility. It's the easiest way to take down scammers is just to put the truth about them out there. And then there's no way they can disprove it because you're putting out the truth. So anyway, listen to this with Mike Malone and this supposed scam alert about D-Lucky. It says, just like that, scam alert, D-Lucky exposed. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the channel. If you're new, make sure to hit the like button and subscribe for more future videos. In this video, we're going to go over D-Lucky. If you guys know who D-Lucky is, you've seen him all over the internet, all over TikTok, everywhere. He claims to have knowledge on what slot machines are going to hit, and he claims to have all these superpowers that's going to make people win. And basically what he does, he charges people an X amount of dollars. I think it's around $1,500 for the D-Lucky experience. So he cons all these people into thinking that they're going to win. They come, they give them the $1,500. They probably don't win. If they do, they're just getting lucky like every other gambler in the world. And that's pretty much what he's doing. He's taking advantage of people and he's getting rich off it. But he's a scammer, guys, and it's time to expose him. So I'm going to show you guys this video. So check out these clips. Stay tuned and make sure to like. Thank you. Will you tell everybody your name and where you're from? Yo, homie, didn't we do this on the last video? Yeah, yeah, we did, but we're, we're just going to shoot an, a, a, another one here with a new uh, right, new, new machine, okay? All right, all right. All right, so as you guys can see, this is one of D-Lucky Experience's customers. And as you can see, he's trying to script everything to tell the guy what exactly to say. And you can see that the guy feels really uncomfortable and he's tired of it. So, all right, let's keep watching. All right, uh, what's your name and where you're from? Jackson for Philly. Okay, Jackson, have a seat here. We're going to play the $100 Wheel of Fortune, okay? All right, homie. I hope you know what you're talking about. Yeah. Okay, so let me stop here. You can't see it. You can hear it. So if you've heard D-Lucky's voice before, that does sound like him. And you don't ever see D-Lucky on camera. So this is consistent with these D-Lucky videos where you just hear him and you see and hear the customer. Now, the customer here is this guy, Jackson from Philly, who's kind of like a tough-looking black guy, looks maybe around 40 years old or something. And he's already skeptical that with this hidden camera here, that it's not explained how this is being filmed, that with this hidden camera here, you're getting to see the moments that D-Lucky doesn't show you, where he wants Jackson to say something again that he didn't think came out well the first time, so it's not really authentic. And then Jackson reluctantly goes along with it, and then he's going to sit down at the machine now and play. Yeah, no, I will. No worries. No worries. Go ahead and put your ticket in for 500 So clearly he said, I hope you know what you're talking about, because he's believing in this guy. He's trusting in this guy. This guy claims that he wins all this money, and everybody wins. D-Lucky makes everyone that comes to play, he makes everybody sign a disclosure which means that they can't take them to court, they can't expose them, but I'm going to expose them right here. Again, this Mike Malone doesn't explain how he got this video, how he's able to get so close. You heard what Brandon said there about all the bodyguards, and I've, I've heard this elsewhere, not just from Brandon. So there's always bodyguards around there, these big guys. But somehow another video was taken, not just D-Lucky's videos that he presents when he wants, and doesn't present when he doesn't want. Somehow this unauthorized video was taken very close up. He doesn't explain how he got it with this skeptical customer, Jackson. 
uh, wrong hole, the, the bigger hole. There you go. And I'll take your player's card. I'll help you with that. Take it. Uh, what's your budget today? Well, it was $5,000, but I just lost $4,000 on another damn machine, man. So as you can see, I just lost $4,000 on the other damn machine, man. This guy is pissed off already. He is not a happy person. So let's let's play the clip and see what's gonna happen. Is he gonna lose some more money? I'm sure he is. Uh, okay. How the uh, hell am I gonna get that back? Okay, we, we can edit that. Go go ahead and uh, press play for me, okay? Play Max there. Okay, right there. Right there is very, very suspicious immediately. The first thing I noticed was while this sounds like D-Lucky, it's not identical to D-Lucky's voice. It's kind of got the same characteristics. It's kind of high-pitched. It has kind of an effeminate sound to it. It has kind of a passive, like, trying to be non-confrontational tone to it. So they've got all that down, but it just doesn't sound exactly like him. It's not the exact voice. It's a similar voice, but it's not the exact voice. And this part where he says, okay, we can edit that. Why, why would you tell the customer that, that they're going to edit something that the customer says is unflattering about the way they're doing? The only one who would care about editing it would be D-Lucky himself. He, would, he may tell himself in his head, we can edit this. He could tell someone who is working for him later, we can edit this. But he would not tell the customer, oh, we can edit that, because the customer wouldn't want it edited. He's putting out his true feelings. So right there, not that I thought it was real when I was watching here, but right there really, really, really gives it away. It's something thrown in there in what is a scripted exchange. So you can feel like you're really, really seeing D-Lucky at work and all the shady tricks, including him saying out loud that he can edit out the guy being unhappy to the guy being unhappy, which makes no sense. So now they're spinning. Again. And he's losing. Now they're, they're careful, by the way, not to show you what's being spun. So you can't see, unlike in a normal D-Lucky video where you can see they're spinning at high stakes. It's hard to see. It kind of looks like it may be like a $1 machine. And I'm sure that's on purpose. What a joke. We can edit that. We can edit that. I'm a retired MMA fighter out of Stoney's Gym on 22nd and Diamond, North Philly. What's okay. that got to do with this? Okay, play. Come on, let's play and try to get you a jackpot. Okay, got hit the hit the spin button. So he's asking him what he does for a living. He said he's a retired MMA fighter, and he's just pissed off. And he's like, "Who the fuck cares? What does that got to do with this D Lucky experience?" Isn't that convenient? So the angry customer is not just some small woman who's pissed off that she's not winning it. It happens to be a scary-looking black dude who also is a retired MMA fighter. So he's not just scary-looking. The guy can also fight. He just probably retired recently. So, boy, this guy can really kick ass. You really don't want to piss this guy off. And what do you know? D-Lucky, who's off-screen, off-camera here, somehow is pissing this guy off, and this guy's letting him know it. Hmm, isn't this convenient? And somehow, Mike Malone has this all on camera man don't worry no worries we're gonna get you a jackpot no worries man. I, I i have another machine over here okay come on let's go over here and play the other machine man i'm losing my patience homie i really am okay i got another I'm machine from north philly i don't take this too well tell everybody your name and where you're from your homie miss me 
with all this Hollywood video shit. I want my money. Okay, no worries. No worries. Sit down. Sit down here. We're gonna play we're gonna play the uh top dollar, okay? That's funny though. At least at least this matches what uh Brandon was saying. Not that you can't see it in the video, but he's, yeah, let's just sit down at top dollar. Ah, this guy's about to whoop his ass, bro. He don't play. Guys from Philly. We're gonna play on the quarters. All right, man. All right. Put your ticket in for five hundred, and you're gonna hit play max. Oh, just missed it again. Yo. Yo, homie. No. Listen. Relax. I just lost four thousand dollars. I just lost, and I paid you eighteen hundred dollars. Relax. Holy shit. Yo, you all know what happens when you tell your wife or your girl to relax or to calm down. That shit never ends well. Yo, relax. man, listen, I want my money, yo, man. Yo, yo, relax. I want my money, man. Relax. What's up? What's up? What's up? Relax. You a scam. You a damn scam. That's what you are. You a damn scam artist. I'm going to get you up. It was at that moment he lucky realized he had messed with the wrong man. And then they show Jackson throwing a punch. You don't see the punch hitting conveniently, and you don't see D-Lucky falling down or even hear D-Lucky getting hit. It stops right then, and then they play the little musical interlude of, that's the moment D-Lucky realized you don't mess with the wrong man. It's, it's just so obviously staged. It's so bad. Okay, so there you have it, everybody. That's the D-Lucky experience. No, it's not. That's most likely, I'll say 90% of the time, probably 98% of the time. That's the experience that you're going to get if you believe in this clown, you give this clown your money. So don't trust this guy. This guy's a scammer. He's getting his money and he's taking advantage of a bunch of people. Just know that when you gamble, you can't win. The house always has the advantage. The casinos aren't built on winners. So if you guys enjoyed this video, please like and subscribe. I didn't enjoy this video. The reason I played this ending here is notice he never lets you know that this was staged. It was super obviously staged, but he's not aiming this at people who are going to kind of laugh that it's like a parody. He's acting like he really is presenting you leaked footage. I don't know if this is supposed to be footage taken by D. Lucky's people that leaked it or footage taken by one of his people, but you're really supposed to believe that this Jackson guy was a disgruntled customer who got angrier and angrier, happens to be a scary-looking MMA fighter, and then just couldn't take it anymore and punch D lucky that's what you're supposed to believe he's putting out all these serious warnings with this video about D lucky which are actually accurate but what's not accurate is this whole expose this whole thing is staged and the D lucky you're hearing in the background is just someone imitating him someone who's reasonably good at imitating D lucky's voice and mannerisms but can't get it 100 percent. so that's why he sounds a little bit different and then this jackson guy wasn't a very good actor so that was another problem that it sounded like he's repeating lines that he was told to recite. So the, the whole thing was so obviously fake. Now, had they said this was a parody and made it clear you're just watching a skit, well, okay, then this could have been funny. But here you're really supposed to be shocked. Like, oh my God, D-Lucky finally got his. He messed with the wrong guy. A, a guy from North Philly. A, bla a big black guy from North Philly who's an MMA fighter who doesn't take this crap. He doesn't take bullshit. And he had enough. And finally, D-Lucky gets punched. Somehow the big bodyguards just weren't there for this one. But he does, he does say at the end, Drop, that this is what happens 98% of the time or whatever. Right? So I think he wasn't 
necessarily say he's get you know right like at the end that did seem kind of like he was just trying to say this is what happens well it sounds like he's saying that this is what right. happens meaning like that people lose 90 percent of the time and you're only seeing the small percentage that right. win which is true so like his criticisms of d lucky are accurate but the footage itself is completely fake and he's selling it as real now here's the big problem with this d lucky's unlikely to respond because Usually scammers don't like doing that. They don't like calling attention to those criticizing them. But if he did respond, or even if people brought this to D-Lucky privately and said, hey, is this really true? Did you keep taking different videos of the same guy and hoping to only use the footage that looked good? And did he finally get pissed that he lost $5,000 and punched you in the face? Did this really happen, D-Lucky? And D-Lucky would say, no, this absolutely never happened. This is made up. And then he can show how it's made up, that it's not exactly his voice, that the whole thing isn't acted well, that the the script of the whole video isn't very convincing. And if the person comes away convinced that this is faked, which it was, then what this does is it actually makes D-Lucky look more honest. Because what do these scammers say when people criticize them, especially these YouTube scammers? What they always say is, well, they're just jealous. As Christopher Mitchell says, they're dead broke jealous haters. So the only way that line works is if either the person is really gullible who's being told that, or if they have reason to believe that the critic there is jealous and isn't being honest themselves. So if D-Lucky can show that this expose is fake, he'll say, well, see, this is proof right here. They're making up fake footage because my real footage is all legit. So they can't show my real footage because I'm so legit and so transparent. So they have to make up this fake skit and pass it off as real. That's how desperate they are to destroy my business that is totally legitimate and on the level. That's proof here. They're the liars, not me. And it's hard to argue back. It's hard to argue back, well, this Mike Malone is correct in his criticism. He just made up a skit and pretended it was real. So you can't do that. If you're going to expose scammers or people acting unethically, you have to be completely 100% honest in telling the story and presenting evidence. And it's not even just true with scammers. Even when you're complaining about a bad employee at a company that you had a bad experience with, You should always just stick to the truth. And if the truth isn't bad enough to complain about, then don't complain. But don't embellish because the second you're found to be telling a lie, then your credibility shot and nobody believes you about anything, even the stuff you're telling the truth about. And at least I can say that when I have complained to companies about bad experiences with employees and they look into it, so often I hear back, well, I looked into it, I asked other employees there who were present, and yes, it was verified that your story is 100% true. It was verified it happened exactly as you said. This has been said to me a number of times over the years, and that's because I don't tell a worse version to make the person look worse. I just tell it as it really happened, almost like I'm a view into what occurred. I'm I'm almost like a, a camera with words. I'm painting the picture in their head of what happened, and then they, as the boss, can decide what to do with the business they manage or own. But if I lie, then I'm committing a sin myself in the whole thing by not being honest about what occurred, and 
if I'm caught in the lie, then nothing I say will be believed. So you, if, if it's bad enough to complain, if it's bad enough to expose, just tell the truth. So that's where Mike Malone messed up. It, people like this just make exposing people like D. Lucky harder, not easier. You never want to give them something they can point to that is dishonest against them. That's my feelings on that. Since Brandon brought up the win, I want to touch on a bonus topic here that Brandon wants to bring to us. I did not put this on the agenda, but it is something that is worth discussing. And in fact, had I remembered, I would have put it on the agenda. But Brandon, I will let you tell everybody about this. This is kind of a little war between two nightclubs, one at Resorts World and one at Wynn. There was a big, I mean, I won't make this a long thing, but there's a big drama that occurred in Las Vegas about two weeks ago where uh, there was this guy, I'll just tell the story real fast because it is kind of interesting. This guy from Australia, his name's on the internet. I don't remember it, but it's not a secret. This guy from Australia in his forties, who's a billionaire came, was staying at the win and he wanted to go to one of the clubs at Encore for dinner or, or not after dinner, you know, an evening nightclub. And he wanted it opened early just for him. And apparently, like, he was willing to pay. That wasn't like, I want a cop. And, you know, he threw around a lot of money. And, you know, it didn't matter. So anyhow, he, he found the manager of the club or the person with the authority to let him in before the club was, is supposed to open. And he wouldn't do it. You know, whatever it was because of rules, staff, he just, it, wouldn't, it just couldn't be done. The guy got livid, got pissed, okay, the customer. And he started making threats. And they ended up kicking him out of the win and they barred him. So he literally that night, I don't know if he was staying there. I'd assume he would be, but I don't know the article or the several articles about this never said that. So what did he do after they kicked him out and they 86 him? Cause he started getting, making threatening comments. They actually called Metro Metro, like trespassed him off the property. He started making threatening and abusive comments towards the club manager. So, he ended up immediately after that incident, that same night, walking across the street, maybe even literally, to Resort Worlds. And he went to their club. And, you know, insiders, Vital Vegas was one of these, and other people collab- collaborated, it, uh, reported that he spent over $300,000 that night, just in the nightclub, on bottles, on service. I don't know how you can spend three. I mean, I guess you could. You, know, you get a bottle that's whatever, you know, it's already inflated. And then you get a bottle that's expensive without the inflation. And then you add on the casino rate, but he spent well over $300,000 that evening. And I was having a great time at resort worlds. Now I didn't know this. Okay. I learned this. Now everyone learned this. It's a little known fact at the time for, I guess, non-club people like me, but there is a well-known apparently perk for people that spend a ton of money. Okay at resort worlds on their nightclubs. There's a perk that they're afforded. Do either of you have any guesses to what this perk is? No. Trader Ruski. No, I, oh God. I, they have get like the top suite in the hotel or something. Okay. Stop. Okay. No. If you spend enough money at resort worlds at the nightclub, you get to put personal messages on the hotel signage. Resort Worlds has like an LED, uh, LED, LED screen on the exterior of their towers, okay? Uh, words, advertisements, you know, emoticons, all that. Have you guys ever seen that? Or I guess Trader Ruski, you've only been there once with me, but Jeff, have you ever seen this? 
No, but I know what you're talking I about. Because I know where, I know where this is going with this story because I saw the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I figured you would have. So, anyhow, um, he wrote a message. And by the way, now I just realized I realized his first name because it's part of the first message. He, he ended up having whoever at the nightclub controls this put up a message that said, "This is uh, the, Ben's home. This is Ben's home or Ben's home." That's the guy's name. The you know the the club guy from Australia. Okay, which was fine. Okay, this is Ben's home. And it was a shot at the win. You know, like, I'm not at the win anymore. That's what that meant. Like, this is Ben's home now is Resort World. So that was fine. But then, okay, uh, at some point later in the evening, he put up his second message. Had, his, had a, an employee put up a second message. And you know what that second message said? No, I didn't hear about that part. Second message said, food stamps for and I, I don't know the guy's name but food stamps for and then the manager of the uh the uh encore the winds nightclub and the and, and the, the the context behind that message was apparently when he was getting 86 at, at the wind this australian gentleman uh according to reports he was saying racist and uh other bad things to this nightclub manager like you're so poor you know one of the insults is basically you're so poor i bet you're on food or enjoy your food stamps i bet you're so poor you're on food stamps so anyhow on the billboard or on the marquee of the resort worlds there was a message that said uh food stamps for and then the, the name of the manager which also by the way it's not a unique name um i can't remember but i want to say he's middle eastern okay the, the manager of the nightclub that wouldn't let it let it open up an hour early he has a Middle Eastern name, and it's not a unique name. Or it is a unique name. So it wasn't just something like Tom, Bob. Like, it was something that people in the industry or that would see it would think, oh, shit, snap. Like, they would know who he's talking about. But anyhow, that drew a lot of attention, and that was bad. Like, that was looked upon really, really shitty. And again, I won't go into all this because it's so, you know, this part could be long and it's ongoing, but it's silly. But there has been an ongoing rift even some call it a feud between resort worlds and win. It started as early as four years ago when the wind filed a lawsuit against resort worlds, when they were in their early or late building period, charging them with trademark infringement on some of the design patterns, basically saying that the resort worlds were, were copying them. There's been claims of poaching employees and poaching uh, clientele and customers, all sorts of things. There's definitely bad blood. I mean, you could just Google feud resort worlds and win, and you could read more about it. So anyhow, this was taken as another shot, uh, you know, at the win by the resort worlds. Now the employee or employees that put out that message uh, later claimed they didn't know the context of it. And uh, I want to say I read reports that they were fired. I know the head of the nightclub that at Resort Worlds that this occurred at is no longer with him. I mean, literally, like he was let go with you know because of this incident within the last week. Um, I don't think there was an exact statement or even a name about the employees that put up the message, but you know the buck stops with the guy that is the manager that you know I guess approved all this. So he was let go, and then once they understood the context of it, and this was on like the nightly news, this was on social media, newspapers. Uh, the Australian gentleman was reportedly 86th as well from Resort Worlds and told, you're no longer welcome. Uh, and that's after he spent $300,000. The gentleman's name from Australia, according to Casino.org, which is run by the owner of Vital Vegas, his name is Ben Ralph. 
the club at the win where they refused to open early was excess. And the exact message that, and I sent it to you, Todd, look at your phone real fast. The exact message, and you can see how it's posted on the whole entire fucking hotel frontage. It was food stamps for Nico. Uh, Nico being, I'm trying to see his last name, it's here. Nico Samarhui, Samarihui, uh, who was the nightclub manager at Excess and who was made the target of derogatory and racist statements by this Ben Ralph. Um, obviously, again, Nico, the manager, handled it right by all accounts. You know, he just couldn't open the club for a whiny high roller. But look at your phone. You can see that photo, maybe even post in the radio. Yeah, track. I can see it. It's interesting point. because it's actually taking up almost the entire Hilton tower of the resort world. It's not, it's not a little marquee in front of the hotel. It's actually taking up the hotel itself that this can display yeah. on the front of the hotel, like in front of the rooms. That's crazy. After after all this happened, Ben Ralph posted on Instagram calling Nico a broke-ass immigrant. Wow. That's what led to his official banning from, uh, and again, I'm reading this off of casino.org. Um, so, yeah, that's what happened. And then the last thing I want to say uh, was that, oh, let me get back to this. Uh, there's a, something more specific about the uh, ongoing problems between win and resort worlds but anyhow it does confirm here according to the sources in the article that uh this ben Rolf is now lifetime banned as i mentioned from both the win and lifetime banned from resort worlds as well uh the nightclub that this took place at at resort worlds it's called i guess zook or zook yeah zook, yeah. yeah i've heard of it yeah and yeah and again uh there, if you spend enough money, you can put personalized messages on the uh, frontage. In 2018, three years before Resort Worlds opened and uh, even opened for, opened for business, the wind sued them for copying its trademark exterior design. Um, the lawsuit was filed uh, in Clark County Court, blah, 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 blah. Uh, Wynn's lawyers argued that there were many similarities between the buildings that could cause customer confusion and constitutes unfair competition. The Wynn's lawsuit contained five counts, federal trade dress infringement, unfair competition, false designation of origin, federal trademark dilution, dilution, and state trademark dilution. And number five, I don't even know what this word means. Jesus. Chocula. C-H-O-C-U-L-A. Uh, and there's a copy of the lawsuit here, which I'm not going to sit here and read. And I don't know for sure. I'm, I'm pretty sure. I don't know positively. Uh, I know that the lawsuit's no longer pending. I believe Resort World settled out of court with some uh, non-disclosure payment to win. But the point is there's, there's been bad blood. And yeah. Win does not obviously care for how Resort World has kind of taken their approach to getting their, you know, building their brand, getting their customers, so on and so forth. Um, so, yeah, that's that's what happened. And maybe a drop for those that listen and want to see it and maybe can't find it. Why don't you post what I just sent you in the radio thread? And you can go there and you can see this big message that uh, has caused Yeah, I'll, I'll try to remember to do that. But anyway, thank you, Brandon, for bringing that to us. 
Very well covered, and we will move on to the next topic. The final topic is called, what would Druff do? I do these occasionally, where either someone sends me a question of what I would do, or I just run into a situation online somewhere that someone's talking about, and then I discuss what I would do if I was in the situation. So this one's the latter. I guarantee that this does not involve me or anyone I know personally. When I tell you the story, you'll know it didn't involve me because you would know I'm not that gullible, but... Uh, It also doesn't involve anyone that I know. So this isn't a family member or anyone I care about or anyone I know or anyone I've met. This is a complete stranger. But nevertheless, I do think it's an interesting story. If this does happen to you or anything similar to this, uh, I, I do want to tell you what I would do. Call forwarding is a very old phone feature that goes back to the 1980s. And I actually had it on my phone in the 1980s. It's not used as much as call waiting or three-way calling, which were also features in the 80s. But call forwarding is very simple. You just program your phone to forward to another number. And I'm talking about home phones. Cell phones can do it too, but it's different. It's usually done through the settings. But on home phones, the old way to do call forwarding was you would dial 72-pound, and then you would get a new dial tone that was kind of broken. It would go do-do-do-do. And then you would dial the number that you want to forward your phone to and hit pound. Then it would give you a little tone like doo-doo, and that means it's forwarded now. And then whenever you would pick up your phone to remind you it's being forwarded, it would, instead of giving you a solid dial tone, it would go doo-doo-doo-doo, just kind of like letting you know that the phone is forwarded. And if anyone calls you, you would get a half ring, which it's impossible to answer. Even if you try to answer really quickly, it won't answer. And the half ring is basically telling you your phone is being forwarded over to the number you programmed, and it will continue forwarding until you do 73-pound, which cancels the forwarding, and your phone is back to normal. So that was the way call forwarding worked in the 80s and 90s. It still exists on home phones. It's not always a feature. Sometimes you have to pay for it or get it as part of a package. But nowadays, it's usually star 72 instead of 72-pound, but very similar, still the number 72. Well, this is being used for scams, and this is not a new scam. This scam has been going on for many years. This is not something that's brand new. But here's what someone posted on social media. Are you aware of what Dialing Star 72 does? I am posting this to inform everyone of this new sophisticated method of fraud. Okay, it's not very sophisticated. It's been, been around a while, and I wouldn't say it's sophisticated, but let's go on. I want to prevent what happened to us from happening to you. If you ever receive an unsolicited call from your bank and the banker tells you that your account has been compromised, hang up immediately and call your bank to verify that it was actually compromised. Now, what I would do is I would continue on the call and pretend that I was taking it seriously and then try to record it for radio. She goes on to write, Don't follow their instructions to dial star 72 followed by a group of numbers. This forwards your calls to the fraudster who then has control of your phone. Well, that's not completely true. You don't have control of your phone, but it is true that anyone who calls you now will reach the fraudster. The fraudsters are able to approve bank transactions using wire transfers. The bank thinks they are communicating with you. You will be unaware and unable to stop it from happening. My call came from a valid Wells Fargo bank number, 800-869-3557, one that I recognize and have used for 32 years. The fraudsters knew detailed personal information about me and my account, 
which led me to trust them. As a result, my identity was stolen using suspected artificial intelligence, which led to a wire transfer. Now, she doesn't explain what that means. My son is out 15500 of his hard-earned money, and Wells Fargo Bank is not reimbursing him. Please share this with as many people as possible, and if you have any idea what my next step should be, please respond to this post. Which I did, by the way. So again, it's a total stranger I saw on social media. It seemed like she was sincere. It was an older woman, a picture of her and her husband together, it looked like a real account. So I don't think this is a fake story, or a copy-and-pasted story. I think this really did happen to her. So here's my analysis. First of all, the story doesn't completely add up in that it's missing some details. I don't understand what she's talking about with the suspected AI with the wire transfer. I don't see how this involves her son when it's about her. Like, it's supposed to be that she was tricked into dialing star 72 and forwarding her phone, and then suddenly it's her son who lost the 15K. Maybe she kind of got confused that she was making it sound like it was her, and then she wrote it was her son. Maybe maybe she was talking about her son and didn't want you to realize that until later on. I, I don't know. I think maybe she wasn't sure what she wanted to tell the public and accidentally kind of split the story. Well, her son might have had the same number lived at home, and then because they scammed her into forwarding the call when the bank called around about him, then it went to the scammer. That's a good theory, except... She wrote, the fraudsters knew detailed personal information about me and my account, which led me to trust them. But, okay, let's put this aside, because I don't think she made this up. I, I think she doesn't completely understand what happened, but I don't think she made this up. So, I will verify that, yes, the call forwarding trick has been used for a long time by scammers to not just steal from banks, but also to commit toll fraud back a long time ago when it was expensive to call long distance. What they would sometimes do is, let's say somebody wants to call their friend, but it costs a lot of money per minute to call their friend, sometimes even internationally, they would call the person up, say, this is the phone company, can you please enter these digits to help us test your line? Enter 72 pound, then when you hear the tone, dial 1212, blah, 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 and then hit pound, you'll hear a a tone, and then uh, we'll call you back when we're done testing your line, the people are like, oh, okay. And then once that person hangs up, then every call gets forwarded to that long distance number. And now that person can call their friend and the long distance call is paid for by the victim. So that, that was a common form of fraud back a long time ago when phone calls were expensive to make. More recently, it's taken more of the form of the bank scam. So this is a real scam. And you can see how it would work, because the bank has your phone number on the account, they get some kind of wire transfer request, they call you to verify it's real, and then you, which is actually the scammer because you forwarded your number to them, will answer the phone, say they're you, and then they'll verify some details. Okay, well, can you tell us the last four of your social? Okay, well, can you tell us the amount of it? Can you tell us your address? Tell us your date of birth? Provided they have this information, then they can verify it, and the bank is tricked, and then they send out the wire. So that's what she's alleging happened here. That it's, Forget the whole thing about the son, whether it's her or the son. It's not really important. I do believe this happened. And how did the call she received come from a Wells Fargo number? Well, you can spoof caller ID. There's a, even apps you can get where you can do this fairly cheaply. 
So that's not very difficult for these scammers to do, to call her from what appears to be Wells Fargo's real number. So, okay, that probably is what happened. But what about this part that Wells Fargo is not reimbursing him? And what should she do next? Now, that part is what really made me wonder what the real story was. Because Wells Fargo should be reimbursing them. Now, you might say, why? She was the one who was tricked into forwarding her phone, and then the scammers impersonated her, or her son, whoever got stolen from. So had she not been tricked and forwarded her phone, then the bank wouldn't have thought they were talking to her, and then none of this would have happened. So how can she blame it on them? Well, the way it works, the reason your money is safe in banks is because the burden to keep your money protected is on them. So I'll give you an example of how your money is protected versus how it isn't. Let's say someone walked into a bank that I use and they flashed a fake ID that was in my name and said, hey, I'm Todd Wittellis. And then they wanted to make a withdrawal of $20,000 and the bank fell for it and gave them $20,000 cash. If upon investigating it and looking at the video footage of this or whatever, it was not me and they were tricked into giving $20,000 of my money to a fraudster, I'm not just out the money. This is on them to provide the security of my account to not allow fraudsters to trick them. Even if... I was careless in some way and gave the fraudsters some info to be able to make a fake ID of me. So it really is on them to verify that these wire transfers are legit because otherwise it's just too easy to steal from anybody's bank account. You just send, you you get someone's bank account number, which isn't that hard because it's on checks when someone sends you a check and then you submit a wire request in their name to you or to some accomplice. And then as long as you can trick someone at the bank, that person's out their money. If that were true, nobody would keep their money in banks because then your money's only as safe as the people running the bank make it. So they have the responsibility to keep your money safe there. However, they do not have the responsibility to keep you from sending your money to scammers. So if you are tricked to send a wire to someone who is telling you a bullshit story and then you wire the money and they just take it and run off, then the bank is not responsible for reimbursing you. Sometimes the bank will refuse to send the wire if you if it seems suspicious and then your story doesn't seem to add up. They will sometimes refuse to send it, saying this looks like it's fraud. We don't want to send the wire. But if it is really you sending the wire, even if you you were being tricked and being scammed, it is true that it's not the bank's responsibility to reimburse you. But that's only when you have actually sent the wire. If somebody else sent it impersonating you, then it's on them. Then they need to improve their process to verify it's you. And what usually happens is... When you are defrauded, even if an amount like 15K, they'll do an investigation. And if it looks like that it really wasn't you requesting the wire, 
they'll just eat it and give you the money back. It sometimes takes a little while, but they will do it. They will give it to you back, and that is calculated into their cost of doing business. That rather than crushing people with just onerous security requirements every time they send a wire, they know that some of these will be fraudulent, and sometimes they'll be tricked, and sometimes they'll have to reimburse people. But it's only a small percentage of wires that are sent. And the bigger the wire, the more they will scrutinize it. So 15 k maybe that can get by them. A million dollars won't. A million dollars will put a lot more effort into scrutinizing it. So why is this woman not getting her 15500 back? Well, it could be that uh, Wells Fargo just has an idiot dealing with them, and they just have a crappy employee in the security department who doesn't understand what their responsibility is. It also could be that she didn't explain the story well. In fact, she didn't explain the story well in this post. We had some weird things like whether it was her or her son and what this AI thing has to do with it. So if she gets on the phone with this rep and goes on and on about how she was scammed and AI scammed her, blah, 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 they, I could see where the rep would go, I, okay, crazy lady, goodbye. <laughs> we'll look into it, goodbye. And they don't take her seriously. It, it doesn't take very much to destroy your credibility when you start talking like that. But provided that she explained clearly what happened, that she did not send the wire, her son did not send the wire, that it was someone who was impersonating the account holder, whether it was her or her son, doesn't matter, and that they actually talked to the scammer when they were trying to run verification, then it doesn't matter if she was careless with her personal info or stupidly forwarded her phone. It matters that they did not take the proper steps to verify that this was really her. For example... They could have said, okay, well, before we send the wire, please uh, send us a copy of your ID or send us a copy of your ID with you holding it. They didn't do that in this story. They just asked some questions, said, yep, that sounds like you, and we called you on your phone number, so okay, thanks. So Wells definitely should be eating this 15.5K if this really happened as she wrote. So the takeaway here, aside from don't ever enter things that they tell you to enter, even if it appears to be a phone number of the bank or the police or whatever, don't don't ever enter things on your phone that they tell you to enter because you could be forwarding your phone to these scammers. But aside from that, which I think most of you wouldn't fall for, the takeaway here is the bank has a lot more responsibility to keep your money safe than you may think. Now, let's go back a little bit. Let's go back to the fall of 2022 when I checked my Wells Fargo account and found that $10,000 got swiped from it through BetMGM. And I did not make that deposit. That was my exact thought process, was that the bank failed me. The bank allowed this to be sent to BetMGM through fraudsters, and that someone owes me this ten k back. BetMGM would be number one, But if they refuse to pay it, it is still somewhat on the bank because they allowed someone to directly withdraw from my bank account without my permission. So that is a security failure on the part of the bank. So someone was going to give this back to me. You do have to give them time to investigate. But this was not my responsibility. I'm I'm not just out 10K because someone gets my info on the dark web and can withdraw money out of my account through an electronic funds transfer. It doesn't work that way. They're the ones who are assigned the responsibility to protect from that happening. So when this does happen, you first try to get it back from 
whoever took the money, in this case it was BetMGM that took the money on behalf of the scammer, unknowingly doing so. So they would be number one to have to pay me back. But even if I can't get it out of them, the bank has responsibility too. The way I did get it back is BetMGM just sent it to me and ate it. But at no point did I think that I'm just screwed and out the money. I thought it may take some effort to get the money back. I thought maybe more effort than I had to put in. And the reason I got the money back was I made such a big deal. I blew this up so big, I got an article on ESPN.com on the front page about this. And as soon as the ESPN article dropped, then they panicked and called me on a Saturday and asked me how I want the money back. So that's why it happened so fast, because they saw the story was blowing up fast and they didn't want it to hurt the company's reputation, global payments. It actually wasn't BetMGM, it was global payments processing it, but it showed back up as BetMGM, but it was global payments who uh, processed it on behalf of BetMGM. They're the ones who actually sent it back, even though it said BetMGM when it came back to me. But if they didn't, if they just refused outright, let's say, let's say they said, no, we don't believe you, we think it was you, then I would put a complaint in with the bank that they allowed money to be taken out of my account without the proper security checks to prevent such a thing and that they are expected to reimburse me. And I would have pressed very hard on this. So never accept that answer. Now, if you were dumb and sent the money yourself, then it's on you. Then you can't expect them to help you. You can't say, well, you should have known I was being scammed. No. If you actually send the money, then you're out the money. If someone else sends it pretending to be you, then you can ask the bank to cover it. And if you get them saying no, then hang up and call back and get somebody else or ask for a manager. But don't just accept the loss. Even if some of this is your fault, even if you stupidly forwarded your phone, or you stupidly gave them personal info, or did some other thing to just make it easier on them to impersonate you. Don't blame yourself and say, well, if I hadn't forwarded my phone like that, this wouldn't have happened. So, okay, I guess I deserve it. It's not like that. The buck stops, literally, with the bank as far as money being stolen out of your account. So that's what I would do if this happened to me or what I would advise someone who was close to me what to do and to just keep pressing Wells to give this back. I did actually offer to help here. And I told the woman that she can contact me if she'd like me to give some advice And I'm not looking for any part of this if she gets it back. And she did contact me, and I said to her some suggestions, and we'll see if she takes them. And I'll ask her for an update after a little time passes. I'm not going to dedicate my life to getting back her money. She's a complete stranger. I can't save the world from scams, but I I figured I'd give her some advice. It kind of looked like she was just resigning that she lost the money and just wants to warn others. And I'm like, nope. You can get it back from Wells Fargo if you're telling the story accurately to us. The big difference is whether she slash her son sent it or whether the scammers really initiated it. Now, the only complication can be if these scammers initiate it and then somehow they do get a hold of you and you agree and say, yes, I approve it. Then it's pretty hard for you to get back if they can show that. Because then it can look like a case of buyer's or sender's remorse. So even if you want to say, well, this person initiated it without my knowledge, once once you say, yes, I approve, then you do have knowledge. 
So that's the only way that or them sending it themselves and being too embarrassed to admit this would be the only ways I could see this being denied. But I think there's a good chance as Wells is confused about this. Maybe because she didn't tell it well. There's a lot of scams out there. If you ever have a situation where you feel like you're getting ripped off or you feel like uh, you got ripped off and a company's not helping you, you can feel free to text me, 775-372-8355, and I will give you my sincere advice on what I feel you should do. No guarantees, but I'll give you my advice, and a lot of times it works. There have been times where people are just exasperated, and they go to me and say, I know you're good with this sort of thing, and they tell me the story, and I go, yeah, I would do this, and then they do it, and it works. I'm not going to shame you. I'm not going to say, oh, you're so stupid. How do you fall for this? I'm not going to do that. Okay, so before I shut this down, I do want to quickly touch on the Twitter change that they're talking about making. I don't know if it's really going to happen. Have you guys heard about the Twitter removal of the block feature? No. What about you, Trader Rescue? Yeah, okay. Well, I know I use Twitter more than you guys do, especially Trader Rescue, but... They are talking about, when I say they, I mean Elon Musk, removing the block feature entirely. We just can't block anybody. So someone texted me, I hear you speak about Twitter battles a lot and about people and even yourself getting blocked. I'm interested in your near take. And then they sent me a Reddit thread discussing the removal of the block feature, which hasn't happened yet. It may never happen, but this is being discussed. And Elon has openly stated that he wants to remove it and plans to remove it. Do you guys think that I am for or against removal of the block feature on Twitter? For. What about you, Brandon? Oh, that's kind of tough, because I'm sure you've had your share of blocks by people. Um, I don't know. I, I You probably are, are for it. Well, I understand that, and it's with that logic that I have had a lot of people block me and that it would be nice if they couldn't do that, especially when I'm just even trying to keep track of what they're writing, even if I'm not going to interact with them anymore, and then you're blocked, you have to access it a different way by logging out or going onto a dupe account, whatever it might be. So it's a pain in the ass. You can read their tweets, but it becomes a lot harder. So from that standpoint, yeah, it would be nice for me if there are no blocks. But as Brandon said, his own feelings, I actually agree with him. I think there should be yeah, a block button. You might. And I'll tell you why. You may say, well, how can someone who runs a free speech type forum and even lets people on his own forum bash him, why would I not want the block feature to be removed? Why would I want a block feature? Well, Twitter is actually a game of punching up and punching down. It's a game of engagement and understanding the engagement level of those interacting with you. And what's important not to do on Twitter is to amplify trolls that are trying to harass you because all accounts on Twitter are not created equal. If someone who's very high profile on Twitter that has many millions of active and real followers, if they tweet something, it's incredibly powerful Because millions of people see it. If a nobody who signed up and has two followers tweets something, just about nobody sees it. So what they say gets just about no visibility. 
So the worst thing you can do is if you are tweeting something and then a troll responds and bashes you, the worst thing you can do in many cases is to respond to them because then people who are following your account will say, oh, what's this? Who, who is he talking to here? And then they'll look who you're responding to and then they'll start reading the whole exchange. Whereas if you never responded, that person's tweet probably won't be seen. Yes, it's in your replies, but it often won't be seen because they had to scroll through all the replies and even if they see it, they kind of just scroll past it and that's that. But if they see you interacting in their feed then they're going to be curious and go look. So I always say with Twitter, the right way to handle Twitter, this isn't always true, but it's usually true. The right way to handle Twitter is to punch up or not at all, but not punch down. So if there's someone that you're going to argue with on there or someone that's trolling you, it's okay to respond if they have more followers than you because they're already getting engagement anyway. But if they have fewer followers than you, especially if it's a big difference, if you have 5,000 followers and they have 30, then it's smart not to respond because all you're doing is showing everybody their troll messages by responding to them. And same thing where if you're trolling somebody with way more followers than you, you're hoping they respond to you. So how does this correlate with the feelings I have about the block button. When you block someone, you prevent them from commenting on anything you write, whether it's a reply you write to somebody or a tweet that an original tweet of yours where you're just starting up a tweet about a topic, you're starting your own Twitter thread. So when you've blocked them, then they don't even have the power to respond to your messages and be seen. The only way they can be seen is just tweet at you from their account, and then only their followers are going to see it. Occasionally, people may search your name and find it, but for the most part, if someone with almost no followers tweets about you, but not in response to anything you're writing, nobody's going to see it. So if you block them, then it does accomplish that. Now, I found this to be annoying on the other end. I've even had scammers block me. I've had scammers pre-block me where they're going to run a scam and they're afraid I'm going to respond saying this is a scam or quote the tweet saying this is a scam or even notice the tweet. So they pre-block me before putting out the scam tweet. Brian Wojtek, the ACR scammer, does that all the time. He pre-blocks me. So I have had people block me, both scammers and people who I'm just critical of. So this way, I can't call attention to what they're writing that I either disagree with or want to point out that they're not being honest about. And I just, unless I quote tweet them or post a screenshot and hope that my followers will amplify it, I really have no way to respond to what they're writing because I'm blocked. Yeah, I could make a dupe and then respond. But then still I have the issue with if they don't respond back to me, then not many people are going to be following this dupe the second account, and it's it's still not going to get much engagement. So I do find it annoying on the other end that sometimes I really want to answer somebody or comment on somebody and they've had me blocked already, especially scammers. But I do like the fact that if there's some troll, and it's not that I can't take criticism, but a lot of trolls on Twitter are completely anonymous, and I'm not. So that's not even a fair fight there. I, I have to tweet as myself, 
I don't have to, but I, I am myself out there. And that they're hiding and won't say anything about themselves. And often just trolling to try to get a reaction. So I don't owe these people engagement. I don't owe them views of my followers. So if I block them, it's going to be very hard for them to be seen. And that's where the block button is power. And you can say, well, that's unfair. Why are you not allowing people to criticize you? But that's not true. Like People who respond and criticize me, if it's legitimate criticism or disagreement, or even in some cases insults, that at least are rooted in some kind of legitimate criticism and disagreement, especially if the person's tweeting under their real name, then I'll either ignore it or respond. I won't block them. I'm not trying to silence criticism. I just do not want to give a platform to people who are just there to troll me, which there's not a whole lot of them. I'm not constantly plagued by this. But, you know, it'll happen, especially because I have this show, because I have the Poker Alert Forum, because I'm kind of outspoken, or some people don't like me because of my politics. So whatever it might be, some of these trolls will pop up. And it is nice to just swat them away with the block button, and then they can get their own following. You know, if they want to get thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of followers on their own by being interesting themselves, and then tweet about me, well, then they can. But I don't owe them my followers. I don't owe them my audience, just like others don't owe me their audience. That's why I agree the block button should be there, not just for me personally, but because of the way Twitter works, especially, you don't owe others your audience. So you should have the ability to block them. Because otherwise, every time you tweet something, people will click on the replies and then they may see these trolls. And these trolls are basically you know, getting the eyeballs of your audience. And it's it's something that you shouldn't have to put up with if you don't want to. So, yeah, the block button is good and bad, but I actually think it's necessary given the way the platform operates. Of course. And plus, you got a kid. Yeah, there's that too, yeah. I mean, you know, when he gets older, if he uses it as a teenager, you'd want him to be able to block people bullying him or harassing him or adults sending weird... You know what I mean? Yes, yeah, that, that's thing. that's a good point. You that, use it, but, that, that, like, you know, yeah. you got a kid, so it's more... You understand that better than anybody that there are crazy people out there that right. you wouldn't want interacting with your child. Yeah, like if you, if you do have a, a child who's, who's a minor that is on Twitter that... If if there are people who you think that they should not be interacting with, and even especially if they agree too, just to block the person is a good solution, and you should be able to do that. So no, I, I totally believe that people should have a right to block others from interacting with them or block others from being able to respond to what they're writing so those people's followers would see it. And yeah, I, I find it annoying on the other end. I don't like being blocked, especially if someone's blocking me for nefarious reasons to like keep scamming where I can't call it out. But when they do, then I will sometimes just call it out independently, where I will just uh, quote their tweet or post a screenshot of their tweet or just post a, a tweet about them with a link to who they are so people can go see for themselves. And I can do that because I did build a following, not a gigantic following, but over 5,000 people. And then there's more than 2,000 that follow the uh, Poker Fraud Alert account. So I built that based upon the content that I've put out all this time. 
So then I still have an audience to it. Whereas if I had three followers, then yeah, I wouldn't have an audience. And if you don't have an audience, that's just the way it goes. There's times I, I want to really get someone's attention about a topic and I go, oh, wow, I wish I had a million followers right now. But I don't have a million followers. I, I never will. But that's fine. At least I can get some people's attention. Taking a look at the texts I got, aside from the one I already read you, mm-hmm. from the 480 in the Phoenix area, 1006 is a known issue with Poker Mavens. That's Brandon's error for 1006 when he tried to play that big free roll, the mm-hmm. Robert Gray Memorial free roll. I can't remember off the top of my head how to fix it at the moment. I think the 1006 error is tied to the SSL issue, though. It probably is. The SSL meaning the, the certificate, security certificate issue that uh, has expired. So that, that, that I know how to fix. I just can't do it because I'm not the one in control of it. But I think he's right that once that is fixed, then that error will stop happening. So if you got that error or any other error that you couldn't get around when you tried to play that free roll, I apologize. I'm the, still getting it now. So, yeah. The winner of the free roll, I don't know if he wants me to read this whole thing. So I'll, I'll try to just summarize it without giving away as much as I know. But there's a guy I met in Vegas once and went to dinner with him. He's a listener, a longtime listener. And he had a very, very major heart condition recently where he could have easily died on the table when they were doing the procedure to save his life. And he was saved by a, a good doctor there. And then he still wasn't out of the woods. But, you know, so far, so good. He is uh, alive and kicking. Still listening to... It, it, you don't know this guy. It's just a, a listener. No, but what's the backstory? I, 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 oh, I it's, it's so, someone who's, who's have major heart problems that almost died and then had a, a surgery that... No, but, I mean, why are we talking about... I mean, how oh, because he, he, won the free, he won the free roll. Oh, okay. Yeah, and, and he's also a fellow Jew, so he said, Baruch Hashem, ha ha ha, on Shabbos to boot. Don't tell the rabbi. Thanks, Todd. But, but he uh, wasn't one of those Jews disparaged your Jewish anti-Semitism. No, no, he, he, ha- he has not complained about the Hava Nagila music. I, I've had some Jews telling me that it's funny. They enjoy it whenever they hear the flutes mm-hmm. come on at the beginning. From the uh, 209... Hey, Druff, do you trust any sports betting site other than Bovada? I'm a California resident. Well, let me give you some advice right now from one California resident to another. Don't use Bovada for sports betting. It sucks. Now, it's not that I don't trust them. They will pay you. They might screw Trader Ruski in tournaments, but they will pay you. The issue I have with Bovada as a sports book is that the lines are terrible. They have such a spread on the lines that the house juice is so high it's unbeatable. They're also what's known as a square book, and that's the only way they can be useful, is that sometimes they shade the line so much towards the favorite, because recreational bettors love favorites, that sometimes if you're betting the underdog or the under total that you will get a good line there despite the fact that they're still taking big juice. So an example, let's take a baseball game where Bovada is uh, giving you the lines of 
minus 150 and plus 130. So the minus 150 is the favorite and plus 130, of course, is the underdog. And you want to take the underdog. Now, normally that's a lousy spread. It's 20 points there on a, on a 150 game. That's too much house juice. But let's say all the other books have this game as plus 138 or plus 128 minus 138. So really what they're doing is they're charging a lot of extra juice. They're giving a much worse line to those who are betting the favorite because a lot of their customers are betting it. So that's why they're doing that. They're making the line worse and worse. And on your other books, the underdog line you're getting is plus 128. Well, So even though the spread is bigger, even though the house juice is technically bigger, if the line is better on Bovada, then bet it on Bovada. So occasionally on an underdog or a bet on a totals bet that's under, you'll find a better line there. And sometimes on props, you will find lines there that are better than other books just because they're sometimes clueless. But if you show even the slightest bit of a sign that you can beat props or you know what you're doing with props, they will bring down your prop betting to like $25 maximum, which unless you're a low roller is not going to do anything for you. And also with the regular sports betting, if you start to show that you know what you're doing, they will bring down your limits really low. So the, the bottom line is they analyze the patterns of what you're betting. And if they see a sharp betting pattern and a sharp betting pr- pattern doesn't necessarily mean you win. It just means that you're betting on what is the smarter side. And of course there's some luck and variance to this, a lot of that in sports, but if you seem to know what you're doing, then they're just going to lower your limits very low. If you don't, and they don't lower your limits very low, then you're probably not as good as you think you are. And furthermore, regardless of all this, they're just taking too much juice. So where can you avoid that? Well, bet online is one of them. Bet online posts pretty fair lines that are pretty much in line with uh, the mainstream lines that you see in uh, Vegas sports books. And it's it's actually smart to be on a few books and then pick the best line. So there's the Heritage Sports is a good one. Uh, bet any sports, which is the former Five Dimes, has been reliable so far. There's one called Low Vig, which is Bet Online, but with actually better lines on some games. But it's actually owned by Bet Online, so you probably want to get an account there. And these are not licensed or regulated, of course, but they will take California residents because there is no legalized sports betting in California, so they're not competing with any anything, so they're not restricting any California customers. I actually got a few texts from uh, Nikki here, who was listening to the show, that they give you $9 per million impressions on Twitter if you are monetized. So you asked that earlier, Brandon, if how much you're going to get paid, and I didn't know. Nikki actually knows. It's $9 per million impressions. So for every million views, you get nine bucks. So it's not huge money. And if you have one viral tweet that gets like 100 million views, you'll get $900, but you know, 100 million views is gigantic and hardly anyone ever gets that. Let's say you get 5 million views. Well, you get $45. It's better than nothing, but it's not big money by any means. So you really have to have a lot of views just consistently coming in to make any decent money with this. Who's this messaging you? That, that was Nikki. 
Wait, so she disappears for five years and then she's participating in radio? Yeah, she listened to radio tonight, yeah. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. Somehow this brought her back. Brought her back from the dead. That's cute. She's always was a sweet girl, wasn't she? Yep. Well, that's all I've got. This has been a very long show. Thank mm-hmm. you, Brandon, for your participation. Thank you, uh, Trader Ruski, for your end participation. Well, what was that? Uh, he's long gone. He's not here. What was that site you said that Bet Online owns? That is called Lovig.ag. And now, what it, is the difference between that and Bet Online? Why would they need a separate site? That a, a what's the difference? It's a no frills site that has no promotions, no oh. bonuses, nothing. But they give you some better lines on some games. The lines are never worse on Low Vig than Bid Online. They're always equal or better. Oh, yeah. Low Vig, Low Low Vig AG. Yes. Does you, would you need? I assume a separate account if you already have Bet Online. Yes, you you would need a separate account, and they're completely fine with you having an account there too. It's just interesting. Yeah. So you, you now you have to maintain a separate bankroll on each one, which can be a pain in the ass. But aside from that, right. yeah, you, know, you just treat it like a different book. And what I do with it is, if I'm going to bet on Bet Online, I've kind of gotten a feel for when they offer a better line on Low Vig and when they don't. So, for example, when they don't is like on baseball money lines, they just don't. It's the same thing all the time. So I, I don't even bother to look over there. On over-unders, they do offer a better line. And on spread games, they often will. So when football... How long has this been in existence for? A, a while. I just became aware of it like in the past season or so. Yeah, interesting. I'm looking at it now. Yeah, and and uh, oh wow, they got some really good. They got much better baseball lines. No, they're the same as as Bet Online. Oh, are they? Yeah. Okay. I yeah, guess I'm wrong. The the under over under is better, but the the money lines are the same. Okay. But when football season huh. goes gets into the regular season, and I start betting again, I'm not betting on the preseason, but when we get into the regular season in September, uh, since there's spread. In that, that will have better lines. And so basically, most of my NFL bets will probably be going through them. Unless the books that I have that are unrelated to bet online happen to have a better line anyway than low VIG, which sometimes happens. But uh, that's that's a good site, especially for the NFL. And it, you're not going to get any bonuses, you know, deposit bonuses, no promotions. It's just, it's just very straightforward. You deposit, you bet... You cash out if you win. You redeposit if you lose. All right. Do they take all the various crypto that uh, Bet Online takes? Yes. Okay. And it's kind of a fail site in its interface. It's got a few bugs and stuff. So it's it, when I say it's low frills, I really mean it. Like they, it's really just something they kind of shove in the background and run because they notice that some sharper betters prefer that. And they're willing to take the chance that these sharper bettors still can't beat them on these games. And they're careful what they offer. It's not like on props, they don't offer anything better. And even, as I said, on baseball money lines, they don't. So they try to only offer these better lines, and it's only a few points, in areas that they feel most people can't beat anyway. So yeah. they, they'd rather right, get that business. Yeah. Little tips, and, and it, this is important. Well, if, if you bet sports, guys, I know Brandon knows this, but 
if you bet sports, don't just dismiss, oh, you know, who cares about the line? I just got to bet on the right side. This will eat you up over time if you're paying too much juice, no matter how good you think you are. How about my Marlins tonight, buddy? They beat your Dodgers. They routed them. They yeah, I kind of had a feeling this is going to happen. The Dodgers had a really, really good August so far, losing only one game in August until last night. And that Gonsolin? Yeah, Gonsolin has been very good lately. So, yeah, he gave up 10 earned runs. Yeah. He actually gave up 10 earned runs. How did they let him go five innings, giving up 10 runs? This has been happening a lot this season. There's been a lot of pitchers they just kind of let go and get just destroyed instead of putting in long relief, which I think is a mistake because it screws up their stat numbers and it kind of demoralizes them. There's something to be said. The Dodgers had more hits. Than the Marlins, yet they lost eleven to three. Yeah, it's very unusual. Seattle. Very unusual. Huh? The Dodgers are uh, a much tougher team at home. Yeah. For for many many so, years now, they've killed it at home. Since we're talking about the last thing I said, then we'll go off the air. Uh, there's some guy I don't know, Hector something. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Who apparently is like. I don't know the know it all. Like you know, he's like a respected baseball person. Like not, I don't think he's affiliated with anyone. Maybe he is, but not in the U.S. But he's based out of the, the Dominican, and he's like a respected, uh, like insider. That's what I was looking for. He's like a respected insider in Dominican baseball and sources. Anyhow, so he reported sometime tonight, today, this evening, that from what his sources are telling him, he would be be surprised if Wander Franco ever plays another major league game again in his life. That is that uh, bad. Interesting. So, yeah, I mean, and well, we, might, we might as well tell the this guys. Huh? We, we might as well tell the audience what this is about. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Wander go ahead. Franco is a twenty-two-year-old uh, player on the Tampa Bay Rays, and uh, yeah, very good, and obviously has a very bright future. Third year. Being, Third year. Being, yeah, being uh, twenty-two years old and, and playing as well as he is, so he has a, still a lot of room to grow and improve. Oh. Usually they number beat. one overall pick. Yeah, but not just number one overall pick, but he's already looking good in the majors at twenty two, yeah. which is a very good sign because usually they will keep improving till about age twenty seven and twenty eight, then kind of hang there for a while and then start to decline around thirty. So at twenty two, if you're that good already, then you've got a bright future ahead of you usually. But a little problem here: Wander Franco had a relationship with a fourteen year old. It was a Dominican 14-year-old. It wasn't in the U.S., but he had a relationship with a 14-year-old, a sexual relationship, a romantic relationship, and this came out, and ever since this came out, he hasn't played, and now he's on the restricted list, which means he can't play at the moment while they're looking into this. And so what Brandon's saying is that uh, someone who is an insider in the Dominican Republic is saying that... uh, no teams are going to touch him. That not only won't the Rays put him back, but no team's going to touch well, him. Well, I mean, that's also assuming he doesn't go to prison for a decade. Yeah. Now, you know, that that, that would, yeah. Now, there, there's some complicating factors here that could possibly save him. So, the girl apparently at some point said she was 18. But here's the confusing part. Apparently, her mother was, quote, okay with the relationship. But then at some point... They were blackmailing him, saying, if you don't buy us such and such, a luxury car and other shit, that we're going to come forward and ruin your career. And then, I guess when he didn't comply enough, 
that that's exactly what they did. So the question is... He's also married, by the way. He has a wife, yeah. too. And but, but yeah, so many of them cheat on their wives. That's, that part isn't as big of a deal. Oh, I, yeah. but, and by the way, the guy's name is Hector Gomez, H. Gomez 27. Uh, he's got 102,000 followers. He's a Major League Baseball insider for the Dominican Republic. So anyhow, his credibility from what most people are saying is pretty spot on usually. Yeah. So well, Hector I, Gomez, at H. Gomez 27. And this is what they say. That's on the site at called X, formerly known as Twitter. Is I, am I saying it right? Yes. Every article I read, they don't even, they really have to say it. Now, how many, how long are we going to hear this? That it's the site formerly known as Twitter, <laughs> now known as X. Sorry, sorry, go on. So anyway, what the question... Wait, so why is he going to be saved? Well, no, not, I'm not yeah. saying he's going to be saved, but this is what the question really boils down to as, as to whether or not he has a shot to recover from this. If he was never told that she wasn't really 18, and and she did look older for her age, so it's believable. Wait, she you did. saw her? Yeah, there was a picture that came out of her. Yeah. So. And how old was she when, when they started allegedly hooking up? Uh, 14. This wasn't Ooh. going on for that long. So, yeah. so she was 14 the entire time, and I don't know if she's still 14 now, but when they're hooking up, she was 14 the entire time. So, and she, so at some point she said she was 18, but then the big question is whether he was aware at any point while they were hooking up that she was not 18, or if she said she was 18, looked 18, the mother said she was 18, and the whole thing was a premeditated scam to then drop the news that she's really 14 and then blackmail him for all kinds of money. So it does appear that there was a blackmailing involved, but it also could have been that he knew for some time that she was 14, even if not initially, and still continued to go on with it. And then they got the bright idea, hey, you know what? Um, How about we just start blackmailing him? And and they started doing that. So even though they did blackmail him, it is possible this wasn't premeditated. And it's possible they just kind of saw an opportunity and that, uh, so basically, no matter what the situation was, if he knew she was 14 and still was going forward with it, then he screwed. If he was completely duped and he really believed that he was with an 18-year-old all this time, and keep in mind he's 22, this is also could possibly help him if he was lied to the entire way. Because this is different if the player's 35 and dating someone they think is 18. Because while that's legal, and that's not a huge, that's not really a scandal, the questions could be asked, you know, why is this 35-year-old chasing after an 18-year-old? And if he is, you know, he better damn make sure it's really an 18-year-old. But a 22-year-old who sees someone who looks older for their age, who's really 14, but says they're 18, looks like they could be 18, it can kind of feel like a peer. You know, there's only a four-year age difference. So he can say, okay, you know, this is someone roughly near my age. She says he's 18. Okay, cool. And doesn't really question it. Where... Like, let's say you're a 35-year-old guy who, who wants to date an 18-year-old or have sex with an 18-year-old, and you meet a girl who says she's 18. If you, if you have any sense, what you're going to say is, wait a minute, before I do anything, i got to really make sure that she's, she's 18, that they can see some ID or whatever it is. If you're close to 18 yourself, you're much less likely to do that because you see them as a peer. So if they say they're 18, they kind of look 18, you just kind of go along with it. That's, that's more likely to occur than if the person's already much older. So for that reason, since he would be an appropriate age to date an 18-year-old, for sure, being 22, uh, the, the only issue would be that he would, be, would have been fooled 
by them telling him in order to blackmail him later. So there, he all he's guilty of is uh, stupidity in letting himself be tricked this way by a, a predatory family. But that's only if he never knew. If he did know and continued with it anyway, which is possible, and maybe that's why this Hector Gomez is so sure he's not going to play again, then he's screwed because he's not going to be able to explain why he continued with this whole thing knowing her age, even if it started out believing that she was 18. So I think it's going to come down to that. And there may not be proof either way could be the problem. I'm sure he's going to say, oh, I thought the whole way she was 18. But it's even possible they have evidence that he knew. Maybe that was part of the blackmail. Maybe they kind of set it up to where he would acknowledge it and they'd record him acknowledging it or they have text messages where he acknowledges whatever it is that maybe that was part of it. It was worse than just he was unknowingly having sex with a 14-year-old. It was that he was knowing he was and didn't care. So we'll have to see how it plays out. But yeah, it, it definitely could end his Major League Baseball career, which boy, would that cost him a fortune because he really looked like he had a big future ahead of him. I think of how many years he had left to play being only 22. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's interesting. But, yeah, someone posted some pictures of, of him and the girl together. I don't know where they leaked from, but they took some pictures together. Yeah. But, yeah, I, like she's like, she doesn't look like a little girl. You know how some 14-year-olds, uh, there's a big variance in how old they look, both with boys and girls, but especially girls. So yeah. she was one of them who did look like if like if you were told she's 18 you wouldn't question it i'm not seeing it anywhere oh, it doesn't matter yeah so i well, so i so i could believe he was fooled but that i could also believe that he was aware and just said well you know i'm enjoying this so i'll continue so i will have to see how that breaks out yeah interesting well thanks for having me on i'm exhausted so and i'm sure you got to be tired too I'm, even my voice is getting hoarse so have a good night. Thanks for having me on. And listen, just to let you know, I just looked at your tweet about PFA radio and you got 767 views. So you're only 5,999,200 short. Well, you know, I, I was thinking in order to get this double engagement of what I need to break that threshold. I was thinking what I might do is is take Haley Hanna's advice and start posting some thirst trap pictures of my own. <laughs> and I, I even said so. You know, maybe, maybe there is a market for a, a 51-year-old guy who weighs uh, a good deal over 200 pounds, just say that. Maybe they do want to see me with uh, my shirt off and uh, you know, just in my underwear or something. Maybe, maybe there's an audience for that that I'm just not aware of. So maybe, maybe that'll push me over the top. I should I should consider that. Yeah, I, I should yeah, I should take fine. the I should take the approach that a lot of people are taking these days. That just I could just say, well, gender means nothing. It's uh, sexist of you to say that only pretty girls should be posting this. It's ageist of you to say that pretty young girls should be posting this. Like, why should girls be able to get all these views for posting nude pictures and, and or you know, semi-nude pictures or scantily clad pictures. How come they can get all the views? And I can't just because I'm a guy. I'm an older guy. 
Why, why shouldn't I have that opportunity too? I thought gender is not supposed to mean anything. It's a social construct. So yeah. there, there should be. It, it, if you want to be fair, if you want to be fair, you should want to look at my picture. Just just in my underwear. As much as you want to look at the picture of a pretty girl who's uh, 30 years old on Twitter. Think about that. Maybe that's what I should start doing and guilt people into viewing my pictures. It's an idea. All right. Well, uh, this is a very long show. Thank you, Brandon, for uh, – I can tell you're tired. Thank you for toughing it out here. Yeah, I'm and, exhausted. And, and sure. making it through. And uh, Well, you know, I think the last couple of days you and I have spent about – 14 hours on the show. Yeah, yeah, that's true. We were talking because we we had a long conversation last night because you were gone so long and we hadn't talked since the World Series. Yeah, that's that's true. Pretty much the whole mid-August so far is me talking to Brandon. Hmm. That's funny. And I'm actually... What time time did I call you around tonight? Midnight, maybe? No, earlier because I got my food. No, around midnight. Yeah, around midnight. I got my food at... So what is this? Seven hours talking? Yeah, this is going to be a very long show. It's going to be a bitch to edit. I don't really have nothing to say to you for a couple of days. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've run out of things to say. But listen, stay safe uh, in case you get into that eye of the storm, buddy. And uh, I, I think you guys are going to be all right. Yeah. Uh, did I tell you they're giving it? Maybe I said it. I don't know. They're actually, they have uh, four locations open in Vegas today to distribute sandbags. Yeah, you mentioned that. Yeah. You mentioned oh, I the sandbags. Well, I, I, don't, I don't have any sandbags. Really. I, maybe I should get some sandbags. Do you did, is your neighborhood prone to flooding? Um, I, I think where I am, it'll probably be okay. But but I am there, there is one way it can happen. It, it can run down a certain hill, and yeah, it, there's there's ways it can happen. Like I, I I am a little bit more worried now than I was before. Just kind of thinking about like what if it's worse than expected? What if the winds are worse than expected? Like I'm, I'm starting to now get a little paranoid about it. But I, I think I'm just buying into the hype. I think I've got to just remember how many winter storms we have here with a lot of rain and heavy wind. So I we actually got in the 60s here, high 60s, but 60s here last night, 67 degrees was the low. Yeah, so, which is you know pretty decent. I mean, for August, you never hear about that. Yeah, that's, you know, so that so it's that yeah. is unusual. So we'll we'll keep an eye out, and I'll yeah, I'll let you know. I'll be your man on the scene. You're just people don't uh, don't be hanging around the uh, the links parking garage unless you have a mask and a snorkel, especially on the first floor. The first floor, and you yeah. can bring a surfboard there. It might be fun. Yeah. All right, I'll let you do the wrap-up. I'll stand by and hang up when you're done, but I'll, I'm going to sign off now. So thank you very much for having me on. Uh, okay. Always appreciate your yeah. hospitality. Thank you for uh, bringing the content here. And uh, uh, Listen, I was here for a couple good points tonight, buddy. You were? Yep. A couple key points. Key points and some corrections. Yeah, thank you. You didn't know about Negreanu walking his dog. Well, you knew, but you had forgotten about it. So, no, I actually misread it. I actually, I actually didn't know. I misread it. So you, you, you helped me with that one. Oh, yeah. no problem. Well, you do a lot of subjects. All right. Uh, and, you know, uh, last thing I, I just say, because I didn't really talk at all. I didn't understand the whole point of that kids, that Malone kids thing. Because I looked at his channel, and everything else seems serious. Like, I mean, it doesn't seem like they're all mocking things. So it seemed kind of out of place. So yeah, I but, wonder what the whole point of that was. It doesn't make sense to me. I think like, he's trying to go viral. Or, I, I think he's hoping that people go, oh, my God, look, finally an expose of, of D-Lucky where someone snuck well, in a camera. Point. Because everything else was, you know, wasn't a whole channel worth of, you know, charades and and mockeries and and you know parodies. It was nothing like that. It was normal stuff. 
And then he just has that. I mean, I, the, when you first played it, I didn't really understand it. But I'm like, why does that voice sound different? Because it was distinctly different. Like the whole, it's just weird. It was very know. weird. Whole thing was weird. Yep. So, all right. Uh, Shalom. Thank you for having me on. Okay. I'm going to sign off. Okay. Good morning. Good night. Whatever. Well, that's a long one. It's a long one. We went a long ass time. It's one of the longer shows we've ever had. Not the longest, but it's long. I'm going to edit a little out of it. Especially the break I took. But yeah, this is going to be a big one. It tends to go that way when we have Brandon on here. Just kind of break into a lot of different tangents. I'll try to edit this a little later on. Try to post this up, hopefully before the storm arrives. So it's posted and you can hear this before uh, the storm actually comes. It won't be as interesting to listen to once it's already happened. Benjamin had been asking me long before this storm came to be what I thought about the chance of a hurricane coming to L.A. And I kept telling him that's not going to happen. I still don't think it's going to happen here, but I will say, you know, a, a tropical depression even making landfall, that just doesn't happen much. It's been 45 years. So I'll be praying for the raisins. Hope the raisins survive this time. Remember the California raisins in the 80s? Remember they would dance to I Heard It Through the Grapevine? I like this California Raisins. They, the Raisins even had a video game. I played that video game. It actually wasn't terrible for the time. Yeah, they were a big thing in the 80s, and I, I don't know what happened to them. I kind of miss the California Raisins. I'm talking about the characters, not the actual raisins you eat. Well, I guess it's possible that after this week there will be no raisins for a while, so... Eat them while you can, otherwise you're going to have to take a bunch of grapes and leave them in the sun in your backyard and make your own raisins. Shalom.